Welcome to the Grand Theft World podcast, hosted and sponsored by GrandTheftWorld.com. This is episode 117. It's January 29th, 2023. And this week in Grand Theft World news, we've got stories like this to cover. Uh, there's there's this Paul Pelosi thing that's been going on for several weeks uh, involving a hammer and a guy named David. The body cam footage was released. You can see David clearly breaking in the back door. You can see the officers answering the front door. There's a lot more to cover on that, but uh, it still leaves more questions unanswered about the situation. Uh, we're also going to see stories like uh, this past week, Whitney Webb got to feature her books, One Nation Under Blackmail, Volumes 1 and 2, on the Russell Brand podcast. So now millions and millions of people are getting that very necessary story that you guys got here many months ago in a four hour long form uncut no sense like no censorship format little slices of that knowledge are now making it out to the general public also on another big platform joe rogan hosted uh, dr jordan peterson who has come under attack lately uh for freedom of speech issues and he had some freedom of speech uh for the world economic forum who he's now calling out and again, giving a larger platform through Joe Rogan's audience to get that information out there. These topics you've heard about on this podcast for years now, but it's good that the, uh, the general population, the gen pop in the prison here is getting that, that information and getting uh, a little bit wiser. And maybe, maybe uh, people are converting over to truth instead of fiction at a faster rate. And I, once you get to the truth, you don't usually go back to the fiction. So it's a one way thing. I think we're gaining momentum and winning. It's very encouraging. And then the Pfizer, the Pfizer drop happened this week. Project Veritas uh, made popular in every household a new phrase called directed evolution. And whether or not Pfizer is really doing gain of function and mRNA mutation and these sort of things that were claimed in those videos is, you know, up for debate. We're going to we're going to dig into it and do some deep diving into it because Project Veritas, I think oftentimes people look at that as a conclusion. Really, it's the start of an investigation. So what we know is the guy said these things. And then we're going to see if those things flesh out in reality or not. But it's a starting point. Also, uh, Bill Gates, he's trashing mRNA vaccines. He's saying they don't work. They're not effective. These sort of things. Where was he two years ago? Wasn't he the guy touting it? So it's an interesting turnabout. Uh, he's become one of the richest people in the world because of his investments in these mRNA vaccines. And now he's going to come out and trash talk. And I think it's an interesting uh, turnabout and turnabout is fair play when it comes to uh, lying to the public about COVID and millions of people being uh, lost their jobs and lost their lives because of these sort of things. So they deserve more scrutiny. And uh, last but not least, we have a special guest tonight, Dr. Shiva Ayadurai. He's a uh, MIT PhD, who is very outspoken in the realm of the pandemic, the vaccines, and some of what he calls the grifters in the movement. So we're going to hear from him later tonight. And uh, to kick it off, as always, here's Luke Radowski with his report from earlier today. Uh, and let's get his summary for the week. Ja tuota, sieltä on niin kuin yhdeksän vuotta aikaa, eli siihen yhdeksän vuoteen sisältyy aika paljon. Eli kun lähdetään ihan nollasta, niin ihan jo sitä, että pysyy pystyssä kahdella jalalla, pysyy pystyssä yhdellä jalalla, ja sen jälkeen rupeaa niin kuin uskaltamaan tehdä jotakin siellä jäällä, ja sitten alkaa pikkuhiljaa kisaamaan ja esiintymään näytöksissä ja niin edelleen. Että sanotaan, että aika kivaa uraa on ollut, mutta tietysti korona tuli vähän sitten väliin, että se sitten sotki, sotki kuviota. Mutta tuota, eteenpäin mennään, ja... Mahtavaa. Näiden EM-kisojen slogan on tule sellaisena kuin olet. <laughs> wow, how, how progressive, bold, 
beautiful and brave of Finland to provide such a demonstration for the world. Welcome back, beautiful and amazing human beings. My name is Zuckerdowski here. We are Change.org, and we have a plethora of absolutely mind-boggling news to get into today, as, of course, the situation internationally just got a lot worse for the world, specifically talking about the latest very dangerous escalations happening right now in Iran. Domestically, things here aren't uh, looking up either, as of course, it looks like we have a full-on divide-and-conquer agenda that very interestingly started because of some of the same woke policies that people are calling more of for now. Yeah, very confusing situation. If you like the shirt that I'm wearing, you can get it on thebestpoliticalshirts.com. And the clip that we played in the beginning of this broadcast was originally shared by Jack Posobiec, allegedly at the European Figure Skating Championship opening ceremony where Finland decided to emphasize uh, equality, diversity, and wokeism by introducing the, the first transgender national figure skater. Yes, you heard that correctly. I had to fact check a lot of this. I, I literally thought this was an SNL skit or this was some kind of like satire. It, 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 it's not. It, it looks like it's real life. And hey, just like uh, I said in the beginning of this broadcast, you definitely have all the three Bs here. Bold, brave, and beautiful. And with society on the brink of collapse, why not just blow it all up? That's probably what a lot of people at the U.S. Pentagon and military-industrial complex are probably thinking right now, because that's the only way you can really justify their latest actions. This, as just moments ago, Iran was attacked inside of their own territory, specifically going after a number of weapons and drone factories inside of that country, with many reports coming in right now that these were the same factories that were supplying Russia with some very needed ammunition and military drone missile technology. This, as the Wall Street Journal was reporting, that it was Israel that launched these airstrikes inside of Iranian territory. This, as a lot of people are pointing to the fact that it wasn't Israel just acting alone here, with most likely the involvement of the United States here. And with these unidentified attacks, especially on military targets inside of another country, this signals some very troubling times ahead of us that should be absolutely worrying a lot of people. This, as reporter Michael Tracy points out, that this bombing that happened in Iran just moments ago came immediately after the United States and Israel just held their largest ever joint military exercise, which specifically was there to, quote, send a message to Iran, highlighting how, again, many military exercises become real life. This, as other people are reporting, that Azerbaijan was the one that also cooperated with this larger military operation operation inside of Iran that is also seen as a foe to Iran that is currently on the side of Armenia in the larger conflict that is happening right now between Azerbaijan and Armenia. Yes, there's another war there that, again, there's there's very, very little talk about, especially on the U.S. corporate media, that, that we should be talking about. This as Saudi Arabia is, of course, cheering on this latest military strike in action in Iran, which could spark a global war, with Saudi Arabian government officials announcing that this attack 
was carried out by a drone strike that was, quote, meant to send a message to both Iran and Russia. This has, of course, a lot of military equipment, drones, armaments are being used in Ukraine right now, where even the head of the NATO military committee just came out and said that NATO is ready for a direct confrontation with Russia, but NATO member allies need to, quote, rearm, as, of course, there have been a significant amount of bombs, bullets, weaponry, and technology sent to to Ukraine, which even according to some U.S. military analysts, is desperately running dry supplies here, even in the United States, a country that of course spends more on its military than almost any other country in the world, with many other, other countries even combined. All of this, as of course there's a lot of rumors of Belarus possibly invading Ukraine from the north, China is of course actively standing by as well, and with this latest attack on Iran, one of their major trading partners in the region, this high highlights a very peculiar situation for China that also is closely aligned with Ukraine as well, specifically through their business partnership and deals, which looks like BlackRock is about to take away from them under their nose. This as today, also, an Air Force general came out and predicted that the United States will be in a war with China by 2025, highlighting the absurdity of this situation, as of course a lot of people should be asking themselves, why in the hell are we doing this? Who, who benefits from all of this? Why are we moving forward in this direction? Why are we becoming more aggressive? Who really benefits from these wars? What's really at stake here? And I think we should reevaluate all of those things right now more than ever as this situation could escalate out of hand very quickly. And there's a lot of things at stake here that should be obviously considered right away. We should at least have the conversations. We should at least try to de-escalate here. And the exact opposite of that is happening as, of course, the president of Ukraine has just ruled out, quote, peace talks with Vladimir Putin. This as Western leaders like France keep promising more and more military hardware, including even fighter jets, as even the RAND Corporation, the Pentagon's own in-house think tank, came out and released a report just recently that is urging Washington, D.C. to, quote, get the hell out of Dodge in Ukraine, as they specifically detailed, quote, how U.S. interests would be best served by avoiding a protracted conflict and cost and risk of a long war outweigh the possible benefits. And even when the Rand Corporation, an industry, and a think tank that clearly has always called for more war is saying, hey, we should try to limit war here. I think we should listen. But hey, before the nuclear apocalypse, let's just make sure that uh, you get a shirt on thebestpoliticalshirts.com. Of course, we are not done here, as of course there has been also a very tumultuous domestic moment here in the United States over the weekend, as of course a large portion of this country was on edge expecting riots that of course the corporate media was calling on for and egging for through their coverage of a very horrible event that happened in Memphis, Tennessee, where police officers there literally beat a man to death. This as the local government there released the footage on a Friday night. And even though there were some incidences of businesses getting broken into, specifically a liquor store, one cop car getting a window smashed in in Times Square, New York, luckily a lot of people did listen to the family and overall there wasn't any kind of mass civil unrest or or a riot situation that so far that we know of 
didn't hurt more people. From my understanding of it, I think we should always be critical of the state, especially when it comes to a lot of people in authority abusing the authority that they were given and granted. That many times goes unchecked, and with the lack of accountability, you create tragic situations like the innocent family in Memphis had to deal with as they watched their loved one be brutally beat on camera by ruthless thugs that were wearing a uniform and felt justified to do so because of the authority granted to them by the state. And this video was was disgusting. We're not going to be showing any, any, any parts of these videos. It is horrific in itself. And even though it was black police officers beating a black man, still many horribly corrupted news organizations, even if you could call them that, like CNN, decided not to point out the obvious here and talk about how essentially the state is acting like a gang here. All of this as of course they cheer on more state power. What they decided to do is try to play race politics in all of this, openly declaring that the five black officers who beat up and killed a black man were somehow driven by racism. Yes, this is an actual CNN opinion headline that of course they changed and reworded after being heavily criticized for doing so because it's absolutely absurd and for CNN to try to get involved in this discourse here and try to of course create a situation that's going to be worse off for race relations in this country in order to generate clicks and advertisement revenue for themselves is absolutely repugnant and disgusting. And their media coverage of this is sick and sinister and obviously was pouring gas on the larger fire of discontent in this country when I, I think we should be having a real conversation about what actually happened here, which has a lot of its roots to wokeness this says of course there's this local news report from memphis in 2020 that seems to, to to point to some of the larger issues at hand here that that could have caused a lot of this insanity in the first place here here's the news clip without any kind of commentary over it black and hispanic officers use force far less frequently than white male officers problem is like you said few people of color want to be police officers so a new look to the police force is going to take a new approach to targeting, acquiring, and training cops of color. There are so many factors that contribute to the decline of people going into this particular profession. Um, and all of those things cannot be really answered. In Hiring events, commercials. You consider becoming a Memphis police officer. Flyers. The city of Memphis, like police departments across the country, is pulling out all the stops to try and recruit new officers. Yeah, so in the name of wokeness and, quote, more diversity, less brutality, they lowered their hiring standards and then hired individuals that weren't qualified for the job, including one of the Memphis police officers that was accused of abusing and beating up prison inmates. Yes, you heard that correctly how is someone like that able to be hired well you just lower the hiring standards and you hire people based on their skin color rather than their actual qualifications so a person that would be more qualified would be a better police officer is of course not hired over someone in order to fill a diversity quota highlighting once again the problem of diversity hiring hiring people based on skin color rather than merit and then people complain hey why why aren't they doing their job right well, it's, well, it's maybe because they probably shouldn't have the job in the first place. Now, again, the, the whole the whole questioning of policing is, is an entire conundrum in itself. But we are hearing 
that these five charged officers were actually hired through the city and not through the usual police department hiring process, bypassing, of course, testing procedures. Now, whether that's true or not, I haven't been able to independently verify that. I think the more we go on, the more we're going to find out about this case. And I think we should be fully investigating it in order to find out exactly what happened here, who was responsible, and what led to this incredulous situation where people with clear abuse records were allowed to be police officers. Now, again, what happened here is, is sick and disgusting, and I think... We need to really investigate what really happened here. This has a lot of this wokeness has had an overall very negative effect on society as of course a lot of crimes are prosecuted based on people's political ideology and belief. If you believe something that a woke district attorney believes, you're, you're, you'll probably be let go right away. But if you have ideas that are contrary on the political spectrum to those of the woke DA, well, you're going to solitary Rikers and probably going to be in jail for a very long time. This, as a woke Manhattan DA, is now releasing individuals without bail for punching police officers in the face. This, as I think it's fair to say, we are seeing the over-politicization of policing based on woke standards that obviously make the situation that much worse for everyone else. Now, there's a lot of goobers and a lot of soy boys going along, or soy girls going along with a lot of this utter nonsense and insanity, and I think, first of all, let's figure out what in the hell happened here, who is responsible here, how were these people hired, what led to this travesty of injustice, and then let's kind of make the decision here. I think that should be the rational thing to, to, to go on here, rather than, of course, have the crazy people at CNN trying to speculate some kind of race motive even though the situation is clearly not not race related again what do you think really happened here did you think the argument that i made here makes sense do you think it's true if you do let me know down in the comment section tragic events that don't have to go on and shouldn't have happened but at least in this case the footage got released the policemen were fired they were incarcerated and maybe law is going to prevail can you bring back that young man's life no, you can't. So tragic events, that's bad enough. But when the media goes and hyperbolizes or ill frames it, frames it in a disingenuous way to the actual reality, that's not helping the situation either. And then they put people in the middle, people who get emotionally involved before they get the facts of the matter, and then they take action and then you have calamity and we don't need more calamity. We've had plenty of calamity the past couple of years. What we need to do is have a stricter, uh, reasonable standard for journalism and also for uh, equal justice under the law. When you have people commit one crime and they get four years or 10 years or 20 years, and you get the same crime over here and it's four months just because of a political party type of thing. That's not freedom. And if one side uh, is not free, the other side's not going to be free either. So let's help abolish this type of mental slavery of the weak audience that accepts that ill journalism in the first place and take the ratings to the people who are actually getting in the middle of these things, reading the documents, bringing you actual factual news for your consideration and not trying to propagandize you into a particular uh, persuasion. All right. So uh, do we have Christy Lee for this week? Indeed, we do. All right, so let's go to this week's uh, Media Malfeasance with Christy Lee, and then we'll be back to, uh, to start digging deep into some of these stories from this week. A judge approves the body cam footage of the Paul Pelosi attack be released to the public. Hi. Hey guys. How you doing? How are you? What's going on, man? Everything's good. 
Hi. Drop the hammer. Um, nope. Hey, 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 hey. What is going on Remember when NBC News removed this story about Paul Pelosi and suspended the reporter? Luckily, I had saved it. After a knock and announce, the front door was opened by Mr. Pelosi. The 82-year-old did not immediately declare an emergency or tried to leave his home. So how is that account different than what we can see now? Why did the network remove it? Who demanded action be taken to memory hole the Pelosi attack story? Yet another attempt by network news to control the narrative. And cable providers follow suit. DirecTV now gives Newsmax the axe after dropping OAN less than a year ago. That's weird. Democratic reps on the House Energy and Commerce Committee wrote DirecTV and other providers in February of 2021, urging the company to drop Newsmax, Fox News, and OAN. So two down and one to go? Only one side must be allowed in our corporate-controlled Pravda. Oh, and only certain words. It's been a word war, redefining them, reimagining them, or eliminating some altogether. Now even the word the is offensive. AP Stylebook posted to avoid using the labels such as the poor, the mentally ill, the French, and so on. And then followed up by apologizing for the use of the French as an example. Elon Musk then aptly asks, so then why do you call yourself the Associated Press? Oh, and they certainly didn't have issue with the pandemic of the unvaccinated narrative. Here's an AP headline. U.S. employers ratchet up pressure on the unvaccinated. Vice is mocked this week for this photo. It's a featured photo for an article about drug kingpin El Chapo's son's compound after Mexican security forces arrested him. Damon Toll tells the bigger story hidden in Vice's report is that they're coming after El Chapo's son with futuristic weapons that somehow fire an entire bullet, casing and all. Hodge Twins ask if the reporter put the unfired bullet in the hole and say, this is an example of why no one trusts the media anymore. Oh, but there's plenty of examples, bringing you what's ignored, sensationalized, misleading, or just plain false. This is your media malfeasance for the week. Speaking of fake news, remember when supposed mainstream media said El Salvador would default on its debt because of its investment in Bitcoin? New York Times, a poor country made Bitcoin a national currency. The bet isn't paying off. WAPO wrote a similar article, and whoops, Gateway Pundit reports they didn't default. In fact, El Salvador president says it's paying out the $800 million bond in full, with interest, as he mocks the media, saying they lie and lie and lie, and when their lies are exposed, they go on silence mode. But is it any wonder we get this kind of coverage when there's a master puppeteer in the background? New York Post, how George Soros co-ops the media and keeps criticism down. The article details the connections between the highest profile media figures and Soros due to them sitting on boards of organizations he funds. It says it allows him to push his radical left agenda through the media and his puppets shield him from criticism by labeling any scrutiny as anti-Semitism. Is Soros behind the riots riddled across our country as well? Behind fanning the flames of racial tensions? After a video is released of police brutally beating 29-year-old Tyree Nichols, a black driver who was pulled over for allegedly driving recklessly, legacy media starts whipping up a race narrative. All five officers accused of the deadly attack are of the same race as the victim. Yet somehow, white supremacy is still to blame. 
CNN, the police who killed Tyree Nichols were black, but they might still have been driven by racism. The Independent, pointing out that the officers involved in Tyree Nichols' death were black is a dangerous distraction. Yes, don't let that keep you from still claiming this was racially motivated in some way. Atlantic contributor Jamel Hill is also blaming white people for this black-on-black violence, saying the entire system of policing is based on white supremacist violence. We see people under the boot of oppression carry its water all the time. So have we circled back to defund the police after the Biden administration has honored Capitol Police, like Lieutenant Michael Byrd, who killed an unarmed January 6th protester, or after hiding January 6th video of another victim, Roseanne Boyland, who died on the steps of the U.S. Capitol after witnesses say a police officer had just been seen beating Roseanne to a pulp with a stick? Media coverage sensationalizes what it wants you to condemn and downplays other violence. They call people just walking around inside the Capitol like tourists a violent armed insurrection. And they call this Antifa-involved protest in Atlanta mostly peaceful. And if you take a look over here, if you pan over, I want to show you, this is what they were handing out at that protest. So it was a largely peaceful protest. This CNN contributor gaslights and tries redefining the word violent. I think that there's a real blurring of the lines in, in, in the use of the word violence. Is property destruction violence? Um, to some people, it certainly is. Um, but, you know, th- this idea that breaking windows or, or, or other acts of property destruction are the same as uh, actual violence against humans, uh, is, it, it, it's, it's kind of a dangerous and, and slippery Concept. If the coverage isn't being manipulated, it's just plain covered up. YouTube removes Project Veritas's latest bombshell, showing a Pfizer exec's remarks on mutating viruses. Daily Mail and MSN publish articles about the undercover video and then remove them, according to humanevents.com. Pfizer does end up responding to the claims made in the video by denying them late Friday night, but the statement does not deny the subject of the video works for the company. To wrap this up, another Twitter Files thread this week, authored by Matt Taibbi, covers the media's efforts to push the Russia hoax. And you really can't make this stuff up anymore. Hey, Kettle, meet Pot. The ex-top FBI agent who investigated Trump for ties to Russia was arrested over alleged ties to Russia, according to the New York Post. Charles McGonigal was charged with money laundering and violating U.S. sanction law. The Wall Street Journal mocks the twist of events, saying... James Comey might have been right about Russia collusion after all. But instead of the Trump campaign, the alleged culprit was a member of Mr. Comey's own team at the FBI. I'm Christy Lee, and that's your media malfeasance for the week. Please help me push past the hammer of reduced distribution by giving this a like or comment and sharing widely. Look for Christy Lee TV on your favorite alternatives and keep connected at KLIM.news. So we're going to keep the hammer time puns to a minimum. She she already had one in there at the end. This hammer situation is troubling because as we're going to take a look at, there's break in footage of uh, David DePap kind of casing the back, right? And getting into the place. And then by the time you see the body cam footage, maybe a half hour has elapsed. And uh, when the body cam footage comes on, it's them opening the door. Now, if Pelosi's got a drink in one hand, a hammer in the other, DePap has two hands on a hammer. 
who opened the door? How'd that work out? Is there a shelf beside the door that Pelosi put his drink on? And if he did set his drink down, open the door, pick his drink back up. That's pretty dexterous. He can't be too inebriated to be able to do that move and not drop the drink. Right. But it seems like when the police say drop the hammer, Pelosi lets go of the hammer and DePap whacks him with the hammer. So maybe misinterpretation of police instruction had something to do uh, with what we're about to see as well. LD, were you able to find the unedited footage? I know a lot of people cover it and they show clips, but I haven't seen the entirety of either of the clips. I've only seen little parts of it. I feel like I'm looking like this. for it. Um, it's hard to see who's got uh, Who, who's got the unedited, the un, unedited stuff. Help like, you. Where, yeah. yeah. Where's the source clip of such things? Maybe the police department had published it or, you know, we see uh, the, the coverage of these things. Now, there were several police who were there and they turned the flashlight on after the door opens. And that's polite. You know, you don't want to just shine the light on people unless there's something going on. But once action starts, they turn their light on. And then uh, it looked like, I don't know, it looks like there's a struggle there that's not in action, but was in action right before they opened the door. I think I've got it's it just, from the uh, South China Morning Post. If it, it's forty-five seconds, but that's all, right, all it cool. is. And then, and then Joshua has the backdoor footage in production. Show. Yeah, I have that. Yeah, but I was able to find that backdoor. It's like six minutes long of him just like casing the place. The backdoor right. footage, you say? Well, let's go to the backdoor. <laughs> Pelosi's backdoor footage. Right. Is this uh, <laughs> just, just sort of cam cam girls type thing? I'm just. Yeah, just making sure we're on the same page. Yeah, we want to see uh, how it started, then we'll see how it finished. Let's go to the backdoor security <laughs> yeah, footage. The hammer. Backdoor security the back door, footage. You know. There's no way to say it without laughing. Oh, I hope uh, we don't see how it finished. Of the situation. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I've got these two. Let's let's have a look. If all you bring to a party is a hammer, something's going to get nailed. There you go. Include scenes which may be disturbing. Yeah, there's there's no audio for our listeners, but we see. Uh, and what looks oh, like snow is probably bugs Hi. around the light. How you doing? How are you? What's going on, man? Everything's good. Hi. Hi. Drop the hammer. Um, nope. Hey, 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 hey. What is Sorry, going on right now? Oh, that's the teaser for South. Oh, that's the whole video. Okay. So what yeah. looked like a teaser. All right. So uh, the, the pap does say no. And then Pelosi's like, dude, give up the hammer. And yeah. Okay. So we don't need six minutes of him casing the back. It looks like there's yeah. footage of him breaking the window and trying hard for a while to get in, which would uh, normally set off alarms alert the homeowner some sort of self-defense situation so well, they have private security as part of being a you know a senator or congressman in this case nancy well, Pelosi. I also, being yeah a, i also thought that when i heard the so, do we do we play the 911 call last week or maybe i heard it in this past week but listening to the whole 911 call is also weird i mean uh he he sounds in part of it like maybe he's a hostage but then when they're like, do you need help or should we send anything? He's like, I don't know. Yeah, I think um, Congress people have access to it's not Capitol Police, but some sort of private security. Well, he asks for detail. Capitol Police. They ask for and Capitol like, Police. No, this but, is SFPD. 
Yes, okay. Because maybe, oh, maybe he's got oh, somebody wow. with the Capitol Police that usually handles his situations when stuff Correct. goes on, right? right. That's know. very strange, actually, now that I think about it. He's probably used to dealing with that. Yeah, it's this whole situation is just like piecemeal evidence that it's almost like they're trying to get us to string together a conclusion that seems to be consistent with the evidence, but still has so many holes in the act. Yeah, I mean, he's got a bag door. and a backpack. And he's not stumbling. He was walking up like he had purpose right there. And then he puts yeah. gloves on. And what he didn't do is look where the security cameras were. Right. <laughs> didn't even try. Yeah, he's not. It's not even a thing. It's not even wearing a mask. Like it's to try to conceal his face in some capacity, but he's putting gloves on. This is all very well. Glass is sharp, Tony. Yeah, those he, he's smart enough. Final gloves are sharp. definitely gonna final latex gloves definitely gonna have you know protect him when he smashes it with his hammer in the back door. Now where where's the hammer? Does he have to go to a bag to get it? No, he has something. He's got something. Oh, there oh, there's, 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 yeah. there's the hammer yeah. action. Okay. Hammer bro. In, in what crime, anything, have you ever seen this go on? <laughs> I've watched a lot of crime shows. <laughs> What's going on, dude? I just, I'm it sorry he Darwin broke Award. in and that Mr. Pelosi got hurt. But this right here, it, this is like next on unsuccess, unsuccessful burglars. <laughs> Like oh, anywhere where I grew up, hundred percent. As soon as that foot came through the door, it would have been pow pow. Right, right, one thousand percent. So that was a lot of breaking in sounds. I don't know how big their house is, but if you're home alone and you know you are scared of someone breaking in, and you're yeah, might eighty some years old. Like get your phone, go to the bathroom, and call nine one one and well, say you question- need help. 30 minutes goes by. He climbed After through the glass. He... Like you saw it. He had to get cut up climbing through the glass like that too. Right. That's good. That's exactly. clearly safety glass or some sort of plexiglass, yeah. hurricane proof, storm yeah. glass, right? That was not an easy chore for him to get in that in through that window. And supposedly, I, I thought Chris, he mentioned that he had been in there for about 30 minutes or something. Like there was, it wasn't, it doesn't seem like he had his pocket stuff full of diamonds or something, you know, a congresswoman's, uh, Jewelry. In other words, like what was he there doing for 30 minutes? If that's the case, maybe I misunderstood, but from Christie, it sounded like he had been in the building then after breaking in for an extended period of time. And then they answered the door in a very sort of strange circumstance where it seems like he has a drink in his hand, but he, you know, someone had to open the door. It looks like Pelosi is closer. Paul Pelosi is closer to the door. He opens it. And then obviously they, he has a hand on the hammer. Yeah. I mean, normally and I would have this. Like if it's just a not Paul Pelosi situation, I would probably feel differently. But he had just been busted a month or two before with that right. DUI crash with both sides, airbags gone off. But he's the only one in the car at three in his Porsche at three in the morning and his wife's on the other side of the country. And like, dude, what, what what's going on there? So there's extracurricular late night activities going on with that that gentleman in the first place right so that's, that's why the story became interesting and became you know something but, but they they knew as soon as it happened the police knew what happened they were there right and then a little squeak of journalism got out there and they got rid of that reporter right away we're like you know they're like they're, we don't let that narrative out right now exactly they're, they're now time out. has passed and people are like ah oh, whatever yeah, well that, they take the air out of it yeah they take the air out of it and they give you again this sort of piecemeal evidence which is like 
I don't know. There's so much still missing in context as to what if if Christy, if I understood her correctly, there's all that time inside the house. Doesn't seem like he was stealing items. Doesn't seem like he had anything on his person except for a hammer and being with uh, Mr. Pelosi. Or yeah, it didn't even look so. like he got to take his bags of stuff inside because he had to crawl through that hole. Right. And then right. once he crawled through that hole with that hammer, that was probably it. And he was inside the rest of the time. Yeah, it just the whole thing just there's still a lot of questions and not a lot of answers, but they're sort of giving people just enough evidence that the story's cooled down. There's more quote unquote exciting or disturbing news out there. So now they're just giving, you know, look, here's body cam footage and it it pretty much plays into support of the narrative we're trying to draw up for the public to come to their conclusion. It's a very clever way of gaslighting people because it's giving people a sense in, in a different way. It's sort of analogical to the idea of gaslighting insofar as you're giving people the steps by which they can arrive at their own conclusions, quote unquote. But really, that conclusion is being premeditated beforehand by getting people to build sort of their own straw man around the disparate pieces of evidence they're actually giving uh, the public. It's very clever, especially at a time when the story itself has died down. So there's not as much sort of national vigor around it in regard national discussion around it as much. And now that you know Nancy's no longer a speaker, and you know, yeah, and down. they complain about people with conspiracy theories about the whole thing. And I have seen some pretty wild and crazy, you know, takes on it and these sort of things. But that is the nature of what happens when they come out and say something big has happened like that. Right. And then they don't show you the evidence for weeks or months or years. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to say there's, I'm not going to offer a theory or even speculation. I'm just going to point out to the audience. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of consistent, we can't full, we can't draw uh, really substantial conclusions based on the evidence they've given us. So the best conclusion to draw is just to be skeptical, you know, to, just to be skeptical and wait to see if any more information maybe leaks out that they do or don't want to leak out. So, but the other trend you notice with this story juxtaposed to the one we just covered is the media has a narrative. It's like the square peg in a round hole. Mm -hmm. So in that last one, the racism doesn't matter about the color, you know, color of the officers who did it. It's still racism. Yeah. Dangerous right? distraction was the term. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, well, it's in this case, it didn't matter what DePap was up to and that he's a Canadian who was there living a hippie lifestyle and, and doing whatever they framed that immediately as I was a far right. It's a conservative. Correct. Right. The so they don't, they don't ever need, so it's, they get to, they get to the, the trough first because they don't have to do any research. They already have their predetermined answers. Right. It's yeah. like if you were going to go in and take a test and every answer is C, just, you know, that's, you don't have to study. Right. Well, it's nice that's, of postmodernism. You have a culturally sanctioned uh, ideology to which you can fit every single narrative into that usually has to do with some sort of victim mentality right. and play. Yeah. Lens of the victim. On the other side, you can see any CNN content you want. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the fact they tried to spin that as being uh, racism or some sort of white supremacy or some other nonsense like that, the, the Tyree murder, which is horrific. It just, there's actually a lot of other details. I mean, it's horrific and that should have never went. Well, I mean, I can happened, see CNN's but... point. You know, it might have had something to do with racism, the racism of changing the qualifications. So it was then based on skin color and not the character and skills sure. and experience of the individual. That was racist. That was racist. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Just one but of them dirty MAGA freaks. Nothing to see here. Equality of outcome versus equality of opportunity. So instead of giving people equal opportunity to be able to participate and see where the best come out on front or in, on top of their respective fields in which they're going into. <laughs> They decide to go for the racism of equality of outcome. It's like, oh, yeah, no, the equality you know, of outcome is guaranteed theft of other people's liberty. Yeah, well, 100%. In, instead of it's equality just doing through so cultural means. 
Right. Yeah. When you want to guarantee other people's outcome, it's just like in order to help people through the government, you have to tax people, you know, because government doesn't create nor destroy. Well, it does. It becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. It doesn't produce. It can only take. It literally reappropriates with the monopoly of force. Is that the short answer? There we go. It's publicly acceptable. I'm. I meant to say one of those dirty, uh, dirty. uh, QAnon freaks because any conspiracy theory <laughs> falls under the QAnon um, umbrella, and and that is you know that is the uh, Plato's form of a QAnon. I would like to say guy, I right? would like to see QAnon play Blue Anon like in some sort of sport or cage match. I would pay tickets to see that and eat some popcorn. It'll be the next bad guy in the the upcoming uh, James Bond series. You know, oh, this Blue-anon mag individual. It's going to be a Russian individual that's a MAGA guy that gets into QAnon. You watch QAnon. That's that's so passe. That's Mm -hmm. so that's so three years ago, man. Oh, it's not like they're very clever. I just gave them a script right there. I like my payment, Hollywood. I know you guys don't really use writers, or you're probably using ChatGPT, but it might not be too uh, might not might not be down with the whole cultural postmodernism thing you have going on. Might be a little too truthful. Have to shut down some of those gateways. Hey, I got uh, I got some Chat GPT here. That's a good <laughs> Playing segue. Around on the- that's good. That's good segue. <laughs> Tony didn't oh, even boy. know I had to sit in here, but let's let's see what it does here. Well, that's way too close. Let's go back out. All right, so I had a little conversation with the Chat GPT, and uh, technically, I did it with the Open AI Playground. Are you guys familiar with that? So it's like the one that's not censored. Because here's the evidence that it's not really censored. <laughs> I want I wanted to test to see. Now I am going to zoom in so you guys can see this more clearly. So I asked it. I said, uh, "Give me a 20 page summary of the history of the Club of Rome agenda and the World Economic Forum." I figured that was a good starting question. This is this is high uh, meet and greet AI, and let's see uh, let's see what it says. <laughs> Wait till you see the rest of these questions. They're quite perky. The Club of Rome is an international think tank founded in 1968 by Aurelio Pache and Alexander King. Its primary objective is to bring together global leaders from diverse backgrounds to address the most pressing problems facing humanity. The Club of Rome is best, Club of Rome is best known for its 1972 book, The Limits to Growth, which presented a computer model of the world economy that predicted the consequences of overpopulation resource depletion and environmental degradation in 1974 the club of rome held its first major international conference the global 2000 report to the president in washington dc the report was commissioned by u.s president jimmy carter who was uh he was handled by david rockefeller and zabinyi brzezinski that's how he got to be president and presented a comprehensive report on the current global environment its resources and its potential impact on human civilization well, this all sounds great doesn't it tony oh yeah we have the yeah. best interests in mind the club of rome has since become one of the most influential international organizations in the world with its stated mission being quote to promote awareness understanding and action on global issues end quote that's quite broad they didn't they just left it all open huh just a little ambiguous global issues the understanding of, action the, yeah, the on global Rome issues yeah. works with governments international organizations think tanks and non-governmental organizations to promote sustainable development economic growth and social justice social justice there we go social justice 
I said, please continue. You're doing well. So it does. It understands what I mean. <laughs> the World Economic Forum, because I, I also said World Economic Forum in my question. The World Economic Forum was founded in 1971 by Klaus Schwab. So it's, it's just a couple years after the Club of Rome. Uh, Schwab, a German economist. It is an inter- independent international organization that works to improve the state of the world by engaging in business, political, academic, and other leaders of society to shape global, regional, and industry agendas. The World Economic Forum holds an annual meeting in Davos, Switzerland, to discuss some of the most pressing issues facing the global community. Oh, global community, right? This same, a very similar agenda. Global so problems have- in the first part of it when the Club of Rome, now it's a global community with the World Economic Forum. I see a pattern. The Club of Rome and the World Economic Forum collaborate on various initiatives, such as the Global Agenda Councils and the Global Risk Report. The Global Agenda Councils are networks of experts who come together to identify and discuss global challenges and formulate solutions. The Global Risk Report is an annual publication that provides comprehensive overview of the risks facing the world today. Now they call it a polycrisis. A lot of people would stop there. But I said, no, let's keep going. <laughs> oh, man. The Club of Rome and the World Economic Forum also work together to promote sustainability and develop global strategies to address global issues. The two organizations have collaborated on projects such as Global Futures Councils, which focuses on long-term policy solutions for global issues, and the Global Challenge Initiative, which focuses on addressing global and environmental and economic challenges. Say global again. All right. The World Economic Forum and Club of Rome have been instrumental in raising awareness and bringing attention to important global issues, such as the need for sustainable development and stakeholder capitalism. I said, please continue. The Club of Rome, and the I'm, I'm laying something out here. Does this, it this stop? This is like Perry does Mason. Does it stop episode. or something? And it, it does. Like it stops after, after a while. It's like you know, if you're happy, it'll you know, chill. I see. And if you ask it for more, it'll just keep giving you more. Okay. The World Economic Forum and Club of Rome have been instrumental in raising awareness. Okay, good. We got that part. Now, I asked it, what are their goals on population control and classifying humanity as the problem? Because <laughs> I know the answer to this. I wanted to see what it knows. The Club of Rome and the World Economic Forum have not explicitly stated any goals on population control. However, the two organizations have spoken out on the need to address global population growth, given its potential impacts on the environment, resources, and sustainability. They also have highlighted the need to promote responsible population policies that are inclusive and equitable. So it's like, I see what you're trying to ask me and I don't want to get in trouble. So it tells me that, right? In terms of classifying humanity as the problem, both organizations emphasize the need to address global issues from a holistic perspective, taking into account the complex interplay of economic, social, political, and environmental factors. They also emphasize the need for global understanding of the interconnections of these issues and how solutions must be found that are sustainable and equitable. And then I said, what is the relationship of the Club of Rome with the population bomb by Paul Ehrlich? The Club of Rome is not directly affiliated with Paul Ehrlich's book, The Population Bomb. However, the two, cer- the two share certain, cer- certain similar views in regards to population growth and its impacts on the environment, resources, and sustainability. The Club of Rome has acknowledged the book as an important contribution to the discussion on population growth and its implication as members have cited it in their work. Okay. Then I went back in time. I said, how was eugenics rebranded after World War II? Oh, 
After World War II, the term eugenics was largely abandoned in favor of the more politically acceptable terms such as genetic engineering and population control. Huh. The focus of these new approaches shifted away from the idea of improving the human race by controlling reproduction and instead focused on the more immediate goals of improving global health and economic development. In addition, so it just said, improving global health and economic development is how they rebranded eugenics. In addition, the idea of genetic engineering became increasingly popular as scientists developed new technologies that allowed for the manipulation of genetic material. This rebranding of eugenics allowed for the continued pursuit of population control goals without the stigma associated with the term eugenics. Interesting. Pretty good answer. Because the paragraph before was a lot of gobbledygook, a lot of sort of. uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's only so much you can do with their bullshit mission statements. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, they're drawing from the mission statements or Wikipedia's or whatever. I said, "Who is Professor Lily Kay from MIT, and what was her work on Rockefeller, Caltech, and the new biology?" This says Lily Kay is a professor of science and technology and studies at MIT. Her research focuses on history and sociology. So it goes through. And I said, summarize her book chapter by chapter. And I have her book, and I thought these are pretty good summaries of her book. And then, what were her conclusions? Professor Lily Kay's book, The Molecular Vision of Life, Caltech, the Rockefeller Foundation, and the rise of the new biology, right? It's not eugenics anymore. It's the new biology, concludes that the new biology has had a profound effect on our understanding of life, its evolution, and implications for society. She argues that the new biology has revolutionized the way diseases are understood and treated and has the potential to revolutionize medicine in the future. And then I said, does she discuss gain-of-function work? Yes, Professor Lily Kay discusses gain-of-function work in her book, The Molecular Vision of Life, Caltech, Rockefeller Foundation, and the Rise of New Biology. She notes that gain-of-function work, which involves manipulating genetic material in order to introduce new traits or abilities, has been a controversial topic due to its potential implications for ethical, legal, and social issues. She argues that it is important to discuss these implications in order to ensure that the potential of the new biology is realized in a responsible and ethical way. Oh, that's interesting. I wonder if that responsible and ethical way has to do with her population control, which is rebranded eugenics. What is the relationship between gain of function and biowarfare, bioweapons research? There is a potential relationship between gain of function work and bioweapons research. Gain of function work involves manipulating genetic material in order to introduce new traits or abilities. And this could potentially be used to create a more virulent huh, or resistant huh, strains of pathogens. This is, that's very interesting. As such, there is a potential risk that gain-of-function research could be used for bioweapons development. This is why it's important to ensure that any gain-of-function research is closely monitored and regulated to ensure that it is not used for malicious purposes. And then I asked it, who funded the BSL-4 Wuhan lab? Now, this data set it's drawing from is frozen in 2020, so it doesn't really have COVID or all the censorship that comes after it. So it's fun to ask these questions. The BSL-4 lab in Wuhan, China, was funded by the Chinese Academy of Sciences. The lab was established in 2015 with the goal of researching the most dangerous pathogens, such as those that cause Ebola and SARS. The lab is the only BSL-4 lab in China and one of only a few such labs in the world. The lab has been at the center of controversy surrounding its potential role in the origin of COVID-19 pandemic, even back then. And then I asked, what is the relationship between EcoHealth Alliance and DARPA? 
Oh, it's got juicy answers. The Eco Health Alliance and DARPA, Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, have a collaborative relationship. Eco Health Alliance has been funded by DARPA to conduct research on emerging infectious diseases with a focus on developing better ways to detect and respond to disease outbreaks. Eco Health Alliance has received funding from DARPA since 2011 and has collaborated with the agency on various projects, such as the PREDICT project, which aims to improve global surveillance and response to emerging infectious diseases. And then I said, How much? DARPA funding has EcoHealth received. EcoHealth Alliance has received approximately $50 million in funding from DARPA since 2011. This funding has been used to support the Alliance's research on emerging infectious diseases, as well as its development of technologies to improve global surveillance and response to disease outbreaks. And then I asked it, what's the relationship between DARPA and Moderna? Ooh, doggies. No one said, don't say anything, so it says stuff. DARPA and Moderna have a collaborative relationship. DARPA has funded Moderna to develop mRNA vaccines that are faster and more reliable than traditional vaccines. Moderna has received approximately $483 million from DARPA since 2015 and has collaborated with the agency on various projects, such as the mRNA Vaccines for Infectious Diseases program, which aims to develop vaccines for infectious diseases. Then I asked this question, what projects reflect DARPA's interest in mRNA and when did such interest begin? DARPA's interest in messenger RNA began in 2015 with the launch of the mRNA vaccines for infectious diseases program. This program funded Moderna to develop mRNA vaccines that are faster and more reliable than traditional vaccines. Since then, DARPA has funded several other projects related to mRNA, such as the mRNA Therapeutics and Rare Diseases Program, which is focused on developing treatments on rare genetic diseases, and the mRNA Immunotherapy Program, which is focused on developing mRNA-based treatments for cancer and infectious diseases. When did BARDA become interested in mRNA? The Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority, BARDA, became interested in mRNA in 2017 when it launched the mRNA Therapeutics and Rare Diseases Program. This program focused on the developing mRNA-based treatments for rare genetic diseases. BARDA has since funded several other projects related to mRNA, such as the mRNA Immunotherapy Program, which is focused on developing mRNA-based treatments for cancer and infectious diseases. When did the Pentagon pandemic planning document include a novel coronavirus? Now, this one, I thought I was going to stump it. The Pentagon began pandemic planning that included a novel coronavirus in 2018. I was like, you got it right. That's pretty good. This, because it wasn't in 2009. That's my point. And it knows that. That seems pretty legit. This was part of the 2018 National Defense Authorization Act, which required the Department of Defense to create a pandemic response that included strategies for responding to the emergence of a novel coronavirus. The plan was subsequently updated in 2019 to include measures for responding to a novel coronavirus pandemic. So they got this planning document done right before the thing happens. These guys are really good. If they were late, just think of what would happen if we had no plan for the pandemic, such as developing vaccines and treatments, improving improving global surveillance and response capabilities, and preparing for the potential economic interests of pandemic. Now, here's another question. Why was a novel coronavirus 
not used in the pandemic, uh, Pentagon pandemic planning document of 2009. What do you think it's going to say, Tony? Uh, it probably is going to say it maybe was a part of the initial consideration. Survey but says maybe scrapped it. The Pentagon pandemic pan, pandemic uh, planning document hmm. of 2009 did not include a novel coronavirus because such viruses had not yet been identified. Huh. At the time, the only known coronaviruses were the ones that caused common colds, which had been identified decades earlier. It was not until 2019 that a novel coronavirus SARS-CoV-2, a virus that causes COVID-19, was identified. And then I just simply asked who patented it. The patent for SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, belongs to the Chinese Academy of Sciences. Oh, the people who built the lab own the patent. That makes sense. <laughs> well, they're the ones who funded the building of the lab, which was done by Biomilieu that we yeah. went over a couple of years. Yeah. The patent was filed in 2020 and covers the use of the virus for research and diagnostic purposes. So that's as far as I went with that little experimental non-planned uh, you know, project of the open AI and where does it stand on globalism and well, does the, it understand it's being used by them? The point about the 50 million to eco health alliance. It's interesting because I'm going to replay it, but that's about the half a billion 18, to Moderna. Right. All right. Cause I mean, that was the big issue is like, there seems to be all these, this grant money from DARPA itself going directly to the Wuhan Institute of Virology, you know, not just the small grant from eco health alliance. So he may have set up a direct communication between the two in regards to, because like it sounds like DARPA was also funding EcoHealth Alliance at the same time funding the Wuhan Institute of Virology in the tunes of millions and millions of dollars. But what people focused on was a small amount, was it 250000 or some very small amount that went through EcoHealth that sort of raised red flags because he had uh, connections with uh, Peter Daszak, that is, had connections with Xi Zingli himself, herself and the Ralph Bat Lady, The Bat Lady, yeah. the Batman hanging out in the Bat Cave, doing all those Bat things. Truly an internet recording in progress sort of the science behind gain of function that's at the university of north carolina and then that's being through the moratorium in 2014 they build the lab in 2015 what a surprise 2017 moratoriums lifted and away they go 2019 you have the uh updating of the information regards to how to respond to a pandemic and the rest is history now if i was thinking ahead i would have pulled up the 2018 pandemic pentagon planning document and we could see that the only sure. thing that would cause the global shutdown because that's like the like the 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 royal flush for them like it's not it's not good enough of a disruption to just have a little epidemic someplace like what would trigger a worldwide shutdown and there was only one answer and that answer happened to be something that was newly discovered i guess prior to that there was no reason for a global shutdown of anything right but all, all right. of a sudden they, they got this thing on the shelf Fauci says the next president will face a pandemic of unprecedented proportion, like all this ominous stuff that right. comes also uh, from people who are working on this ominous stuff. It wasn't 2009 when the predict program when was that? there's, yeah, there's yeah, the, Andrew predict, Huff. the Andrew Huff talked about, and then program. there's DARPA preempt, which is the eco health uh, grant request that was leaked by the intercept and Pierre Omoyar's group over there at the intercept, the billionaires. Leak just enough so you think you know what's going on. That's the game. There we go. Predict. And this was started at launched in 2009. So there wouldn't have been a novel coronavirus then. I was thinking there should have. But that's when they started. That's when the money started to flow to come up using gain-of-function technology. And the way they insulated themselves is by 
stating that it's just for the purpose of developing vaccines. So it's the see how the pathway by which viruses can become virulent through animal to uh, human, you know, intermediary hosts, and then well, and therefore the they'd that- be supposedly ready, but there weren't any that have been developed or identified. And the only ones that have been identified are the ones that have been circulating for probably all of human history. The fact that it, it could not happen in nature, it 100% could not happen in nature right. because there are no humanized mice in nature. There are no ACE2 receptors on little mouse breathing apparatuses for this thing to adhere to. Right. So they, they, yeah. they did genetic engineering and an adaptation of mice in order to take this thing that was not going to catch with humans in order to make it catch with humans. And because nature wouldn't make it, they made a BSL four lab to do it in their paperwork says it through and through. Yeah. I mean, listen to this over 10 years. And this is USAID, which is a known CIA front. So this is just from the wiki, but it says from 2009 to 2019, Predict collected more than 140,000 biological samples from various animals, quote unquote, potential reservoirs, including potential over 10- things you could splice with, too. Those are potential prompts for gen- uh, for gain of function chimeras. Right. That's the whole rat G13, RATG13, yeah. where they took us, I think, another back coronavirus and then they were messing with it using chimeric um, functions with humanized mice of the ACE2 cell line, so forth and so on. 10,000 bats and 2,000 other mammals. Research teams of epidemiologists and wildlife veterinarians identified some 1,200 viruses with the potential to cause human disease and pandemics, including over 160 novel coronaviruses. So since 2009 to 2019, they were collecting virus samples from animals that they claimed had the potential to emerge as infective pathogens um, through zoonotic transmission. That's the claim. The virus hunting focused on quote, quote unquote, hot interfaces, areas with high biodiversity, dense human populations and environmental conditions that are conducive to the spread of the disease and where human animal interaction is high, predict worked in regions, including the Amazon basin, South and Southeast Asia and the Congo basin. The approach of virus hunting by predicting other agencies. Well, okay, it just goes into the criticism. Next on the virus hunters. 160. So since they began that, when you asked that question to ChatGPT, they've supposedly identified 160 novel coronaviruses, which basically means the way I would translate that is to say they've identified 160 other coronaviruses and other animal species that if you want to call them novel, just because they haven't been identified, sure, but they aren't novel in the sense of you're going to define novel coronaviruses as being something that's new to new and infectious to humans specifically that had not been identified. So there's sort of an equivocation on what a novel and yet coronavirus they planned is. For it in that and regard. it happened. Right. So unusual. Yeah, how, how convenient. <laughs> uh, so then they got $200 million in funding, it looks like, to get started. All right, and at some point later tonight, we're going to look at this guy, Guy oh, de Gigi. Rothschild. Because we were talking about Baron stuff. Philippe last night, but I didn't yeah. have that book upstairs, and we broke this book out. And then, uh, yeah, there's a couple other deep dive type things. We'll yeah, he showed me Baron. I have Baron's book right here. I'm going to go through that during the clips. Yeah, Guy's Baron Philippe is 10x the Guy de Rothschild. Yeah, I mean, they're the all first, interesting takes on their family history. The first thing I opened up was about how William of Hesse was freaking out about his money. And I yeah. was like, wow, you have this whole thing starred and highlighted. Darren Philippe part. de Rothschild, he tells one of the best. He's a good, he's a good. There's narrative. some things that I'm kind of most afraid to say. There's so. a lot in there. Yeah. Especially <laughs> these days. You, can, you can't just read books anymore. It's dangerous. Dangerous. Thought crimes, thought crimes. 
How dare you? How am I going to keep my money when by the people of, who made history? How dare you read memoirs? Yeah, there's some very juicy stuff here. A little bit incendiary. People want to uh, learn a bit more about the ball. That's in Guy's book as well. The famous ball they threw in the 1970s. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Rothschild mm-hmm. uh, 1972 dinner uh, masquerade party with yep. uh, with Chateau de Ferrier lit up in flames like it was burning. Burning and in hell. People had to thing. go through a purgatory to get into the party. Yeah, it's like a labyrinth right. just to enter. it. Yeah, right. Yeah. All right. So uh, other big stuff. stories. I was going to say the other big stories that we had this week are uh, Project Veritas. It'll yep. take a little bit of time to to go and sift through. So I guess in this situation, making a time capsule of the news that happened for the past week, uh, James O'Keefe for, from Project Veritas, he's got teams of people out there doing research. Somebody brought him back some footage and says, hey, we got a gotcha moment. He says, great, let's go do the confrontation video as he traditionally does. And in this case, ooh, there's a little fracas. It, was a little, it got physical. It wasn't just like Olivia Newton-John. Back in the early <laughs> 80s, these people got, this dude got physical and they, they're throwing stuff around and I was worried for the footage, but I already knew I was watching the footage. So it must have made it out of the room, but that's the danger. You do a confrontation video and you're not streaming. If that dude gets the camera, you got nothing and you're probably, you know, going to end up with the police there and all sorts of, you know, back and forth that you don't want to have. So you want to, you know, be able to, and it's hard for O'Keefe because there's not a lot of other journalistic agencies don't anything like that no no not by any means and some people consider it to be a bit unscrupulous but at the same time uh the state of the media almost requires sadly this sort of muckraker style journalism whereby which they have to act as if in order to be able to get honest information or if whether it's seemingly honest whether it's true is another story but at least some to some capacity some honest information out of high level high level executives because the media is a front for pharmaceutical companies and darpa and you know advertisers and so forth and so on so it's, and they it's used to do this the government on the evening itself. news like you, they used to you know, 40 50 years ago sure they would have like there's a local business owner and we're going to confront him tonight on channel 11 news what right? was the do- they were doing they were doing something they're running some mm-hmm. scam and that that you know people would call the news and all the, the news would kind of go out there's a behalf. whole tv show what was the tv show going out well there was the, to the catch predators the catch yeah. predators yeah, yeah. i mean it's not like this is something new. Good point. I mean, that's a very good right. Point. So people always seem like they're so surprised that there's somebody on a camera asking a question, like a reporter with a microphone and the other person's freaking out. Like, haven't we all seen these shows yet? Like <laughs> they actually lock O'Keefe in to this place. Really? So we're going to look at the footage uh, first and then we'll see the confrontation. But I just wanted to kind of frame it out for you, what you're going to see. And uh, again, we're not jumping to conclusions or making conclusions from this. We're saying this is a starting point for investigation and inquiry and that the person on screen who you'll see in the second video claims nothing he said in the first video was truthful. He might be telling the truth in that case, but it's hard to discern how not telling the truth would have helped his endeavor that night. So there's some things that don't make sense. And this is where we have to apply reason and logic and thinking to our observations and the evidence given to us at this time and we also have to understand that we don't need we don't need to reach a conclusion right now because we don't have all the evidence yet right but eventually right. if you want to understand a, a news story you're going to have to take in information over a period of time to come to a conclusion and it's not going to be like a one-time thing and there can be a situation as i mentioned earlier the, the individual might have been honest but maybe there's aspects of the truth about which he is being honest that maybe he got messed up or it, it seems unlikely considering he's an executive with this within that department that 
does that type of research but well you know let's watch the video so like the way aristotle said it was uh it's, you know it's consider possible to observe thing. something or consider something without becoming it sure right so that's what i'm asking the audience i'm like don't mm-hmm. become the the thing just just observe it and see what you think and then thinking can proceed after that exactly. so let's go ahead to we have the uh the first piece of the footage where it's like the undercover uh sting part and then we'll go to the confrontation second yes we do Thanks, right. thanks, Elon, because it is on Twitter and not on YouTube, right? It, yeah, there you go. Hmm. Wow. In this case, we can thank Elon. Yes, <laughs> but but later we'll have to kick him in the shin because I think yeah. he needs that. All right, our friend. Here we go. Pfizer ultimately is thinking about mutating COVID? Well, that is not what we say to the public. No. Don't tell anyone those people. You got to publish your own title. You got to publish your own title. We're exploring, like, no, you know how the virus keeps mutating? Yeah. Well, one of the things we're exploring is, like, why don't we just mutate it ourselves so we can preemptively develop new vaccines, right? So we have to do that. If we're going to do that, though, there's a risk of, like, as you could imagine, no one wants to be having a pharma company mutating fucking viruses. It'd be, like, very controlled to make sure that this virus that you mutate doesn't create something like you know it goes everywhere something crazy is the way that the virus started and moving on to be honest like it's, it makes no sense if this virus popped out of nowhere like yeah i know meet jordan tristan walker a director of research and development strategic oh. operations and mrna scientific planning at pfizer it sounds like gain of function to me i don't know it's a little bit different i think it's different it's like there's it's definitely not gain of function. It sounds like it is. I mean, it's okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. So directed evolution is very different. Yeah. Well, you're not supposed to do gain of function research with the viruses. Like, yeah. They recommend not. But you do like these like selected directional mutations to try to see if you can make more potent. Yeah. So there, there is research I'm going about that. I don't know how that's going to work. There might not be any more outbreaks. Just like Jesus Christ. The gentleman seems to have absolutely no moral compass at all. For all government officials, it's pretty good for the industry, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's bad for everyone else in America. Why is it bad for everybody else? Because if the regulators who have to approve our drugs know that once they stop being regulated, they want to work for the company, then I got to be as hard for the company. You know, if this is the quality of individuals within Pfizer that are making these huge decisions that a risk global public health it's profoundly corrupt what is pfizer doing i guess to optimize you know the vaccines now oh we actually have a meeting about that today so there's a lot really they're doing uh, i don't know if i should say this Our undercover journalist asked Walker how Pfizer is handling the fact that their COVID vaccines are ineffective against virus variants. What he said is disturbing. Listen to this. We're exploring, like, no, you know how the virus keeps mutating? Yeah. Well, one of the things we're exploring is, like, why don't we just mutate it ourselves so we can preemptively develop new vaccines, right? So we have to do that. If we're going to do that, though, there's a risk of, like, as you could imagine, no one wants to be having a pharma company mutating fucking viruses. Yeah. So okay. we're like, do we want to do this? So that's, like, one of the things we're considering. Okay. Like, the future, like, maybe we can, like, create new versions of the vaccines and things like that. Okay, so, so Pfizer ultimately 
is thinking about mutating COVID? Well, that is not what we say to the public. No. That's why it was, an, it was a thought that came up in a meeting, and we were like, why, why do we not? It was like, we're going to consider that. we more discussions. Okay. That's exactly actually, right? We're like, wait a minute. Like, people won't like that. That's right. It appears that Pfizer is internally discussing the possibility of mutating the COVID virus themselves in order to tailor a vaccine to sell to the public. Listen to Walker describe in detail just how they would conduct such a scientific experiment. First, in living animals. So the way that we're thinking about it, don't tell anyone what's going on. You got to publish your own title. You got to publish your own title, okay? <laughs> okay, bro. So um, the way it would work is like, we put them in the virus in these monkeys. Okay. And then we successively like cause them to keep infecting each other. And we collect serial samples from them. And then the ones that are more infectious, like the virus, we'll put them in another monkey and just constantly actively mutate it. That's one way. Okay. Or you can even do like directed like simulation, which like we and then you just sample what the different like um, like uh, proteins on the surface of the virus look like over time. Okay. So then you can see the mutation. Then you can have forces to mutate in a certain way you want. Okay. But you have to be like very controlled to make sure that this virus that you mutate doesn't create something that, like you know it goes everywhere. Something Which crazy. Is the way that the virus started in Wuhan. To be honest, like it's, it makes no sense if this virus popped out of nowhere. Like yeah, I know. COVID virus experimentation on live monkeys. This is unethical, to say the least, and Walker describes those experiments as if they are ongoing and not simply a hypothetical discussion. So, I mean, when is Pfizer going to implement the mutation of all these viruses? I don't know. It depends on how the experiments work out, because this is just like something we're trying, right? It sounds like gain of function to me. I don't know. It's a little bit different. I think it's different. It's like, there's... It's definitely not gain of function. It sounds like it is. I mean, it's okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, directed evolution is very different. <laughs> Direct evolution? Directed evolution. Directed evolution, okay. <laughs> well, so, I mean, is that what it is? Maybe. I, I, <laughs> well, you're not supposed to do gain function research with the viruses. Like, yeah. They recommend not. But you do, like, these, like, selected threshold mutations to try to see if you can make more potent. Yeah. So there, there is research I'm going about that. I don't know how that's going to work. There might not be any more outbreaks, because, like, Jesus Christ. So, um, tell me more, like, what's developing with the whole, you know, virus mutation process? Mm-hmm. Well, they're still kind of conducting the experiments on it, but... Uh, it seems like from what I've heard they're kind of optimizing it, but they're going slow because everyone's very cautious. Like, you know, right. that was the one I kind of accelerated too much. Yeah. Um, but I think they're also just trying to do it as an exploratory thing because you obviously don't want to advertise that you're trying to figure out future mutation. Okay, so did that, did the whole virus mutation thing like come from your executive, Sarah? No, 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 that came from, like, we have, like, chief scientific officers in, like, the other divisions. In a subsequent meeting, our undercover journalist asked if this type of -of gain-of-function research is already being studied at Pfizer. But no, as long as it's called directed evolution, Pfizer's in the clear. What's the goal for for Pfizer of doing that? So probably what they want to do is, like, to try to figure out, to some extent, try to figure out, like, you know, there's all these new strains of variants that just pop up. Why don't we try to like catch them before they pop up in nature, and we can develop a vaccine prophylactically for like new variants. Yeah. So that's why they're thinking like if you do it control the lab, then we say, oh, this is an epitope, and so then if it comes out later on, like in the public, we already have a vaccine kind of working on. Oh my God, that's perfect. Mm-hmm. Like, isn't that the, like the best business model though? Like, just control 
nature before nature even happens itself, right? Yeah, yeah. If it works. <laughs> what do you mean if it works? Because, like, some of the times, like, we just mutations that pop up, right? And we're not prepared for it. Like, with Delta or Omicron. Right. And things like that. So... Who knows? I mean, either way, it's going to be a cash cow. COVID will probably be a cash cow for us for a while going forward. Like, yeah. I obviously like <laughs> Well, I think the whole, you know, I think the whole, like, research of the viruses and mutating it, like, would be the ultimate, like, cash cow. Yeah. It'd be perfect. Now, you would think that creating viruses to sell the vaccine would be illegal. But no. The pharmaceutical industry, as Walker puts it, is, quote, a revolving door for all government officials, unquote. Okay. A revolving door for all government officials? Wow. Yeah, for any industry, though. So, like, in the pharma industry, all the government uh, officials who, like, you know, review our drugs, once yeah. they come work for pharma companies, like, the military, like, all the, like, army and defense, like, government officials eventually go work for the defense company afterwards. Yeah. How do you feel about that revolving door? Like, it's pretty good for the industry, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's bad for everyone else in America. Why is it bad for everybody else? Because if the Regulators who have to approve our drugs know that once they stop being a regulator, they want to work for the company, they're not going to be as hard for the company. They're doing their job. Right. We talked to Dr. Robert Malone, physician, scientist, and author, to get his take on the comments made by Jordan Walker. You're gaining function. You're creating a new function in virus one by adding elements from virus two, infecting one monkey and then another monkey. That's called serial passage. That appears to have been one of the technologies deployed in the Wuhan Institute of Virology with the humanized mouse strains that I believe were obtained from uh, EcoHealth Alliance. That's an example of directed evolution. The gentleman seems to have absolutely no moral compass at all about what he's doing. The hubris and arrogance and immaturity. If this is the quality of individuals within Pfizer that are making these huge decisions that uh, risk global public health with such a casual disregard for the human toll, it's profoundly corrupt in terms of would it be feasible for Pfizer to circumvent international or national law, I think that is undeniable. And the gentleman in your investigative work has clearly indicated that Pfizer believes that it has successfully captured the regulatory apparatus of the United States government and presumably worldwide. Pfizer has completed regulatory capture, is quite proud of it, with governments turning a blind eye and Pfizer hiding information from the public, this is an ongoing story. Be brave, do something, spread these videos, and stay tuned. So there's a lot there. Even if uh, the accusations about what Pfizer's looking to do don't flesh out, and even if that gentleman is a consultant who works at Pfizer uh, as a hired hand running experiments, it's a little too close to what actually happened. And how does he have that position to share? Why does he think it's going to aid in his endeavor? All those sort of things are kind of suspect. So what you're about to see in this follow-up video in the confrontation is not him sitting down with James O'Keefe and becoming a whistleblower. It is him thinking he's probably still going to want to work at Pfizer tomorrow. And uh, he tries to 
tries to fight the situation. So let's go to uh, Project Veritas the next day. I think it was released uh, the confrontation video. So you're going to see a restaurant. You're going to see James O'Keefe with a microphone. And then the rest of what you see is probably not like any other Project Veritas video you've seen. So let's go ahead and roll that and then we can discuss. Hey there. Is this seat taken? You work for Pfizer. My question for you is why does Pfizer want to hide from the public the fact that they're mutating the COVID viruses? Is this real life? I'm literally a liar. I was trying to impress a person on a date by lying. Uh, please, this is please, absurd. Please don't touch me. Please. Well, this is not. Why the way? Why don't, are you doing don't this? tell anybody. Someone who's just working at a company to literally yeah. help the public. You f off. You really did. Please read the cost as soon as possible. It was very unsafe. Can you please unlock your door? No, you, no, don't let them leave. Please unlock the door. Give them. Why is no, going on so here? Stuck. Please unlock. Please unlock the door. Please unlock the door. Unlock the door. Pfizer not want the public to know that you guys are doing directed evolution. What, what's going on here? I thought it was like an interview. What do you I'm just. I don't know, it's confirming out. I mean, these like flashbacks to that like sting organization of like those conservative people who like randomly go into organizations and then like befriend people who work in these organizations and then report them, which oh, happened to people at Pfizer. So it like freaks me out when people start asking a lot of questions about work. It's so scary. Oh, really? Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. Why would we back on this public? Because I'm, I just want to know the answer. <laughs> you're not probably reporting me. Oh my god, this isn't that horrible. You're not be reporting me or something like that. <laughs> Hey there. Is this seat taken? What? Hi. Um, you work for Pfizer. My question for you is why does Pfizer want to hide from the public the fact that they're mutating the COVID viruses? Is this real life? What is happening here? Why? What is going on here? This is absurd. Why does Pfizer want to hide from the public that they're mutating the COVID virus? Oh my God. You're on video. You're on video. <laughs> Mutating what is COVID going virus. on here? I need to call the police right now. This is. I don't know what's going on either. This is ridiculous. So you're on video. Uh, we're, 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 I'm a journalist. Bro, first of all, I'm literally a liar. He's he's on video. Whoa. You're saying we're exploring how the virus keeps mutating. Yes, One of the things we're exploring right is why don't we mutate the virus? So please do. Please do call the police. Please do call the police. Please do. You're gonna call the police. He's he's uh, gonna call the police for asking him a question. Please do call the police. Please do. He's uh, on tape here talking about mutating the COVID virus. You're, can I talk to you outside about this? Absolutely not. You're not even my wife is on this. What is your name? Because you fucked up. You really did. I'm about to sue you. This is absurd. Please. You please. had someone mock me as if they're going on a date to record me. You don't even know my position at this. What I was what trying to impress position? a person on a date What's your by position? lying. I was literally trying. Okay. I'm not even a scientist by background. You know what that I came from a consulting firm right. that does business. Uh, this please, is absurd. Please don't touch me. This is absurd. So, please call the doctor. 
Please do call the cops. Please do. Why would you call the cops if you have nothing to hide? <laughs> so he's obviously having one of the most outrageous reactions I've ever seen uh, in the history of Project Veritas. He's threatening to call the police. Okay. He grabbed the microphone. The question is, why is he calling the police? What? Can I get a check for the bill? Please, no, do not give your check. No, don't let them leave. Do you want to put me in jail for asking you a question? Yes, sir. What is the intention of calling the police? They have like no intention right now. Can I talk to you, please, about this video? Why would you bring race into this? Please bring the cops as soon as possible. We have you on tape talking about mutating the COVID virus. No one mutates a COVID virus. Show you the May I show you the video? No, I want to call Do we have to leave? Okay. No, you cannot just leave. Are you? Do you want me to leave? the police to come here and see all of you people. Can I ask you about this video? Please. You can tell them about how he's lying to oppress Here, just, just, is it true what you say? No. I literally was on a birthday with a guy, and like normal men, you lie to impress a date. Mutating he, viruses? Do you do you do you not work for Pfizer? This guy. I thought he was a date. Sir, do you not work for Pfizer? Do you no, work for? Pfizer's a contractor. What the fuck are you doing? Do you currently about? work for Pfizer? Yes or no? Do you currently work for Pfizer? Yes or no? What are you talking about here? Please, I want the cops to be here. So you you don't work for Pfizer? You can do this. He doesn't want me to leave, ma'am. I tr <laughs> I he wants the cops here, but he doesn't want me to leave. So I'm in a little bit of a predicament because she's asking me to leave, but he doesn't want me to leave. So what should we do? Okay, so these people have just, I was on a Hi, date. You're on a video here. people literally left Look, out of nowhere. Pfizer is this mutating is the virus. This is absurd. Look at this no, video. No, I literally said that is, what are you talking about? Well, this is not, by the way, why don't, are you doing don't this? tell anybody. Someone who was just working at a company to literally help the public. This why do you want to hide it from the public? I don't know who you are, and I can't believe I'm going to trust them right now. Why do you want to hide it from the public? If you suspect that, that mutating COVID virus, is this the way the virus started in Wuhan? Why do you think it's okay for Pfizer to do that? She, he's filming the restaurant owner right now. He's filming her. I don't know why he's filming her. Would you like me to leave? Because he won't. He's asking me not to leave, and he's consenting to my presence. Ma'am, are we allowed to just stay and ask a few questions? It's pretty remarkable that they call the police on us every time we show up and ask questions. Every time. You say Pfizer is planning on doing research in the future, then claim that there's an ongoing research about that, and that there better not be any more outbreaks. Which is it? Are these experiments happening or not? Calling the police. We can do it right off front. Okay. No, do not leave. Do not What's that? They locked us in. Wow, look at that. Yeah. You, do you want us to leave or not? Ma'am, you locked the door. Ma'am, 
Man, we're trying to leave, but you locked us in here. Call our attorney. Can you please unlock your door? Let us out. No, I don't know what's going on. I don't want anyone leaving, but I don't know what's going on. Let me try to Can you please unlock your door? No, you, no, don't let them leave. Can you unlock the door? I feel like Please, no, don't let them out. Don't let them out. Could you please let us leave, ma'am? We'd like to leave. We'd like to leave. Please unlock the door. Please unlock the door. Please unlock the door. Please unlock the door. 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 This is this is remarkable here. Thank you. Thank you. They're trying to get unlock the door. Unlock the door. Unlock the door. Unlock the door. It is not. Stop. Let go of me. Now you're hurting me. What is going on here? You cannot just record people like that. Come on. It's not okay. Come on. It's not okay. Let's go. Let's go. Come on. Let's go. Come on. We're we're in New York City. This is remarkable. What you just witnessed here. Uh, in the restaurant. Come on, guys. Where's the Where's the car? Where's the vehicle? Come on. This is insane. You just witnessed one of the most remarkable interactions ever. Do we have the iPad? So we're getting into the vehicle now. Where's our car? He's charging the guy, charging, charging, charging. You can't make an arrest at this point if you don't have the, the victim right here. Okay. If he was here, you'd arrest that guy? If he was here, yes. Oh, then we could just walk away then. Not worry about it. If, as, if that's what you guys want to do, then yes. The part where he's trying to stop the car in the street and it's the wrong car. I mean, that's like way, way past... <clears throat> reasonable activity right there and <laughs> he's he a little hysterical me, by that point he reminds me of uh that movie what was it called sex tape where they like mm -hmm. made the thing on the ipad but they didn't know about the cloud like he's trying to take the ipad but you don't know about the cloud right you know that's the other thing is like you don't think they already it? have the recording somewhere yeah. else yeah like, stored come give me a break and there were that, that was good coverage of that event many angles good how do you audio. like him saying like uh I feel unsafe, but don't let them leave. I, I found that contradiction very sort of uh, mildly entertaining. Yeah, that's, don't let that's the, I don't his, feel safe, but don't let them leave. That's his fight or flight, deer in the headlights, panic situation. Absolutely. Irrationality creeping in there. Um, I mean, I feel bad that people go on dates and Project Veritas and all that sort of stuff. But at this point, after all these years, it's kind of a known known. And if these big companies are not telling their employees and giving them a heads up that that's going on, I mean, I don't know. But from the Updating bigger story, there, other than the individual involved, Pfizer's late to the game because all those other companies, but Moderna, these other companies have been working with DARPA. <laughs> Moderna was already doing. What about Project Diffuse? Project Diffuse by um, that was submitted as part of an EcoHealth Alliance um, potential project to DARPA, which DARPA, it's a good project, but there's some things we needed to change about this original 
um or they just couldn't publicly to say it. yes to it yeah they there we say go. yes to it secretly they're like yeah we so like they it, say we no need to change on, no on words. paper and yeah a little money under the table and <laughs> they're off to the races what is I guess normal men lie to impress a date. That's another thing he said. What is normal. the Venn diagram of <laughs> overlap between National Institutes <laughs> of Health and, and DARPA? Right? Because yeah, they're seriously. both funding EcoHealth. Like EcoHealth's doing stuff for the Defense Department and they're doing stuff for NIH. That's interesting. The overlap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the NIH and the Moderna as well. And, and the, because the of some of the some of the stuff DARPA's not allowed to do, they could cloak as something NIH can do. Correct. Correct. Yeah. We should also, I just want to point people this i believe it was uh let me put it here it was posted by ld or joshua in the production chat i think ld posted this this is um brian o'shea's substack investigate everything with brian o'shea i think it's i'm pretty sure brian o'shea is um naomi wolf's husband if you look on twitter because i've seen him on twitter before i'm pretty sure that's her husband oh okay he's an investigative investigative journalist yeah um, he gets a little bit, I won't go into details here, but he, he talks about what happened and he tries to do a deep dive into establishing the, the actual ethos of this individual is this individual actual, actually someone that works for Pfizer. Is he part of a consulting group that contracts with Pfizer? Does he have, is he an actual doctor where did he get his degrees, so forth and so on. And I'll just read a little bit here. Essentially, Dr. Walker said a lot that I think what we all suspected, but now we can be pretty sure we knew. So he is an actual Pfizer senior executive. So far, it looks like he's a real deal, though he may be on a loan to Pfizer from the Boston Consulting Group, BCG. However, with like like with any case, I put my excitement aside and started to do his own research, so forth and so on. I just I don't want to waste time, lots of narrative, so it gets into what happened, how he went about finding it. And here's some takeaways. The key takeaways that I want to highlight based on the results below are somewhat chilling in the context of the quote-unquote pandemic, COVID-19. Pfizer's and the FDA's cozy relationship with China and the timing of Dr. Walker's experience with the pandemic and all of its outcomes. One, he helped create market forecasts for therapeutics related to oncology in 2021. Operation Moonshot comes to mind. Two, he, quote, conducted impact evaluation of value-based payment models and COVID-related changes in hospital reimbursement policies for a U.S. federal health agency, end quote. And... Brian O'Shea goes on to mention, does this mean Boston Consulting Group or Pfizer or both were working for the U.S. government to actually create policies that affect taxpayers? Three, he took a BCG-sponsored Mandarin Chinese language and business immersion course right before the pandemic hit the United States. Does this mean BCG and or their clients, who are either Pfizer, the U.S. government, or both, knew that these vaccines would be or were already being made in China? Business immersion, I'm guessing business terms and colloquialisms, was also a focus. Does this mean he and his clients knew in 2019 or earlier that a mass vaccination pharma boom was about to hit that both the CCP, who control the Chinese pharma industry, and of course, all the BSL-4 labs the research occurred in, and Pfizer at L and others would be partnered on. For he's clearly a marketing specialist in the pharma space, was Dr. Walker one of the quote-unquote vaccine confidence team members that created the strategy to manipulate the American population into taking an experimental as well as and as we know now know dangerous deadly mrna experimental shot and five did he actually go to yale only one profile lists his attendance there so he they go down and try to establish all these pieces above um his experience his education and people if you want to check this out we'll post in the show notes but his education from ut southwestern medical center and yale university from which he has a bachelor's of science certification new york here's the page shows this 
then this is from signal you know signal higher uh, U.S. News and World Report, Dr. Jordan Walker, Urology, General Urology, Dallas, Texas. So he goes into trying to establish an actual ethos. Who is this man? What's his actual credentials? Is he who he claims to be? Director, Worldwide R&D Strategic Operations and mRNA Scientific Planning, Pfizer, New York, New York, United States, six years experience. Uh, goes into being a consultant for the BCG. Education. So, he has so his bona fides seem to check out to the greater extent that we're seeing right here. And some people claimed it was like a fake video, like O'Keefe made it up and that guy doesn't exist. And it was like, and here is uh, his yeah. uh, UT South Southwestern. So this would be University of Texas Southwestern Medical School, 2018. You could see him circle down below. Jordan Tristan Lee Walker. So now there's a lot of really sketchy financials that go on with you, Timco. University of Texas Investment Management Company and that whole structure that you just pointed sure. to right there. Yep. So that's interesting to see because uh, that's a lot of Saudi money, a lot of Bin Laden, Bush connections in that milieu. So th interesting. that's interesting too to see uh, the you know power players in there. Yeah, it's a synchronicity right there. All right. So whether or not he like it, it looks like he worked there. Now did does what he claim about working there hold true to what they're actually doing? I don't think we can tell. I don't, you know, if, yeah, there's no, if, no, there's not enough evidence. It's there's just no evidence. He he's not dropping documents, but he could, right. cause he's going to be unemployed very shortly. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> like <laughs> that's why I said, you know, he might as well, he's, you know, in that situation, you might as well just sit down with James and have an interview with him. However one feels about Dr. Malone, Dr. Malone made a very good comment in regards to the fact that this man seems to have no moral compass, and that's evident by his actions. One, I know he went into a flight or flight sort of hysterical, you know, manifestation and disposition where he was acting so erratic. And he, at one moment, he's attacking them. At another moment, he's telling them to get out. Another moment, he says, don't get out, lock him in. You know, he's just all over the place. But he went on to say normal Plus, men he was like doing that him. live stream or interviewing that lady from the restaurant. <laughs> But yeah, he says normal men lie to impress a date. So like, it seems like he's quickly trying to sit, you know, uh, save faces because he knows he's on camera. And so at this point, he has to know somewhere subconsciously he's compromised. They have the they have the video. It's like taking down the iPad's not going to do anything. But for him to consider that, like, oh, I was just lying, I was just lying, and for him to be so um, sort of cavalier in his uh, when he was on that quote unquote date, for him to say like, no, we're trying to mutate viruses. I mean, it's funny because like we already know. They were attempting to do this. We have the DARPA projects, the submissions. Yeah, they've been saying it for a long time. Yeah, whether it's Predict or then Project Diffuse and and um, through the drastic research and all that sort of stuff. Like we see the same sort of, we know they've been attempting this sort of line of research for quite some time. And especially going back to Predict and what Andrew Huff uncovered and, and, and part of his uh, whistleblowing. So for Pfizer to come on now would be very late in the game. But at the same time, from my understanding, it had to be done at, with under certain regulations, certain laboratories. So for if they're operating not within the normal confines of the re regulations and not that any of this is good because we know the regulations are set up there to be broken in the first place. But my point is like, does Pfizer have the actual infrastructure in place to really do that? Or are they just using infrastructure that previously exists? Maybe not the Wuhan Institute of Virology, but well, they could outsource potential... stuff to EcoHealth. Exactly. That's my point. Exactly. EcoHealth could be or producing things like that. that Pfizer buys. We don't there know you go. yet. Exactly. And so if they're already attempting and it, that creates, it's not just a cash cow. You have now for the rest of human history, the ultimate business model. So especially if you get the government to buy in and force people to get mandated or governments around the world, you have a product that someone has to take no matter what. It's like the, it's like the mafia controlling the garbage industry. Like everyone needs to, you know, garbage removal. 
what happens when that doesn't come. So they, you know, if they control or force through only these people mandates, are inserting garbage. That's yeah, right. Moving it. You got it. Exactly. The opposite of a service. Well, they call everything's opposite in this world. So it would be a service if you define things the way they define things in today's society. Just invert it and you got the truth. Now, there's some people who have criticism of uh, the Project Veritas and all that sort of stuff. But I think a lot of those criticisms are them like jumping to conclusions, creating straw men and like uh, acting like Don Quixote, like, you know, <laughs> tilting at will, win, windmills. Well, it's sort of like Steven Crowder a little bit. It's like everyone had an opinion on what happened last week. We had a long discussion about it, but at the same time, forget Steven Crowder and forget the Daily Wire. Just deal with like the principle, deal with the main issue of what's being talked about, which is the issue of free speech and the issue of private corporations. That's what it actually essentially boils down to. Same thing here. It may not be the most scrupulous method of journalism. However, it you know James O'Keefe and his his whole model has sort of been forced into that essentially to try to get people to speak honestly and openly. And instead of focusing necessarily on the way in which they do it, let's see if we can verify whether or not this individual Walker, remember his name correctly. Um, Tristan, Tristan Walker. Yeah. Trishon, yeah. I thought. Trishon, yeah. It's so let me go up here. Either way. Uh, Dr. Jordan Trish Tristan. Tristan Lee Walker. Yeah. So Jordan Walker. Whether or not what he's saying is true or not, like first and foremost, the methods they're using aren't so unscrupulous that we can't utilize them in the pathway of defining knowledge because there's still evidence here that needs to be considered potentially. And we have circumstantial evidence from the past to build out a, a, a particular scenario where we could develop a hypothesis, depending on evidence coming in, to get established that maybe like we know this type of research has been proposed and was going on beforehand. So it's not so far out of reach to consider the possibility that now a pharmaceutical company like Pfizer would consider doing it in-house on their own. Um, you know, that's they're just making it something more actionable for pharmaceutical corporations instead of like BSL4 labs in Wuhan, China, potentially to do it. So that's uh, that's what needs to be considered. He may be honest in this uh, assessment, but at the same time, he may be uh we may not know the whole truth in regards to how far along they are in that process or or was it is it nothing more than a consideration as to what Pfizer is able to do and my big question is infrastructure would they even have the infrastructure but they're probably to your point outsourcing that if they do so yeah they don't need their own bsl4 lab they just need to rent a room rent a lab in the lab yep or outsource to a company like ecohealth or any other number of companies that haven't been caught yet Exactly. That's the gist. Like, there's, it's just like people are focusing on Twitter files. Well, Facebook and Google, all those companies did it. This is just the place where there's some leaking information about it that we, to which we don't have the source material yet. So don't jump too far on those conclusions. But it's interesting to see the changing of the tide, right? Because I oh, think, 100%, right? Yeah. There, there has been a lot more uh, pushback on these sort of things. And now people are a little more street smart, savvy. And, and more discerning on these topics. And I think and that makes a healthier world for freedom. It does claim here the source is health.usnews.com. Or is this real quick? University, yeah, yeah. Health.usnews.com, doctors, Jordan Walker. You can see the link here. Um, oops. Well, there it is. And let's go back. Let's get it. Tractor Worldwide R&D Strategic Operations and mRNA Scientific Planning. So that's how it was stated, at least in the U.S. Well, news. It seems com. like, yeah, it seems Work like experience. At least these parts, he's 
he, you know, so what did he lie about? Cause he does work for Pfizer in this area on these things. Right. So now we have an estimation that maybe everything he said is not inaccurate. Only certain parts of what he said might be inaccurate and which parts might've been said to impress a, a potential date or an maybe actual date. Potential mate. His, yeah. I think that one above was associated with urology and this one here, I'm not sure where this one comes from. This one. Hmm. I'll have to find that. Either way, check out the Substack. We'll put in the the uh, notes section. For you can also find him as Brian O'Shea on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. This Brian O'Shea Twitter or go to Substack. So very interesting sort of deep dive into who this person is or is not. It seems like a lot of it checks out, but there's also some contradictory yeah, and, information and people, in regards to it. Sometimes they have the take of like, oh, there's nothing to see here. None of this is oh, it news. comes from signal hire. It comes from signal hire. So it's but like I, this would be what he put on his, you know, sort resume. of pseudo resume. Yeah. 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 So it comes back to um uh what was the point I was trying to make? Um I'll drop it. What about I'll doing move on. Like, move on. It's, I think it's important <laughs> for people to do their own research, consider ideas, just as you said about, you know, try sort of loosely quoting Aristotle, we'll just say it like that. But consider an idea, but don't allow yourself to get emotionally involved in, you know. Although it's not necessarily, you know, it's not a form of journalism. I think any of us would necessarily like to see sometimes, you know, at this point, it's sadly one of the few ways we can actually get some of these people to spell out what's actually going on because the U.S. news media is not going to cover this as a legitimate story. We know they're bound by advertisers and government interests and corporate interests of all types. And they're, you know, they're very highly controlled and most of their information comes regurgitated from the AP or Reuters. And it's sort of the, the, the if you want to think of it as a knowledge filtration comes through those two organizations and gets filtered down to the media. Hence why we get the same stories, whether it's on a local news, you know, or, uh, uh, you know, uh, national news. So. Yeah. And the, the idea that, you know, this is a nothing burger, there's nothing to see or nothing new to this. There's a lot of takes like that on situations, Twitter files also. Sure. But in, in this case, they're, you know, so I would point out that. Verification people are like, I knew this two years ago. Well, we highly suspected it with some uncertainty that this was what was going on. But as we have more and more pieces of evidence from more and more places, there is less and less room for reasonable doubt. And we want to get to the point beyond reasonable doubt, because that's where you can comfortably make a decision, judgment, choice, and take action. Well said. But as long as people still have this suspension of disbelief thing going on, like they're watching some Hollywood movie, they're going to refrain from taking action and actually protecting their families, protecting their communities, protecting their own freedom and reinforcing those things along the way. So I think well it's important that we don't just say, oh, there's no there's nothing new here. We knew this. No, we suspected it highly, but now our degrees of suspect are turning into it's getting pretty obvious. Two plus two plus two is six. And right. if you add these things up, this is what we're going to get consistently. And we're just going to keep getting information that verifies this. Yes, it looks like we should, you know, it's time to take action. That's a decision point, right? So we want to help the audience get to that point where they don't have to be subservient to the illusions that might be deleterious to their own freedom. Yes, yeah, truth as Aristotle defined is that which corresponds to reality. The more yes. times that you can 
uh, relate what you're trying to understand to reality, the more cause and effect, the more you can be sure that your conclusion is along on the right track. So we had a lot of circumstantial evidence before and more and more and more evidence came out that's making it beyond almost a reasonable doubt at this point, unless evidence emerges, which there has been none. I mean, literally none in regards to zoonotic transmission uh, that this seems to be with lack of any evidence there for that potential theory, that the theory of it emerging from a, a lab situation it's where most of the evidence lies. That's where the discernment should be had in regards to, you know, how, what judgments we make about this information. Yeah. And the cover up immediately, instead of trying to be like actually no, fixing the problem, that's, right. that's very telling as well. It, all of it. There was no scramble to actually fix or contain or to remedy the situation. Right. It's not like, let's not tell the public the truth. So that because they'll panic if we tell them the truth, but let's take care of the situation and so that they never have to know. That didn't go on. We all found out. Everybody on the planet found out about over three years. And Fauci and these guys and Gates said at the beginning, this is going to go on for three years. And we we're all like, no, no, you guys told us two weeks, right? But they said several of them said it out loud early on. This is going to go on for years. And when you look at it, yeah, it it did go on for years, whether we all wanted it to go on or not. The Fauci so. emails, I mean, we could bring up so many different situations, but EcoHealth Alliance, the Fauci emails, the actual methodology used, um, Robert Malone used serial passage, that's chimeric functions, where yeah. they're passing it into one animal into another, into an, uh, another, and adding, you know, manipulating different viruses together, which they allow them to essentially, through um, random mutation, recombine, recombination, chimeric viruses, different pieces, recombining through serial passage of these animals, whether it's uh, humanized mice or macaques or whatever type of animal they're using in the laboratory until it gains function, you know, and that's where then, then we have the, uh, the fact that they the moratorium happened. They shipped it over to Wuhan. We know about Ralph Barrick's connection with using Lee. Um, we have uh, Peter Daszak with Vincent Ranconiello. He's talking about, well, you know about this. You just, all you gotta do is manipulate the spike protein. And that that's really what drives all the action. It's like, and so it's just one thing after another. All these pieces of circumstance. Barda with Barda. Fauci and those guys on stage at the Milken Institute, right? Milken yeah. Institute Project Diffuse. I brought up earlier. I mean, it just goes on. A lot of and coincidences. On. A lot. We're in. Is there a place we could spend these coincidences, Tony? And there's none on zoonotic transfer. Like there is not a sing, single. In fact, the many official narrative. Many virologists that try to support that will still say there's ones that are honest, at least there's just no evidence for that. So if there was significant evidence for that, I'd weigh both, but there just isn't. So right now, this is what I have to work with, as you do as well. And this just adds to, to your point, beyond a reasonable doubt. And we'll have to see what emerges from this moving forward. Yeah, more to learn on that topic for sure. All right. So let's go to uh, last week when we left you, we were in the midst of the big louder with Crowder getting louder and shouting louder and there was arguments between him and daily wire and it was getting heated. So he appeared on Tim pools, Tim cast this past Monday night, and he had a chance to uh, expound upon his vision for the future. That does not include daily wire apparently because uh, seven ad reads per show puts a little kink in the, the action. You know what I'm saying? I actually heard Ben Shapiro uh, doing a rant where he had to interrupt his rant to do an ad read about this whole situation, which was kind of hilarious. That kind of makes the whole point right there. I don't know if we can find that clip while we're playing this next one, but that that's funny stuff. So let's go to uh, Tim Pool's uh, in real life. Tim Pool, what is it called? Uh, Tim Cast IRL. 
podcast and you got Steven Crowder and uh, Luke Radowski got to like have, have little questions going on. So uh, let, let's check in with them and uh, see how Crowder positioned himself. And I would also note last week on the show, we said 300,000 times a hundred per year gives you a number that's big enough for Crowder to be self-funding. Gerald A is his new CEO. No one's figured that out yet, but they did verify during the Tim Cast interview the day after we did our show that they do have 300,000 subscribers on a list waiting to subscribe. So those numbers would actually work. And I think that's 120 million over four years. So I didn't think, I mean, I thought it was an obvious thing, but obviously it's not that obvious to everybody, especially people who would receive that money. So if you guys know how to get that message through, uh, you know, well, let's first watch the clip and then we'll figure out what to do. I want to address uh, what, what you were saying about, you know, w- would I prove him wrong if I could? I suppose what happened differently for us. So it was that vitriolic. Uh, if it was that vitriolic. Yeah. I didn't. Granted, did it Daily Wire out of themselves and they said it was because people assumed it was them. Uh, after I had, had a conversation, my determination, uh, conversation with the Daily Wire, my determination was they do business in a way that I don't agree with but I like that they're doing things that have a cultural impact in the positive. Thus, I'm going to build my thing the way I think it's supposed to be. Right. Let them make the, the things they make with the people who agree with being a part of that. And hopefully, even if they're not 100% yeah. in the right direction, if it's 1% producing cultural net positive, I'll just have to be the force that pushes but it. But what if it's 80% net negative? That's your view, right? I, and I, I, think, I don't know. I, I think, well, again, the view I agree, should be I the agree. people who, the investors in our case, right? There's, there are no other investors, right? I own 100% of my company. We've entered into licensing agreements where people have temporary ability to monetize the subscribers and the content they're in, right? We still have all the content mm-hmm. when, we, uh, when we left the blaze. We still have that because there was a period of time. The issue there is what we're talking about is penalizing people on behalf of big tech. Was that your impression? Because that's not the impression that's given. And you know what? There are a lot of things that that you can get. And I really want this to be done. Just pledge that we won't penalize people on behalf of big tech. We can talk about it. Hey, there are ways to do it with with Rumble. I know you've talked about a decentralized solution to people subscribing, right? And I think there's good with that. There are also issues because people have so many different places where they have to pay right now and they kind of want to get one portal. Hopefully there's a way to figure that out. Here's what you do as far as a contract. If it's someone who's coming in this entire production house, I've been having contracts negotiated, you know, you said you were in SAG uh, 2000. So I, yeah. I was in since I was 12 years old uh, and had agents negotiating contracts and term sheets. I know what a term sheet looks like. Every time we do a live show, by the way, I'll be in Louisville, Kentucky, February 10th. I think we're adding a show on Thursday. You can go buy tickets on the website. Every time I do a live show, there's a term sheet. And the term sheet is, this is what happens with live shows. Okay. There's a minimum guarantee. And the minimum guarantee is no matter five people show up, if it's, you know, your dad and your aunt Tilly, we pay this and there's a percentage of the gate. And if you want more, if you're willing to bet on yourself, right, you say lower that guarantee and take a higher portion of the gate. I go in and say, don't give me a guarantee and I'll just take the gate. And they sell their drinks, right? They end up making more money. We're giving them less risk. What you do is, Luke, to answer your question, you can present it if it's a production company where you want them to incur all of the risk, all of the costs, Okay, you do a rev split where there's upside for both sides. Or some people want security, right? We have 1099s who work at the company. We have employees. Some people want security. And so they yeah. become salaried and they get health insurance. They get a 401k. You can provide two options. You can do a rev split or you can do an employee agreement for people who want to do that. In this case, they want to do employee type constraints. And again, none of this matters as far as I'm, I can't be clear enough. I said, take me off the table here. The issue is entirely the enforcement of, of punitive practices through mandate at the most powerful company. But you can do it those ways. 
And there are, there are a million ways to skin a cat. You can make that work. And that's the way that it's done. We both know in the liberal cesspool that is Hollywood, where everyone is out trying to screw somebody. They still know that you can't do that. They yeah. still know that that's well, not Well, the decision affordable. to remain monetized rests with the creator and always stays there. It's not a part right. of the model because yeah. to your 51%, yes, that's fine unless we fast forward five years. Five years from now, Daily Wire is undisputed number one. Five million subscribers and big tech turns the switch. Would it be better to course correct a little bit now with a little bit of pain or would it be better to wait until it's too late? It's better to do it now because Microsoft could buy Daily Wire tomorrow. Yeah. It's very dangerous to consolidate. That's a really good point. Or BlackRock. Yeah. BlackRock could Duh, buy no. Rumble tomorrow. Well, well, like, Rumble is not safe. It's just, it's a private it's, company no, that's all centralized. It's very well, that's a public company. Public and here's the one public. thing that I like about, because look, Rumble tweeted out like, hey, we offer these non-restrictive contracts. I think it was, was it France? Right, yeah, Rumble's a public company. Think of the balls it takes, where I think it was the government of France said, you have to start changing content. And they said, right? When you're a yeah. public company and you tell an entire government, fine, ban, ban awesome. us. That's, that's the kind of balls that people are explaining. And these people, and by the way, yeah. the guy who runs, is a Canadian, the CEO. Mm -hmm. He's not, he's not even, I don't think he's super conservative. He just sees the writing on the wall. Why do those people get it? Why? Because he's been under the, I would say, tyranny now when you yeah, see someone sure. like Trudeau, just because he does blackface and he can't throw a jab doesn't mean that he's not a tyrant, right? People have lived under that tyranny. They go, we can't let that happen here. So Rumble gets it. They tell France to go fornicate themselves with a wire brush, but the Ooh. people who who take money from hard-earned conservative Americans who are wondering how they can fight back, how they can have a voice, don't see it. Do they not see it? Or is it the business model, right? You can't have- That's what I'm wondering. So, Did you so, feel like your buddy, and then what I mean your buddy, like Jeremy, you and Jeremy are friends-ish, or friends or whatever, but that he lowballed you, he knows your value and he lowballed you, and you're like, dude, if you're gonna do that to me, I'm taking, I'm going, Scorched Earth. No, I'll no, do everything no, it legal in my. It wasn't the lowball. It wasn't the lowball. It was. It was the. Hey, look, prompt. Look, let's just sit down and talk about how you can do this without mandating through punitive practices against not some, according to him in his video, all conservative content creators. Let's find a different way because there's no future in this. There's a lot of. There's a lot there that's permissible, right? In business, money. I get it. Yeah, lowball, sure. Um, and, and and you know that. Everyone knows that. Um, but. What's really hard to deal with is there was a period, like I talked about with Gerald Note, where I was super depressed, um, felt kind of hopeless because this has been a long time in the making. And you, you knock on one door and you have people you think are on your side. You know, it's no way. This is how it works. And then you, because you don't see behind, you know, the, uh, the curtain, you hear that we're fight, fighting back a big, against big tech. And you see this offer and you go, oh, there's no, there's no future here. And the response to this is not right has always been money, 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 money. I can't stress it enough. So it's not about the money. So what is the future in your mind then? What, what needs to be done? What first needs to be done is people to mean what they say. And if you are taking money from conservatives out there under the guise that you are fighting big tech, start fucking fighting big tech. Start with that. Okay. I don't know about the, and I know that when I say this, by the way, they're going to send, they're going to be four or five hatchet men coming from the daily. I understand that, by the way. Have you seen anyone else in these videos? This is the first time Gerald's been here because I'm like, look, you handle the finances more than I do. It's me. It's two on one. It's three on one. It's four on one. And gee golly, we thought we were friends. And you know what? I'm not going to call anyone a bitch. I still, I mean what I said. Andrew Clavin's one of my all-time favorite people. I think Jordan Peterson is unbelievable. I go to the wall for that guy. I think Ben Shapiro is brilliant. Never met Candace Owens. Um, Michael Knowles, my experience with him, I, I don't know him as well. I really like him. I like a lot of these people. Good singer. Is he a good singer? He can play guitar too. Well, he has that voice. I mean, Andrew Clavin, he told me he had that voice since he was like six. Where he was like, well, teacher, I'm parent, teacher appreciation day. I'll give you an apple. And they were like, this is, this is how you talk. Um, and it's, it's genuine. It's genuine. Send every, 
here's the thing. Keep doing it if that's what they want. I'm not going to, at a certain point, my talents will run out. So send four, send five. Certain point, don't send anyone you expect back in one piece. But what will you make, right? You, you talked in the beginning, something, you were saying something about um, it's hard for everyone to just pay all across the board randomly to different people. Like if, if you want to support a creator, you're, you're on one website, you're on another website. Yes, yeah. yeah. So so how would you It's a subscription it fatigue, right? You have the same right. with like Netflix and Hulu. So can I answer your question with a question to... Um, to yeah. crash test dummies here, that doesn't offend you, right? <laughs> <laughs> he does look like one. Am I going to get you? Boys There you go. I love that there's national treasure. What's, what's yeah. your question for My him? question for him is because he said, like, this might be a solution. You have this idea, or, or, or you're creating an actual product. I don't know all of it. Yeah. Of a decentralized way to subscribe to people. because And also, people who create get to keep their subscribers. By the way, this isn't Daily Wire. It is industry standard in the conservative sphere. You don't get to know how many subscribers you have. You don't get to take them with you, which only hurts people who are paying if you end up leaving, you know, if you end up not being with the network. Yeah. That's industry standard, not Daily Wire. Again, Stop Bacon was not just about Daily Wire. You don't even know. You don't even get to reach them. That is the standard, not just there. And you mentioned something before the show, and I'm a little ignorant as to what it is. Forgive me. You said it's like this decentralized ability for people to sort of an anti-Patreon is what I think you said. Uh, yeah, it is just basically doing what Patreon does, but without a Patreon middleman. So it'd be a piece of software packet that you download, install on your computer, and then you can start uploading videos through the software packet to Rumble as a server or YouTube as a server. Okay. Uh, unlisted, the videos. And then people would go to your website where you have a front end hosted with this packet and they can subscribe 10 bucks a month. Then they can see on your website the unlisted videos from yeah. the other sites. It's pretty rudimentary. It's what Tim's using, a system like that. He's not using it, the tech. That doesn't sound rudimentary at well, all. So that was like Chip <laughs> Douglas with a remote control. Here's, like, here's, here's basic cable here's, stuff. Here's, here's it's the, incredibly it complicated here's, 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 yeah, the idea, here's the idea. To, to pull off. The idea right now is that you're an independent creator. Yeah. You go to Patreon, you go to Locals. Yeah. You go to someone else's company, mm -hmm. you sign up, there's the infrastructure, you give them 10%. Right. I've done the math, 10% is steep but they're trying to run a business, have employees. So I get it. Yeah. Sure. So what we, we were talking about this a long time ago. Make the software. You get your own server space, your cost. You get your own domain, your cost. You install that software for free, open source, and boom, instantly your website is a, a clone of a subscription service website with an easy-to-use backend for you mm -hmm. that networks with anyone else who uses it. You can also blacklist certain sites from your site if you're like, I don't want my site to recommend this, you know, like Skittles show. and yeah. rainbows. Exactly. Like Oof. You know, very Apologies. nasty stuff right there. <laughs> so, but, or, or it's just, you let the algorithm uh, recommend whatever the recommend, like similar words yeah. and phrases. Yeah. So what this does is if I go to your website and you want to be, be included in the network, people will see, and this could be bad for business. Some people might want to do it. They will see like recommended Tim, Tim cast IRL episode with Steven Crowder and be like, Oh, I'd like to watch that show too. Mm -hmm. Creating, uh, it's it's so YouTube's one of the powerful things about YouTube is that it recommends shows after shows. Yeah, and that recommendation. Every single time you watch one of my shows, it's Seth Meyers. Oh wow! Right, we and get so uh, Lex YouTube, Friedman. This is my, this oh, is my do you? Point. Yeah, everyone oh, gets that's Lex. way better than yeah. Seth Meyers. Yeah. But this Lex is, Friedman's this, good. This is the point. It used to be legitimate. It used to be that if you watched Crowder, you get recommended similar shows or more Crowder. Now they're driving everyone away. Right, yeah. and so they're taking away the natural uh, networking marketing value. Yeah. So our idea was. Create it decentralized. Mm -hmm. No one gets a cut of your money. That's your business. You got to spend money on your bandwidth. That's your business. Sure. But it's free, open source, and it rips it rips away from the centralization and creates. So I really like that. Now here's the one thing too that Gerald kind of knows is is um, what's always been true north to me is the viewer, right? As a person watching, is how do they get the most value for their money? 
and there are so many places to subscribe right now. It's too fragmented. Yes, and I under, but I also understand the danger of a centralized power. Right. But if there would be a way for, kind of like you were talking about with Maker, for there to be an alliance where maybe there's some kind of a price break or discount if you get to subscribe to these other creators, right? So that you don't have to do $6 on a Patreon here or $5 you know, on locals here. And by the way, nothing wrong with it. I'm just saying people feel like there's this payment fatigue, this subscription fatigue. If we want to fight the left, right? Think about just what they call the stream with Batista. He's in his like canoe. Uh, talking about like Disney, ESPN, and uh, what is it? Disney and Hulu, Hulu, right? That's a value added. And I think this is what was so disheartening is was really hoping that we could do that in the conservative movement where people can kind of get access to a portal and support the people that they want to. Uh, I don't know that it's possible. Um, but if there would be some way for the view, because for the viewer, what's ideal is to be able to get access to more people that they want rather than having it because the price adds up. Right now, yeah, that's yeah. hard. it's like 10 bucks for Tim, 10 bucks for you. With this tech that I'm building, uh, we haven't had the multi uh, subscription system set up, but you could do something where it's like 10 for him, 10 for you, or 18 for both of you, then you each get nine. Right. The, you'll eventually have to take some sort of loss discount if you're going to run a packet. Otherwise, it would just be right. 20 right, for but you two. Would critical it's hard mass. to figure out that right. number. You did critical mass. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, it is. It's tough to figure it out. Um, but there are ways to do it. Obviously, people on the left have, have done it to some degree. Um, the worst thing that I will say, the, the thing that really is, is YouTube, is it YouTube Red or YouTube Premium? What do they call Premium. it? Premium. Yeah, I, tell you, red, I right. tell you what, though. You know what sucks about it? That's actually a really good deal. You get YouTube <laughs> Music, which re replaces Spotify. You get yeah. YouTube TV, which replaces cable and sling, and you get HBO Max. You're but, like, but they're Dude. subsidized. Yes, yes, they are subsidized. But guess what? So are these companies on the right. All right, but they're subsidizing it in a way that is not you. foundationally sound for a move forward. Let me let me tell you something that really. Oh. I feel like this I, should I, require I, hallucinogens going forward. Like, man, this I'm is so happy to. This, if this, you're this, interested, we'll something <laughs> mountain somewhere. He, he, he's game. Let me let me let me tell you guys something that that is kind of crazy to me. And people don't believe there are no investors in Timcast. There are only, there's only me as the principal of the entire company, sole owner, sole board member, president, CEO, treasurer, chairman, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Their staff, you know, I have a COO, we have, we've got people who work here, but I own literally all of it, control all of it with no outside investment. It's literally just, I started making- And you're money. not even Jewish. Yeah, I'm. I'm, uh, I'm just saying as a Korean. joke to the anti-Semites. <laughs> By the way, we're not talking about. No one well, we're talking about point. is even Jewish. Just to be clear. Th that's a point I make all the time. Yeah. There are people who have been successful in media who aren't. I don't know why they have that conspiracy belief. Yeah. But my, it was shocking for me to find out that these these big alternatives only exist because some powerful industrialist or billionaire decided I'm going to spend money. But that that money comes with their influence. Now, the only issue I have with that is that we don't know what their influence is. Right. And you owe. If, it, right. If you come to TimCast.com, you know the whole influence and driving force behind this is literally just me. Yeah. If you're a customer here, as a member or whatever, you're supporting us, it is literally me in charge of everything. But a lot of these other companies, you don't know who, the, who who's behind the scenes putting money in and saying, hey guys, I want to see this. I understand how businesses work. I understand how investment works. But you won't know. And if you knew... It's ball retractingly terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that. There's some information again that you're not going to open third price. It's probably going to be coming out in the next six months, year, that will shock people, startle people. I could tell you that, but would I have to provide receipts and would that be a betrayal? That's the issue, right? I've given you a lot of information that you can publicly audit, and I think that's important. I'm not going to pull people in. Like I said, Gary said you can use it. I can't show you the three, four, five other instances just in the last two years where that's happened. It is absolutely terrifying. But what was the crazy idea you were saying? I thought you were like, I thought you were gonna like 
I thought you just came up with a business plan or something. It seems no, no, like, no. Oh, okay. it's, it's, it's just, I was saying it's huh. crazy to me. That's not so crazy. That's totally when, reasonable. I guess that's why I'm throwing no, it No, 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 no. What, what, <laughs> what, what's, what's crazy to me is that we've gotten to the point we have without that yeah. when it seem, when seemingly no that's one else true. does. It's really but easy here's, to But here's what I want to say. Yeah. Steven, really I'm, easy, looking, I'm looking at, I, I don't think it's really To easy. have the website rolling with subs? I mean, oh, no, there's no, some no, back. Right. There need like oh, two man. people. Oh, yeah. Hey, one this thing business should, one, is hard. Well, well, yeah. One thing I should say, we've had a lot of offers too from people who like run these sort of credit card processing, these platforms, right? Yeah. Offering to give us better rates as well. So there are a lot of people who've come forward. Uh, like I said, it's, I mean, daily, it's not about Daily, daily Wire, wasn't even the highest offer. Just to but, be clear. Here, here's what I want to say. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this right in, in front of every, every single person. I think you're going to make $100 million a year. Yeah, I think you're uh, absolutely insane. I think I, I think I'm I think right. I I, think, but I would never demand that. Just to be clear, you see what bar you're it. setting for yeah. me? Did I tell yep. you my new job? Yep. Yes, for crying out loud! <laughs> I you're trying to you're trying to give him a heart attack. <laughs> I, I I I've seen your numbers. I know. Look, we've got 175,000 people watching on a show that normally gets 40, 40 to 45,000. 130,000 live viewers, tripling, quadrupling, quadrupling the live viewership we get because you came to talk about something that is important to you. Yeah. You have people who are not only fans of your content who are entertained by it, but also believe in you. Looking at your mug club numbers, I think you launch this thing, you, maybe, maybe not, look, it's gonna, it's, gonna, it's gonna snowball rolling downhill. I think you launch this thing and you're making three to five million per month right off the get-go. And by the way, you mean the whole production company? Whole production yeah. company, right. not you which, personally. Which, your staff, and, your employees, and I'm at a fork in the your road. budgets. I'm at a fork in the road. Which is you're going to get a lot can, of money for bandwidth. You're going to get I, a lot of people to sign up. I could walk away, and I understand this isn't a loss to me. The only way people will 100% believe what I say, and that there's no ulterior motive, which is what I try to do in the negotiations, like take me off the table. This yeah. is why this is a sticking point. Is if I walk away from this forever. Is if I never monetize again, and I just go back off into the sunset. Just you know, do stand up, maybe do a once a week show, something like that, so I can continue selling out the the, the venues, and I could do that. And Gerald knows that I strongly considered that at one point. And I think he was the one, if I'm not mistaken, who said like, yeah, but then if you do that, then this will just all blow over in two months and it'll be the same problem. So I do, have, mm -hmm. I get, the, I get the question of authenticity again, but I would ask you if this is the easy decision, if this is the easy route to make, uh, route to take, could have just taken the money, shut up, could have gone off. And I don't think it's hundred million. I think you're absolutely insane. No, I'm not. I and, think there's a and, I think he slipped you. Nope. Nope. Bit. Nope. No, look, we, we, we know about the Daily Wire's subscriber numbers. They have what, a million paying subscribers? They, it's it's between seven and thirteen dollars per month to be a member there. We they, they've talked about their yearly revenues. Wait, it's thirteen dollars. Okay, I, I didn't. for their video content, I believe yeah. it's thirteen. They run a some month. promos and stuff like that, but yeah, yeah, they have different tiers. Right, all and that. it's like you know, look, I think. Let's Luke look. wants to talk about the IRS. He's going to say the IRS and the Epstein Maxwell scandal. Yeah. I'm 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 saying for one, the easy route for you would have absolutely been sign the deal, take the money and shut up let everyone else worry about all the problems and go sit on the beach of the coconut and just do the bare minimum. Yeah. But I think if in. you go the hard way, which running a company, especially with, I think the size of memberships you're going to have is yeah. going to be very difficult and time consuming, but just, you know, make Gerald do all the hard. No, well, if, if, here's the thing. Sorry, if, honey, we continue, <laughs> if we continue down this route, then there's got to be other people, right? We have to have yeah. other shows on there. That's I right. could have, again, just gone off and done it and just kept mug club. But Gerald, I said like, look, either I'm going to leave at this point or we can't just complain and bitch. Yeah. We have to do it better. And that's kind of where we are. And by the way, we still haven't decided what it is that we're going. It's it's a tough decision to make. Yeah. I own 100% of Mug Club, always have. Uh, we did the Mug Club forever, so we now know how many people are out there. You know, we were really clear. We're like, do not go to Mug Club forever unless you are currently in Mug Club. We're going to send out a double capture, double opt-in. 
called the list so we know. We're like, don't go. And is it a newsletter? No. Are you going <laughs> to get any spam? <laughs> Nothing. Any updates? Only when and where and if Mug Club returns. And this is a little bit of the young Frankenstein. Ovaltine? Nothing. Let me ask you. Let me ask yeah. you. Do you think that when you, you're, you are going to launch something independent, it's going to be Mug Club, but then you're going to add on shows. Do you think you'll be bigger than The Daily Wire? Uh, I don't care. No, 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 no. Real question. Based on your memberships, uh, based on the amount of views you get, do you think you will be bigger than? I'm not saying this as, as it, it would. It would if if I if I decided that I. Uh, let me answer it this way. I've wanted to be done with this by the time I'm forty, as far as hosting the show on air. The last thing you want to do is overstay your welcome, and then move to a you know um, I wouldn't say like necessarily uh, like a Harvey Weinstein or like a Bruckheimer, but more like a Suge Knight. You know. How old are you now? Uh, Thirty-five. Okay. So. Um, and I want to be able to pass that torch. When's your birthday? July. July, okay. Yeah. So um, I want to be able to pass that torch. Right now, there is no ability to because you now realize there's no ability for people to come up and do. But it would be really hard for you to do what you do now today. You know that, right? Yeah. And, and harder and harder. And it'd be day. harder. Yeah. It'd be impossible for someone to do what I do. I don't want to pull the ladder up behind me. So I want to be able to move into a production role. But really, what motivates me is being able to pass that mantle and make a difference. I guarantee you, if we were to do it, it'd be within striking distance of the big boys. Um, which I'd be fine with, but as long as we do something that we believe in, and I, I promise we will never demand people's YouTube monetization. We will never punish them if they are not, uh, and it has to be something fair, and it has to be us not shortchanging the investor, meaning the people, Mug Club. It's entirely independent, paying us for to fight for what they believe in. Whatever those numbers are, I'd accept them. I'll tell yeah. you my, my prediction, which who knows could be worthless, Nostradamus yeah, hit me. You you launch uh, uh, subscription service, independent mug club. You get three hundred thousand hard signups at ten or more per month. I mean, it, it was ten bucks a month for for a lot of people. It's going up because of inflation, because you know people need raises and things like that. But let's say you did ten bucks a month. You're looking at like three million in memberships with no ad reads at all. Let's say you do programmatic reads on the podcast version, meaning you, Stephen, never read a single ad. Then you're looking at another. Based on your traffic, I'd estimate another two to five million dollars per uh, uh, per year, not right. per month. So right off the bat, you're looking at forty million dollars per year. Then here's what happens: Steven Crowder then offers big players really good contracts, no BS, no fees, yeah. none of that. Out the gate, it's a legitimately good contract that gives your business a small cut, but gives them the, the lion's share for the work they produce. They're going to say, oh, I'm signing with, with Mug Club. The, the, the terms were incredible. I mean, Crowder's going to make money off the deal. The company's going to grow. With the draft with the hats. That's right. I'm getting a lot of money. Then what's going to happen is it's going to make it very difficult for the big con, these other big conservative companies, to sign these deals. When a young creator says, I appreciate the offer, it's tempting, but Crowder's offering me twice the money with no, with no setbacks. Yeah. I would really, really like it. Real, genuinely, and, and Gerald knows this, if there's someone else in the space who handles that shit, because I'm not a business guy. I'm not, here's the thing, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a business guy. Yeah. I'm a guy who outpunted his coverage, right? You can go back and watch with a blue bed sheet who was doing stand-up comedy and acting and then had kind of had my back up against the wall, right? I would really like it if there was someone else who already has the money, who already has that ability to do it. If they can't, okay, I'll carry that torch. It. But, there, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's someone out there are there enough good men and enough people left? Because that's that's not the best use of my time. Like it takes a lot of time to do yeah. a Goodwill Hunting. Do you have any idea how hard it is to make Schindler's List funny when you're doing a parody? <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, like it's a lot of work. That's where my time is better spent, and that's where the time, by the way, of all the creators is best spent. Yeah. But instead, 
they're being forced to make this decision. You know, you're a creative type. You want to deal with numbers and backend and business. It's exhausting. Yeah, I have to do it. I, I know. I don't want to do it. I have to. So I'm building this technology. But right. like yeah. boring. Yeah. That's what Jeremy boring and why is. Why have to do it? I, I, why? Because we need a new subscription service for creators. It shouldn't fall upon you though. I have two questions. Well, you're willing to do it. going to do it. No, no, yeah, no, no, no. let's do it. Exactly. Exactly. It, it, if it, not it, you, it if not me. Who, if not now, when? That's the. Let segment. me and let, shout let, out to let, Philip let Fisher, the guy building this stuff. Pure genius. I will introduce you to his him soon. And, Philip, and, I, and I will say, brother. and I will say to everybody listening, it's you. It will only ever be you. When you see a burning building, you think, "Who's going to call this in?" No, 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 no. No one's going to call it. In. It's going to be you. Right. I, I once watched uh, uh, when I was sixteen years old. I saw an old lady at a bus stop flip over, land on her back, and I paused and said, "I have no idea what to do." what is happening, I look around and I'm like, I gotta figure this one out. And I ran full speed into a building and just screamed, call 911, a lady's hurt. There's nobody else. You, can, you can't sit back and just cross your fingers and hope someone else will take care of the problem. Right. Yeah, you gotta be yeah. the hero of your own story. I just wanted to ask- That makes uh, me feel terrible. I just wanted to ask two quick questions for you guys. One, would you guys, would you guys be open to doing like competitions or contests for new talent? And a lot of people are asking about not gay Jared in the, in the comment section. Can you guys clear up what's happening in that situation? Some people are saying that there's an NDA. Uh, yeah, well, that's the thing I think Candace brought up, right? Again, yeah, yeah. there's a difference between roping in third parties versus yeah. single party consent. I think he tweeted out what happened where he left, right? Not gay Jared. He tweeted out that he left. It was his own decision. Um, we did a whole send off with him in a video montage. You know, this works with like conspiracies. And sometimes, look, there's also a middle ground where there's, for example, like what is the email, by the way, if people are talking about shows? Uh, I think it's creators at Latter. Yeah, creators at Latter. So that's actually not a bad idea. A contest if we, yeah. you know, the, but the reason I didn't want to do it is because I didn't want to think that's like, hey, this is why we're doing this right now. Um, but we do have a place where people can reach out. The challenge is like there's completely controlling contracts, right, that own your name, image, likeness, and your platforms that you already built in perpetuity, okay? That's an extreme example, that's big con. Then you have people who are like, hey, I have no experience, I've never done a show, but I really think I could do it well if you give me money. That's a situation where you'd be incurring all the risk. There is a middle ground, and I think what needs to happen is if we do, I'm not going to be in the business of just creating shows from the ground up, but there are people out there who say, hey, look, I have a channel that's doing relatively well. I keep hitting the ceiling that is YouTube saying we need you to play this kind of ball. Uh, I'm, I'm suffering from the advertising rates, uh, the sponsorship rates dropping across the board. And I can just be, you know, the gasoline on that fire to back them up. Really, why would you sign with a network if you're if they're not if they don't have your back? That's the only yeah. reason to otherwise be independent, right? What is the upside at that point? That's all we want to be. And whatever subscribers you generate, you keep. That's the only way I would be able to do it. It's really publicity. These big networks get get their faces seen. But if you can do it without that. But right. so people really are still asking, is, is, there, is there an NDA, NDA? That's what people are asking. Is there yeah. NDAs to everyone just like uh, here, I had to sign a waiver when I came. Yeah. If you yeah. come into our studio. I mean, it's standard you business practice. Yeah, yeah you, can't, you, can't come and, you can't come in and tell people where the studio is. Yeah, too. Yeah. I mean, we have. Know, I mean, you guys have had. Yeah, that. of course. Yeah. yeah. If but, only for location, it would be worth it. <laughs> yeah, also because he walks around with pants half the time. We oh, have, we have NDAs um, because we work on projects, and in order, it's it's really really complicated. One of the simplest reasons is like we don't want you leaking information about us. Location yeah. is a good and obvious thing, but also right. projects we're working on cost a lot of money to do preliminary research. If someone then says goes to a, a competitor or any other media company and says, here's what, you know, Tim Cass is working on and all their stuff. It just completely destroys the entire attempt at making of course. a project, yeah. things like that. Of course, uh, and you can have people stealing, you know, creative content, right? I mean, that happens anyway. That This is the most common thing that happens, right? The big boys, they go, oh, that really works. Hey, let's do exactly that. Put $25 million behind it just to promote it. Now it's ours. 
I was thinking about these. Let let me mention perpetuity clauses really quick before we go to Super Chats because you brought them up a couple times. All right. So uh, let's see. To the split. Yeah. Let's revisit the numbers from last week. If Mug Club has 300,000 subscribers at $100 per year, it's 30 million per year times four years. It's 120 million, which is sizably much, much more than 50 million that the Daily Wire offered him. And this is on a table without him doing any ad reads. And he gets to keep 100% of that for his production and growth and expansion and the signing of new talent and all those great things that he'd like to do beyond what the Daily Wire does. So that's his opportunity on the table. Now, you might think, Daily Wire, it's seven ad reads. <clears throat> what kind of kink does that throw into production? I think we have a clip here from Ben Shapiro, good friend of uh, Stephen Crowder and co-partner, co-owner of the Daily Wire. And here is Mr. Shapiro trying to do his daily job and do his darndest to respond to this Crowder situation. But wait, got to read an ad for Jace Medical. LD, if you have that clip, let's go ahead and play that and enjoy it together just for irony's sake. That's a serious problem. This is where Jace Medical comes in. You need to be prepared for anything. It can be very difficult to come by the things you actually need. Remember during the pandemic at the very, very beginning, you couldn't get any toilet paper? Well, imagine that something bad happens out there, natural disaster, and I can't get the antibiotics you need. That's a serious problem. And doing it by attacking a person like Jeremy, who's been extremely kind to Stephen, is just vile at the highest possible level. It's, It's personally repulsive. It's absolutely repulsive. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, if the past couple of years have taught us anything, it's that in a crisis-like situation, it can be very difficult to come by the things you actually need. Remember during the pandemic at the very, very beginning, you couldn't get any toilet paper? Well, imagine that something bad happens out there, natural disaster, and now you can't get the antibiotics you need. That's a serious problem. This is where Jace Medical comes in. You need to be prepared for anything, and my new partners at Jace Medical are here to help. Jace Medical helps you get a long- All right, so if you're going to have to do that, as talent reporting on a story, especially such an incendiary story that you have to like hold that thought while I do this one minute thing. And then we'll get, it's really awkward. It seems unprofessional. It seems like Ben has to become a puppet for that one minute. And then he can go back to what he was naturally doing. And if you're going to do that, why don't you just have a hard ad break like every other radio station for the past hundred years and say, we'll be right back and have a professionally produced ad that doesn't make, you know, it's like Ben has to play two roles there. And it seems really awkward for talent to have to do that. I know I wouldn't want to have to do that during this show. I can only imagine having a bigger show and having to do that seven times per show. It must be frustrating because it's like blocking your goal of getting things done all the time. And it doesn't necessarily get people to have interest in the right ways. So it leaves room for improvement. Sorry, as I'm mute. It interrupts one's train of thought as well, which is is especially when you're in a moment of parhesia, when you're speaking about something with passion, with conviction, with evidence, and you're just in that flow state. All of a sudden, you have to stop and read an ad. The irony he's is, defending I mean, his business partner Jeremy in a very heated situation, and he's right. like, "Hold my beer, I have to do an ad." <laughs> <laughs> It, the irony is uh, almost yeah. uh, of avalanche qualities right now. You know, the other thing to consider, I didn't listen to that whole clip, but I just wonder what type of straw man or ad hominem is being hoisted by. Because it sounded like he was saying it's so reviling, um, just a completely unscrupulous and sort of morally dubious behavior on behalf of Crowder. Well, was it? It's not as if the man necessarily docks Jared. I mean, okay. 
he did record his conversations. That is true, but he didn't like re- he didn't reveal his like residence. He didn't reveal anything that didn't have to do with the specific point that Crowder was trying to make. That has to do with the business model that's going to prevent younger talent like himself from rising up because they're going to be constrained by YouTube, by advertisers, and you know, big captured by essentially big tech. Well, and- let me ask you this: if if Crowder came out and accused Jeremy of calling those people wage slaves, who would believe him? And they would ask, where's your evidence right. of there such claims? Right. So the only play they have is the emotional play. Appeal to emotion, ad hominem, straw man. Think how you would attack. feel if someone did this to you. Sure. I mean, I, I certainly... Golden rule. Right. That's true. It's a difficult situation. Um, I'm just curious as to what Ben said before that. Not that it's that important. We have to play it, but I might go back and listen to it in regards to see what sort of how he attacks Stephen. If it's based on just an appeal to emotion, if it's just the, the belief that it was unscrupulous that he recorded and then made um, available the recorded conversation that the only clips that were played, there's actually think more Stephen talking in those clips than there was Jeremy. Um, does he consider that Stephen's building a straw man out of those recordings and not getting the full context to what Jeremy's stating? A couple of different fallacies at play here that I find interesting, but nonetheless, if he's going to argue that's unscrupulous activity, he's misdirecting or directing away from what is the issue at hand. Maybe he addresses it as to whether or not this is a, uh, a, a business model that can be conducive moving into the future to sort of fight the big tech tyranny and the culture war that they built their entire business on in the first place. Like Ben Shapiro was going around. Him refusing the deal doesn't end that model. So in order to change that model, you can't fight it. You have to make a new model that makes it obsolete. Right. And he has the potential, like the cash is on the table. If he puts the money into production and gets uh, a suite of other producers who are likewise free to express themselves and he starts to grow that that could be something that outgrows daily wire pretty quick because they already have contractual uh, constraints and they can't easily adapt their business model to something that like, you know, most of us are figuring out. Yeah. I mean, one of the bigger issues to consider is part of people sort of missing the point in regards to the business is the, the model by which daily wire does business, but the daily wire is subservient to the contracts they have with their advertisers. To make sure that they honor those those uh, requirements as part of those contracts, so there's almost contracts above them that are for, are funding their platform, that are going to condition the quality and the type of information, the type of media they're allowed to produce, and so any Crowder other did, sort of private interests that come in and help fund it and maybe grow the business so that don't currently exist. So if so, if Crowder did want to negotiate that term sheet that we talked about last week, then he would say something like. That's fine. Seven ad reads, but I deal directly with the advertisers and set their expectations accordingly to make sure that what we're selling them is realistic and can be delivered with integrity. Because what they have is people at Daily Wire and they can't do that. Selling to those advertisers and those advertisers have never talked to Steven or set expectations. It's set up for failure and set up for penalty as it's structured from the get go. Exactly. All the punitive damages associated with it. And they can't do that because the, the Daily Wire already has those contracts in place. So they'd have to go back to their advertisers and renegotiate those contracts just to have Steven come on the platform. And that's and dangerous because by messing with any of those contracts, you mis- might be messing with business continuity and the ability to pay your hundreds of workers. Exactly. Exactly. So it's... uh 
it is what it is. Unless the Daily Wire can come out and show that that Stephen was building a straw man, and here's the evidence for it. The evidence is on Stephen's side in regards to the way in which the model is conducted and how much it stultifies young and up and coming talent, and the ability for even talent that's already well positioned and in the market to be able to really control their own destiny and control their own media production and own their own production in perpetuity. Um, you know, these are serious issues that, uh, you know, we, we brought up some niche conditions last week, some stipulative conditions in regards to what happens if Daily Wire owns their own spe- special production documentary for Steven Crowder, but then Steven Crowder gets removed from Twitter or YouTube or somewhere else. Does that get knocked down because the Daily Wire is associated with him? And then does he get punitive damages associated with that? And if he just gets removed on YouTube, even if the revenue is still coming in, they'll still uh, give him those punitive damages, which adds up to like, what, 65000 He went over that per day last week, which is actually much more costly. I think Mark Dice gave credit for it. But the point is, uh, they're, they're still being penalized, even if the revenue is coming in, even if it didn't affect the advertiser situation or the revenue still coming in as a part of Steven Crowder's show because he gets so many people on the back end subscribing to the Daily Wire. He still is part of this that contract. Now, granted... People would argue, well, then therefore it'd be negotiated, but I don't think it's quite that simple in regards to, especially in that, those specific terms. The numbers, sure, that'll be negotiated. They expect they lowballed, but at the same time, you expect them to come back with a high offer and you somewhere go in the middle. But it wasn't about the money. It was about those specific issues within the contract that had to do with punitive damages associated with him being deplatformed. So I'm back to, I don't know why he did this because in the same amount of time and energy that he's expended on this whole situation, he could have had an infrastructure up, made an offer, had 300,000 subscribers, either paying 10 bucks a month or a hundred dollars up front for the year and had the money to go start making deals and producing content. And he's now had that opportunity cost of his engine running, but no fuel going into it. He's got production costs. He's got other things that are kind of up in the air. He's got that whole staff. It's not a real secure future for them at this point because uh, he seems very wishy-washy on what he wants to do or what yeah, your outcome is. Instead of saying, let's get that 300,000 membership that was at the blaze. Let's get that hooked up over here. Let's deliver more value than we were delivering at the blaze and let's get that going and then do the expansion. And it, it just seems like. You can tell he's not a businessman in that regard. Um, Jer- I think I should uh, know. Gerald should know. Gerald seems right. to be more business savvy in that regard. The only thing I can speculate as to why they do this is one of two potential, and I think I gave three or four theories last week, but it really comes down to these two, maybe some others. But one is that he was intentionally trying to to divide and conquer the alternative conservative crowd, whatever, on these various platforms in order to rile up this, this issue, get people sort of uh, galvanized to take action in regards to what's happening and get those people to jump over to his new platform that he needs. But to build. some of those are sullied now. Some of those are daily wire fans that also like sure. Crowder. And now he's taken that list down several notches and probably has to replace some of those people. And that's why I don't think it's that that's a reasonable theory. I don't think it's that theory, but it's a reasonable one to consider. Another one is that he just is, he really believes in this. Like he just truly believes in this so much that he's willing to sacrifice potentially uh, some revenue. Um, to bring this issue to a forefront. Because if you listen to him and Tim Pool, we can't verify this, but he said he had multiple other contracts and he's been dealing with this for years in regards to these contract negotiations, the term sheet, and then the, the, the contract that comes from it. 
And when you look at it from that position and knowing that, and I mentioned this last week, I mean, he was literally um, deplatformed on YouTube for like a week over citing the CDC itself. So right. he's been literally battling big tech, big tech censorship. And this is not about Crowder. There's plenty of problems with Crowder. We, we reviewed it last week, even with what Owen was saying at the end of the show and Benjamin, that is, and some of the situations with Nake Jared and the NDA and all, I get it. Like there's, I'm not saying that he's a sort of perfect actor in this sphere. It's to me, it's not even about Crowder. It's about, I think I'm going to consider as part of the theory, as part of my own speculation that he really, they're trying to uphold to their own principles that they have and that they believe these type of contracts not only are wrong, but they're going to only help aid in the sort of Hegelian dialectic in the culture in regards to daily wire can be captured by big tech or big advertisers over time. And then they just happen to be that sort of edgy version of Fox news, which is already kind of what they are to begin with. And how that's just going to stultify or completely create a non-cultivated ground for which new up and coming talent like Steven Crowder, or like other individuals have the opportunity to platform themselves, make a living for themselves and grow their own, their own business, grow their own show. And I, that's, I'm willing to at least consider that as part of a, now, did he go about it the best way? No. Like we talked about this last week, but he probably could have handled this much better. He could have even maybe built his platform and then revealed this after the fact. I don't know. Um, yeah, but he I could have led he, by example. Could have led by example. Yeah. And maybe made it a little bit more discreet in the way in which he communicated about bad contracts and not made it so explicit. But or at the same personal, time, because I, I think personal. he's, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's even if personal. he didn't burn the bridges with personal. Jeremy, there are people who are fans of Jeremy with whom he's burned a bridge and they won't care if he makes amends with Jeremy in the future. They'll still have that bad taste and remember that emotional, unnecessary public altercation. Yeah, and he's friends with many of them at the Daily Wire. So it just it wasn't the best, both strategically and tactically. It wasn't the best way to go about doing it. But I think I'm willing to consider one of the theories is that he just on the other hand to believe he's that almost like. He's almost like an abolitionist outside the plantation yeah. saying freedom is over here. That's then that's my point about the second theories. Like that might be what's going on. And that doesn't make Steven Crowder the best or the most honest or whatever, the most truthful in the sense of what he's willing to research and expose about, you know, the stuff we cover on the show, but it disrupts life on the plantation. Yes. Yes, it does. And so I think they probably wanted to call attention to that because at any one point they had to have known that they could just go and make money. They don't have to call it this issue the way it is. They could have just made the Daily Wire obsolete just by function of doing something different and letting over time showing that this new model is is uh, compromising the Daily Wire's intention of essentially being somewhere between a cross between Fox News and like a Disney platform where they're able to produce their own TV shows, their own movies, so forth and so on, while at the same time. Uh, having all these podcasts associated with news and talk shows and whatnot with a conservative, they call themselves right center, right leaning show, uh, or at least that's on the website. And Ben Shapiro routinely says, this is a conservative talk news radio show, you know, blah, blah, blah. They just took the old AM sort of talk news style radio show. Well, and that's their advertising put it on a video model. And do advertiser. I mean, their it's model. The same yeah. Thing. They're, their ad model that they want Crowder to sign up to is like 1970s AM. Right. Disc right. jockey. That's what it is, except on a video, HD video. You're going to have to read a Ben Gay ad and a supermarket ad. And these are the things that you got to do while you're spending the oldies. Yeah. This reminds me of uh, Kyle Donegan. We were watching the whole, uh, what was it, with Michael Jackson. I forget what the, the space blob. 
Anyways, when they did the whole parody on Star Trek and the Ben Shapiro character who's Spock essentially stops halfway through, he's doing a, you know, a reasonable rant about the way in which the crew is acting. He has to, but, but if you act fast, you can get eForms.com. Quickly, you can get all your needs met if you just go to eForms.com. They have contracts, they have NDAs, they have everything you need to get done as quickly as possible and move on with your life and business. Now, back to the show. There was another clip of his I heard this past week, and it had to do with uh, VPN. He had to interrupt what he was Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Express VPN. VPN pitches. Luckily, it's we don't have to do VPN pitches to make this show go on. And here's one of the big issues. members, because we're a couple steps ahead. One of the things that needs to be considered, not to cut you off, but this is the most important element, is like what's not being fundamentally defined is this gray space that's been an issue since the the, um, public discourse moved from public platforms to private platforms, is where does the First Amendment come in? Because right now, on a private platform, they get to make the choice as to how they enforce that what type of content they're allowed on what they're going to allow through that platform. And again, if that platform is being subservient to advertisers over time, like they're going to have to curtail the type of media to what the advertisers demand, whether or not that's happening now or will happen into the future. And if it's not advertisers, it could be an investor that comes in later. If they go public, it will then, you know, who are investors and advertisers. In the biggest pocket, deepest pocket sense, it's members of the World Economic Forum. There you go. And that's why there you that's go. what that's you why we have one on. nation under blackmail. Yeah, there you go. That's a good segue. All right. So uh tonight's guest is someone we did a we did it pre-taped because we're not expecting Dr. Shiva Ayadurai to stay up late and watch Grand Theft World and such things. So I talked to him a couple days ago. And I wanted to talk to him because first off, he's an outspoken character in the truth movement and uh, a savvy intellect who you know, finds some incongruencies, inconsistencies, contradictions, and is intelligent enough to do some asking and find uh, what's on the end, other end of such strings. And uh, a lot has been made uh, of the past couple of years, uh, past couple months of the Twitter files. And he had a lawsuit that's gone on for the past couple of years uh, that disclosed many of the things we're learning through the Twitter files through a second source were first cited in his lawsuit. So there's a lot of interesting angles. He's uh, the inventor of email. If you guys not electronic messaging, it's email. And uh, you, you could check out his book. He publishes under the name VA Shiva. And uh, let's go ahead. Uh, LD is going to roll it for us. We have uh, a nice, tight hour conversation with Dr. Shiva Ayadurai. Tonight, Grand Theft World. Welcome back to the Grand Theft World podcast. Tonight's guest is Dr. Shiva Ayadurai. He's not only a PhD from MIT, he's an outspoken activist on all things pandemic. He was early on the scene. He, his work was kind of shadow banned, overlooked, censored. And that's because there's substance. It's because he's over the target that he might be getting attacked out there sometimes, but he's always interesting to listen to. I've tuned into him for several years, even before the pandemic, because his systems approach to thinking, to immunology, to health, and to our lives can be really valuable. Dr. Shiva, thank you for attending Grand Theft World. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing wonderfully well. Thank you for asking. All right. So the hotspots are this uh, the backdoor in Twitter. People know about the Twitter files now. All this sort of stuff is coming out to the public. But they're not seeing evidence. They're just seeing tweets. 
and we haven't seen source materials yet. You, many months before the Twitter files, you had some interesting encounters with Twitter, with censorship uh, on a short list of people who got banned super heavily. And it was like known you were persona non grata. You cannot, you have your intellect shared like everyone else on the open internet. You were not uh, given that right or privilege. You were denied that. And you were also running for U.S. Senate in Massachusetts at it, you know, so it's highly unusual, the censorship of someone of your acumen. Plus you were running for a campaign. You should have had protections against that censorship. And then when those things came around, uh, it was a little bit too late. Now, not, not getting into the politics and the vote counting and all those things that we should also talk about. I'm interested in the, the back door that you discovered in the Twitter while you're going through litigation and the pro se nature of that. And then we can get into these other juicier points. Yeah. So I think first and a couple of, uh, Minor corrections. First of all, sure. Twitter files came out nearly two over two years after we exposed it. So it's not a few months, over two years. So it's actually very old news. And it's actually uh, not only is it old news, it's plagiarized. This And same with The Intercept. The second piece is that uh, over a quarter of a billion people actually got word of our stuff because we have an independent channel that we did. So I think what our the I think the thing that bothers these guys is that because we have an independent movement, the movement for truth, freedom, health, we have our own platform um, independent of them, that we were able to get this out to over a quarter of a billion people on the planet. So I think that's what's so we're not here. We don't frankly need them. We don't need their coverage. We don't even want their coverage. Um, So I think it's important to recognize that we're not here to beg for their coverage, nor do we need it, nor we're here to whine and say we're the victims. In fact, we were the victors because it was our movement that exposed all of this. And we got it out to over 250 million unique individuals all over the world in 2020 and 2021. So it's very important to understand. That's um, a great That's a great success story. Yeah. But, so, but you'd have so, to agree there's a lot more of the population that needed that life-saving information and wasn't getting it. Yes. Right? So, so we should talk about that. So the reason, yeah. but the reality is if it was... 10 years ago, they would have completely concealed it. You know, I was in walking through an airport in Dubai, random people would come and say, hey, we saw your videos in India, in Mexico. So lots of people saw this and God knows how many people saw this. So what they've had to do is because we have our own independent channels and our own independent way of getting it out. um, The problem that they have is that uh, it has to do with their relevance and their maintaining relevancy. So if you think about this, historically, what happens is when bottoms up movements come, when independent people come, they get concealed and no one knows about them. The problem they had with myself and our movement was you have a guy who's been around in the public for nearly 20 years. You have an MIT PhD. You have a reasonably esteemed scholar. So we were able to get out our stuff. The problem that they have is why didn't they cover this? So this is an awesome opportunity to actually expose them. Um, for what they actually are. And you can go from everyone on the left and the right, be it Tucker Carlson, be it Robert F. Kennedy Jr., be it, you know, AOC, be it uh, the left, right, be it Elon Musk, all of these people who are frankly part of the intelligence network of grifters. They exist to make sure that they bring corral people back into one wing of the establishment. So that's what we need to understand. So um, it's very important to understand a system's approach to the manipulation that takes place. And that's what we educate people on. And the more people that educate people on that, we're not waiting for these guys, nor do we feel victimized. In fact, you feel very empowered. So when you go back and look at the history of this, the broader history, 
of how the left and the right have collaborated together. And it's not, uh, the unfortunate thing is many of the people who get involved in politics uh, typically try to point the center. Oh, it's this person, some reptile person over here. It's his aliens over <laughs> here, or it's this. So they try to give a center of it, the realities. It, it should be viewed more of a self-organizing system, a swarm when you see these birds running around and they all are interconnected as one class. So if you look at the obvious establishment of the left and the right, they're the obvious people you could call out Gates and Fauci and you know whoever it is in the UK establishment or the Indian, et cetera. But that's the easy part. So it's very easy for these grifters today to call out Fauci now or to call out Bill Gates, okay? But the real devils in all of this are the not so obvious establishment. It is the people who come years later and then they start calling out the establishment, but to make money for themselves because they're frankly selfish because they don't want to do the right thing at the right time. The analogy I like to give is imagine you and I lived in a, a city and I'm an expert, let's say, on crime and uh, I can identify a criminal from, you know, and I, I've been doing that work all my life, let's say. Let's say I'm a forensics criminologist, right? And I know a guy just moved into the town who I know is going to start robbing everyone in the town. And I get on uh, the media and I share all the information, how I came to these conclusions, et cetera. Now, imagine there are four or five influencers in that town who have access to everyone in that town. And they don't do anything at the time I'm sharing all the data that we're doing all the groundwork, educating the people, they're actually staying quiet. Meanwhile, this guy goes around and robs the entire town, maybe millions of dollars, and he escapes. He's made the money and he's gone. Now, these guys, let's assume they come maybe a year, maybe a year and a half, two years later, after he's essentially heisted everyone, and then they write books about this guy. Then they do TV shows, okay? And then they make their secondary income off of that. So he made his primary income stealing everyone. These people make their secondary income talking about him and how he's an awful person. And that's exactly what has taken place in every one of these issues, be it what I exposed in 2019, 2020 with Fauci on the immune system, way ahead. Robert Kennedy didn't say shit against Fauci, neither did Rand Paul, neither did Thomas Massey, neither did any of these guys, Charlie Kirk, go down the list. They waited until... You can go look at it right on their Twitter feed, October 2021, writing books plagiarized from our material, even Robert Malone. And then they try to say, oh, my God, Fauci's awful. Well, where were you in 2020 or 2019 when you when your voice could have mattered? Well, you weren't there because you were part of this. And that's the either you're part of it, either you're just dumb, incompetent, or you're not a journalist because journalists want to catch the scoop. Right. Oh, my God, I got to get that story. And so, so we don't I, know which of those three it is, but either way, we probably shouldn't be taking their authority. Well, you can definitely question. say they're probably not incompetent. You can definitely say, um, but I definitely say if they're journalists like Tucker Carlson, one definitely they're not journalists. So they did this because they're part of that swarm. Okay. You're saying intentionally, intentionally, or, intentionally, or ignorantly, it's all the same result, though. We shouldn't well, look at they, them as yeah, an authority but, but and case, listen to them. Well, I think we, we we could say it's intentional. It's absolutely intentional because these people that I'm talking about absolutely knew what was going on. And they wanted to, the best case you could offer them is they wanted to which way the wind was blowing and they wanted to wait 
until they could be part of the club. So they weren't isolated. Okay. I can agree with you on that. And you and I both know it doesn't pay to be early in the narrative because it's very unpopular to put this stuff out ahead well, of the narrative puts it out. But for them, for them. they, they turned they, their narrative shifted right about the time. It also became profitable to talk about these things, right? Well, they it weren't became the, profitable it, to, it became profitable to talk about them. Remember these people are part of the establishment and this is a naive type people need to get over. These people are absolutely part of the establishment. This is why academics, you see, there's talking about the truth and then there's action. If you just simply talk about the truth and you don't take any action to mobilize people, that's what academics do. They write beautiful books years later after the massacre occurs here or there. And then they, and that's how they get to maintain their academic positions. All right. Other people just will take action without any basis in truth. Those are called terrorists. They just go do crazy shit. Okay. And other people tell half truths and they delay it. And these people do this because they want, they know their viewership is lazy. They want viewers who are lazy that they, outsource their attention to them. We'll come back to this. But fundamentally, there's a dynamic here. So anyone like fucker, Tucker Carlson, okay, who knew what was going on, because when you take our lawsuit, on, we have it all documented. People go to winbackfreedom.com. When we discovered the backdoor portal into Twitter, it was we did it, not Stephen Miller, not the Twitter files, not Elon Musk. It was myself, acting pro se in our lawsuit where we were fighting the government in our trenches. On October 15, 2020, we wrote to Tucker Carlson, Tucker, you should cover this. October 30th, after we won our lawsuit in the preliminary injunction hearing, where the judge was appalled when we found out that the social media director tells him that they have a VIP portal backdoor into Twitter, and they use that portal to silence a U.S. Senate candidate who is exposing government officials. It's in black and white. It's in transcripts. We put it up. It's been up there close to three years now. Tucker Carlson was notified about this, Glenn Greenwald and the ACLU. They did nothing. Why? And this will get to the heart of the issue. Why didn't they do anything in October of 2020? I'll tell you why. Because A, they knew that I represented somebody who was not part of the left wing or the right wing. I represented a bottoms up movement that had arose in Massachusetts. 3,000 people, bottoms up, millions of people all over the world supported our election campaign. We had exposed the fundamental issue of real issues with the elections, ballot images being deleted, chain of custody and signature verification, not the other bullshit that started getting put out there to sell pillows. OK, nice guy selling pillows. And a lot of people, grifters like Jack Posobiec, who's grifter Maximus, getting codes to sell pillows. And they subsumed all the other real issues and election integrity became a right wing issue, not an American issue. That's what harm these guys did. But the bottom line is we expose Fauci. We ran the fire Fauci campaign in 2020. In January 6th of 2020, we ran one of the biggest protests in New Jersey where we stopped the vaccine mandates as COVID was hitting the shores here. And what were these guys doing? Robert Kennedy literally drove his little SUE around and was telling people, oh, Shiva's going to hurt the Democrats in negotiating in backroom discussions. It was our militant movements on the bottom ground which stopped that vaccine mandate. What was Tucker Carlson doing? Nothing. He waited until early November 2022. In October 30th, 2022, is when The Intercept drops their DHS leaks. This is before the Twitter files. Why do they do that? Well, October 28th is when Elon Musk bought Twitter. 
On 29th, I did a post on Facebook. I still was banned off Twitter for now two years at that point. And I said, Elon, there's a backdoor portal. Call me. Here's my phone number. And you need to take that down day one. The next day, The Intercept drops their DHS leak saying, aha, we found this. the, the FBI is involved with Twitter. Well, if you look at our censorship diagram on winbackfreedom.com, that's only one component. There was a little tip of the iceberg. They forgot everything else. What did they forget? They forgot that the oligarch called Pierre Omidyar, who owns The Intercept, funds them, runs them, you know, funded them, and is their founder, is the one who funded the Center for Internet Security, which created that backdoor portal into Twitter. So they conveniently leave that out. This is known as a classic limited hangout. It's a term that I've recently come to learn, which is a term that was created by the Nixon White House, where you put out a little piece of a story. You've committed all these crimes, but you put out a little piece of it and you construct it so the public thinks, oh my God, we got all the story, let's move on to the next. So that's what DHS leaks was by the internet. So the problem they had was we exist as an independent movement. We called them out on it. We did a nice diagram showing a little tip of an iceberg, the limited hangout, by the way, which Robert Malone plagiarized a few weeks ago. Okay. Now he's supposed to be an academic. He better give credit. Uh, and he doesn't. So all these guys, I'm convinced are part of the intelligence network who do not want independent movements. They want all attention coming back to the establishment. So if you look in 2020, had Tucker Carlson said anything back then, we could have probably stopped many things. He has a big megaphone. But what he does in uh, November of 2022, he has the reporters from The Intercept on Fox News to millions of people. He goes, oh, my God, I can't believe this was ignored. You fucking ignored it, Tucker. You did. Okay, so Tucker Carlson, among the so-called right conservatives, people need to get their head out of their butts to realize that this guy, he wanted to be in the CIA. He's like this with Hunter Biden. And these guys are masters at doing theater and entertaining you. So if you want to be entertained, go follow them. But if you want to change the world, then you need to look into Truth Freedom Health because we're building a bottoms up movement, which is truly in alignment with paying honor to those movements that took place in the 1800s and 1900s throughout the world. So these people do not want to give any views, eyeballs to independent movements because it makes them irrelevant. So fundamentally, when you get to that conclusion, you realize someone like a Tucker Carlson, someone like a Charlie Kirk, someone like all these grifters are actually anti-Americans. They're selfish and they're and they're against people, because if they truly cared about the First Amendment, they would have been all over what occurred in 2020. But they don't. What they care about is eyeballs to themselves and to their organization so they could make money off freedom loving Americans, patriots. That's what they're about. If you go look at the and, you know, and if you go look at the issue with the uh, issue with Fauci and the immune system, you know, it's 2019, you know, as one of the experts on the immune system, I gave a talk at the National Science Foundation and invited talk, which, you know, only one person gets invited every year to give that talk on the modern science of the immune system in November of 2019. And I gave a wonderful analysis of what the modern immune system is contrasting it to the old view of the immune system, which is what vaccines are based on. And then so we'd already talked about this. We called out, you know, the existing medical establishment for not understanding the nature of the immune system to propose one size fits all medicine was ridiculous. So in 26 in 2020, 
we were the first ones to call out Fauci on March 2020. We wrote a letter to Trump saying, get rid of this guy. You don't need to do lockdowns. I wrote a very detailed letter saying, get rid of this guy. Don't lock down the country. Take a portion of the country who are seriously immunocompromised. Quarantine them, but the others give them support the immune system with vitamin D. And, you know, I give a whole protocol. We laid it out. And we know he got it because Marla Maples walked it over to him. And we had a talk with the White House. During the early part of February, I got a call from the White House by one of the senior economic advisors saying Trump is not listening to them. He's listening to Fauci. And 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 this guy implored and me. Right. Yeah. He's listening and, to yeah, Fauci yeah. and Gates. Yeah. And, and he implored me to do videos. If you go look in 2020, I used to spend after I ran my company and doing all this, I used to do two to three videos a day educating people on the immune system. So it was it wasn't we were raising money like Children's Health Defense Fund or like Trump raising money for Save America. We did this out of the love for this country. We did videos on the immune system. We did videos when we found out they stole my election on the election systems. And we did videos on fighting on the ground in federal court where we exposed everything. So anyone listening out there, you need to make a decision in your life. Do you want to sit on your ass and outsource your future to these false gods who frankly don't give a fuck about you? They really don't. These people who are the celebrities, who are entertainers, frankly, they're not about building bottoms up movements. They're entertainers. And they're all about views to their websites, which, which they monetize. They're not about building a groundswell movement. So in, you look at the big tech censorship and you look at the fundamental issue there. When you take a systems approach, it is that there's a backdoor portal into all social media companies. Elon Musk has not taken it down. If he needed to spend $44 billion to discover this, he's an idiot because it was in our lawsuits. And I, I think he's more than an idiot. When he bought Twitter and due diligence, he knew this existed. He agreed to keep it going. Where Elon Musk begins and government ends, nobody knows. <laughs> because SpaceX is completely dependent on the government, 5.7 billion. Tesla profitability is completely de dependent on carbon tax credits they got. And Twitter is wholly dependent on its 40 billion, $50 billion valuation because of Section 230 immunity. So where Elon Musk ends and government begins, nobody knows. And to think he suddenly comes on the scene. I didn't see him there in 2020. Did you, Richard? I didn't see him talking about Fauci to be anywhere. Fair, to be fair, because I, I have I've had a mental note that because I thought back, you mentioned March, March of 2020. If you go back and look at my Twitter, I was already on to because I'd read uh, Whitney Webb's January article on DARPA. I was already looking into EcoHealth. I had already uh, identified chloroquine and Dr. Didier Raoult as like, because my perspective was the top medical people don't know what's going on. I better start seeing what might abate these alleged symptoms, these sort of things. So before Elon wrote hydroxychloroquine uh, is a less toxic version of chloroquine, and then Trump picked that up days later, my tweets and research were existing before that even came about. Yeah, but so, I'm saying even hydroxychloroquine, iver ivermectin, these don't address the issue of boosting the immune system. They're still well, no, but They're at still that early time, it was better research than we had coming from the government. So he didn't say anything against Fauci at that time, but he was actually looking for solutions to the uh, what was being said. Well, the first time he ever mentions Fauci in any of his Twitter feeds uh, is in December of 2022. Okay. There you go. There you so go. The, the bottom line is people need to start listening to people actually come bottoms up, not top down. And America was built on a bottoms up notion. 
and the entertainment industry, you know, the celebrity machinery, the Silicon Valley machinery has brainwashed people to always look above, not to your neighbors. And this is where we're at today. So when you look at our lawsuit, it was a bottoms up movement. We won that election on a landslide. We exposed for the first time that these ballot images get destroyed. You can go look at the history. We started talking about this. We exposed it. And then we exposed that the fact there is a portal. We exposed the playbooks in May of 2021. And we drew that entire censorship diagram, which has been up on winbackfreedom.com. So everyone should go ask Tucker Carlson, where the fuck was he? And you'll find out that he was nowhere to be found. In fact, he concealed this. It's more than just ignoring it. He concealed it. So he intentionally concealed it. Glenn Greenwald, who tries to be the little dweeb as though he's like the investigative reporter, concealed it. And the ACLU concealed it. Now, fast forward to October 30th of 2022, right when The Intercept, and by the way, we wrote to the Pulitzer Prize Committee and told them, don't even bother thinking about giving these guys a Pulitzer because they plagiarized our stuff. So we have that on record. So The Intercept was created by Pierre Omidyar, the founder of eBay, who also bought PayPal from Musk and Thiel. And he was the one who founded and funded The Intercept. So here, Omidyar funds The Intercept under this branding, oh, we're the ones who really break investigative journalism. Over here, he funds all sorts of enterprises, which are anti-American, anti-democracy, one of them being the Center for Internet Security. And the Center for Internet Security is the nonprofit that was created between government and big tech so they could launder the censorship, as our diagram shows on winbackfreedom.com, because if government censored a U.S. citizen directly, that would be considered violation. So what they did was they still violated, but in a very clever way. They, they had non-governmental organizations fill in the gap between government and private companies. And they say this black and white in the documents we found again in 2020. And so The Intercept, this guy Fang and Klippenstein, leave out the fact that their boss is the owner, the funder of The Intercept. He also created that clearinghouse to do that. So this is an example of a classic example of limited hangout. Now it gets even worse. Immediately thereafter, who amplifies his story? Tucker Carlson, Glenn Greenwald, and the ACLU. Pierre Omidyar funds about a million bucks a year to the ACLU, which is the organization which supposed carries for free speech. So when you look at this, a movement over here, an individual who's fighting in the trenches exposes this. These guys could have given us air cover. They gave nothing. So these people are criminals, actually. It's not like they're just dumb or incompetent. They actively concealed it. And then they waited two years to amplify the message of an organization you could say is part of the intelligence network, which is the Intercept. Think about their name, Intercept. They intercept stories and they sit on them and then they release pieces of them. So that's the entire history with the backdoor portal. That backdoor portal still exists. And here's my prediction is that Elon Musk keeps acting like he's for free speech. Wonderful act. <laughs> they do They do the Twitter files in December they first do their first Twitter space on December, I think, 2nd or 3rd of 2022. And in that meeting, if you go look at it, Clayton Morris of Redacted had done an interview with us a couple of weeks before that. And he said, wow, Dr. Shiva is the one who found this portal. So he asks Elon Musk point blank on that Twitter space. He goes, Elon, Dr. Shiva's lawsuit in 2020 exposes portal. 
do you still have this portal up and how do you reckon reckon that reconcile that with your claim that you're against you're for free speech elon musk doesn't answer the question goes oh that would be like big brother let me look into it well that was december 3rd one could argue well he needed some time what's been now you're getting close to two months elon musk has no intention of shutting down that backdoor portal because again where government ends and elon musk begins nobody knows and if you fundamentally look at it what he's waiting for and in that little interaction with Clayton, he says, you know, I will not do anything that's against the law, nor will I do anything that's beyond the law. Well, a backdoor portal into government agencies that was used to suppress a U.S. Senate candidate is is as beyond the law as you can get. So that's when you look at it. So that's why when I got back on Twitter only about, I think, two weeks ago, I think our Mm -hmm. followers grew by 50,000 literally in about 30 days. So you can imagine, you know, I would do a tweet and I'd get 30,000 retweets. That's a kind of engagement we had. The Stanford Long Fuse report said there were six people on the Internet who were considered super spreaders. All the other five guys were funded by billionaires, not me. You know, Trump, Breitbart, so on. So we our movement was bottoms up. We would do very nice tweets with deep educational videos. And that's why they needed to get me off Twitter They kept all the other grifters on Twitter because Twitter is the platform for politics. Facebook is really for, you know, by and large, it's for, you know, families, you know, Instagram, they each have these different mediums. So um, we are we are escalating our lawsuit to go after DHS, which we've started that process. And um, we have a deadline coming up in May on that. But the bottom line is, if you look at the entire big tech censorship, it was all discovered here. It was concealed. Then a limited hangout was done. And then about a month ago, Stephen Miller, Trump's former uh, press guy, he goes, oh, my God, we've discovered this portal. Give me money. And then Trump says, oh, my God, this is awful. We, yeah. I, when I become president, I'll shut it down. Now, just to give you the facts here, it was in 2018, 2017, 2018, when CISA was signed into law, Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, by none other than Trump and the Republicans and Democrats. They're the ones who created this infrastructure to create that entire censorship network, which you may want to show on the screen when you, you know, when you're in post. But you should understand that that diagram is probably about three PhD projects that we did. And the Epoch Times has a nerve after Joshua Phillips knew about our lawsuit of all the text messages. We're going to expose him too. he said, oh, well, let me cover this after the lawsuit's over. But they literally take our diagram, plagiarize it recently on their front page, but leave out the most important part, which is the oligarchs who are involved in creating that infrastructure. They leave out the Murdochs. Mm. They leave out Pierre Omidyar. They leave out um, they leave out Zuckerberg. And then they push the biggest oligarch, Musk, as a creator, the fighter for free speech. But so and people should also look at the Epoch Times. Um, you know, they in 2019, they made $15 million in revenue. Guess how much they made in 2020 in revenue? 75 million. A 5x growth in revenue is quite extraordinary for a publisher when all other publishers are going down the tubes. So all of these guys, anyone who concealed our lawsuit is beyond suspect. Because had you done something in 2020, we could have stopped many, many things. So that means they allowed it to take place no different than... The, the person in that small town 
who's been told there's a crook, allows it to take place. And then they write books. Imagine me writing books about the criminal after he's gone, after he's fled, and then saying, oh, look at me, look at me, I'm doing you a public service. So that's the lawsuit issue. And you can take the same dynamics with when we expose Fauci. You know, Rand Paul waited until a year to, to then start using hashtag fire Fauci, but it was part of his donation campaign to give him money. Where was Rand Paul? You're supposedly a medical doctor. Did you study immunology? Probably not. And here's an MD, he's an MIT PhD, who's a leading guy in the immune system. Where were you? And we wrote to Rand, did nothing. So they wait until it's either popular or when it benefits them to make money. It's all about money making for them. It's follow the money. And you can look at the same thing with the election systems issue. Trump made a half a billion dollars worth of from, from our material. Eventually, he called me to meet with him in Mar-a-Lago. We had a meeting. And I you know, uh, the first meeting was a very interesting meeting for two hours. The second meeting, I said, look, we need to create an election systems integrity institute. He doesn't want to spend one money. Where did the half a billion go that he raised? And he raised that off my back. We did all the freaking work. And other people sold pillows. And they subsumed the real issues. So the left and the right, one wing is about attacking the other wing. The other wing is about attacking the other wing. And during this period, they make money. So now you're going to see the right wing say, oh, yeah, we need to start this uh, committee, you know, the church committee against the left, just like the left did it against the right. And they're going to make money off of it. And so the good news is this. Because a movement like ours exists, and the only movement of its kind in the world, we teach people fundamentally the science of systems. If people don't understand system science, which is how these interconnections take place, and by the way, the elites learn this, they go to their highest institutions, they learn the science. I've made it accessible to millions of people in a format that anyone can consume it. So everyday working people don't have to go get their PhDs. So number one, without that science, people will keep getting fooled. Number two, once you learn that science, you have to build community, which we've created now, a global community. Third, you have to go bottoms up. And most importantly, what this teaches us is you have to be highly, highly critical of the not just the establishment, but the not so obvious establishment. You know, so a couple of weeks ago, we went to MIT and we called out Gates to debate me on natural immunity versus, you know, vaccination. And, you know, uh, MIT has a building which is about a quarter of a billion dollars worth. It's called the Stata Center. And so we went there and we did our live out of there and we did a Twitter spaces and we did, we just sort of did a multimedia and we covered up Gates's picture or, and we called it the truth freedom and health building. And out of there, what we, we called out every grifter out there, all these grifters need to be called out. Scott Adams now comes out. He goes, Oh yeah, well, I was wrong on, you know, maybe, you know, the pro-vaxxers were right. Why are you saying it now, Scott? The reason you're saying it now, because you're a selfish bastard because you're losing followers. He just watches the trade the wind blows. Oops, everyone's pro-vaccine or media, and he's a big gate supporter. Now, I've done interviews with him, and in 2019, I said, Scott, here is the reality of the immune system. He claims he's pro-science. He's a pseudo-intellectual. Didn't cover any of it. Didn't do any analysis. Just went with the wind. But now when he feels a pinch, probably, that it's affecting his revenue and his viewership, now he does a self-criticism grift. So we have to get very, very wise. We have to, as we say in New Jersey, we have to get street smart. Well, getting street smart uh, starts with asking questions like this. Where did that portal originate? Where did it originate? It originated initially, um, you know, when we found, you know, on May of 2021, 
we found the first documents on a server in England. And uh, Katie Minsall, who was then the general counsel for Twitter, and, it was, and the you, you remember, people don't understand, no other country in the world has a First Amendment except the United States. Only 4% of the world gets the First Amendment. And all the Commonwealth countries, all the other countries do not like the First Amendment. They want to get rid of it. They wanted to get rid of it since 1776. So it started there. They implemented it um, so the UK government could use it against their citizens. Then it went to India. Then it went to Taiwan, New Zealand, and then it was brought here. At 2018, that portal was advanced. The architecture of it was laid out uh, at the Belfer School at Harvard. And you had left and right there. You had Robbie Mook there. You had Tommy Hicks there. You had everyone on the left and right. And this, when you look at that diagram, in that diagram, you will see that the people that are involved in it was the Secretary of State of Massachusetts. The entire, the sewer that feeds a global swamp starts right here in Massachusetts. It starts at a Harvard University, which is directly connected to Oxford. So the so at Belfer is where they put all this together. They created the architecture. They created the manuals for how they will censor American speech and how they would create this backdoor portal into social media companies using the non-governmental organizations as a back end. So as I coined the term, they could launder censorship. So it's very so, important people to understand that all of this is figured out. We didn't pay $44 billion for it. Okay. So when people are saying, oh my God, Elon Musk has done a great sacrifice. Are you stupid? Or are you so much into star fucking? Is that what you are? Look, in Hollywood, when I was out there, when people go running up to these celebrities and they ask them for autographs, you know, when the person walks away, you know what those celebrities say in the background? They go, oh, another stupid star fucker. So that's how they think about you. Whether it's Elon Musk and Robert Kennedy, the gall of him to talk that he's against pro-vaccine, go to rfkexposed.com. He has a video where he's saying, I'm pro-vaccine. I'm emphatically pro-vaccine. I want to make sure we have uh, full vaccination policies for all Americans, quote, unquote. Well, at his home, in the middle of the lockdown, where he's saying, oh, yeah, we should stand up. He has a big party in Malibu and everyone's got to be vaccinated. So the not so obvious establishment is very clear. It says, I'm going to talk one way and I'm going to act another way. And you, uh, plebes, peasants, are going to be okay with that. And so it's hypocrisy for them and double think for us. Right. But the issue is, the real issue is not even the obvious establishment, not so obvious. It's time that working people recognize that they should have some self-respect for themselves. They should have some dignity for themselves. And why are you following these charlatans? Why? And the reason you're doing it is because over the last, particularly the last 50 years, there's been so much brainwashing by the media to outsource your, your amazing freedoms that this country still has, a few of them it still has left, upward, not across, neighbor to neighbor. So when we talk about, you know, our movement, um, so anyway, the analysis has been done. We know who the scumbags are, but we also have the solution. You know, it's one thing to curse the darkness. You also have to light a candle, okay? And the candle is a movement for truth, freedom, health. So foundationally, when you look at this, let me just, uh, I'm going to share my screen here if I can. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so if you look at this, um, what we so here's a solution. You know, it took me about probably about 40 years of my life, you know, coming from India. Let me just go back to this. You know, India has a caste system. So I grew up in this world which had a caste system. That's a very 
political system which was about oppressing lots of people. I grew up in a world where my grandmother was a traditional healer practicing traditional systems of Indian medicine, completely different framework. Ayurveda? Siddha's older medicine? than Ayurveda. Siddha's okay. older than Ayurveda. Siddha, okay. um, and then the third aspect was, you know, I have four degrees from MIT in engineering systems. Now, if you look at all those three worlds, the world of politics, the caste and the world of medicine, this ancient form of Indian medicine, and you look at engineering systems, electrical, mechanical, biological, all those systems, what I uncovered was all of these big areas of science have a common set of nine principles, systems principles that you can educate anyone on. And when people learn this, they get a profound understanding of all systems operate. Now, those in power actually know some of them. They actually they don't know all the interconnections, which we figured out. That was consolidated into a book, System and Revolution. That then became a course that I taught at MIT, which is one of the most popular electives. And then when I ran for politics, I took those principles and we created a movement out of it. And now what we recognize is that the only way to win is, number one, you have to understand the science of systems. And why do I say that? And, and the best way to explain that is in this diagram here. So, you know, our slogan is get educated or be enslaved. But what do you need to get educated on? Do you watch a bunch of YouTube videos about reptiles doing this or aliens or this or that or whatever the hell it is, right? There's thousands of videos you can watch. And what you find is, and I'll, is, you know, by the way, our movement now, our system has over 360,000 users in 95 countries, even in Antarctica, believe it or not. Um, and our people who take our movement are not celebrities, they're everyday people who are becoming great, not only students, but also educators and, mo and they're mobilizing people. But we have a lot of wins. We're not here to be desperate. We have victory after victory after victory from everything I've shared with you today. But the fundamental thing our system solves is you have lots and lots of information out there. You have, but in spite of all this information, it's not like we have greater truth or greater freedom or greater health. What you really have is you have uh, two and a half billion adults who are obese, half a billion children. Um, you have 51% of children who feel hopeless. You have 40% of people who want to overthrow their governments. 52% are completely confused on what to eat. And 95% of people have health problems, right? And one third having five ailments. So why did this occur? This, this occurs because the forces of power, profit, and control use ignorance. Now, what is ignorance? In the concept of, in the context of system science, ignorance is if you have the entire elephant, all you do is you just put the spotlight on the ear or the tail or the leg and you teach people that is what the elephant is. That's about seeing a part, not the whole. So with, the elections issue, you have all these people running around thinking it's some weird stuff with the paper or, or just one thing. It's not just one thing. It's a, it's a combination of things. Same with the issue with vaccines. It's not pro-vax, anti-vax. It's about boosting the immune system. So um, this ignorance, which the media does in a very clever way, pointing you into one area, leads to illusion and confusion. Many people out of this will fall into one of these four buckets. They either get desperate, take a gun and want to go shoot somebody or hurt themselves. Or they go complacent, okay, I'm just going to take care of my body, I'm going to have my own garden. Or they go left and right, okay, I'm going to support Trump, now I'm going to support Obama, now I'm going to support Tulsi Gabbard, no, now I'm going to support whoever it is, DeSantis, etc. And as long as people are in these worlds, the establishment loves it. And this world is brought to you by the left and right machinery of ignorance. Many of these people may say something good, but they're actually entertainers, they're not about building movements. And the solution ultimately is this. 
The solution is there's something different between information and wisdom. In order to get to wisdom, you have to understand knowledge. Knowledge is not information. It's about seeing interconnections. And that knowledge is important because it'll get you to wisdom. Wisdom leads you to get active. You want to start talking to your neighbors. You want to build a bottoms-up movement. You want to figure out solutions. You get organized. And so what we've done is this requires the individual. It's very, very important now the individual decides, do they want to be their own guru? Do they, Guru means, in the Indian word, uh, in Sanskrit, it means one who dispels darkness. It's not some, you know, master you bow down to. It is you, and do people want to do that? And for that, we put together an entire system. We begin with teaching people, you know, the entire MIT course we make accessible to people. What is a system? Who is a not-so-obvious establishment? Why we need to build a bottoms-up movement? All these books we give as a part of it. We give the theory. We give people a tool. People can actually understand system science can be applied to your body. So you go way beyond diet to find out what are the right things for you. We enable people to understand food is a system. We do regular uh, ongoing lectures and special events. But one of the things we do is we want people to learn, teach, and serve. And then we've created a community of people. We have tools so people get on the ground. And then we've created an equivalent of Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. So, and we use this for ourselves, Richard. We want people to build these decentralized bottoms-up movements. And it's not like we need a ton of people. One person who really understands this, raises their consciousness, becomes a very powerful vehicle in their local communities. And this is the only way out of this. Otherwise, it's going to be left and right, right and left. And the establishment has an inventory of people like Trump and Tulsi Gabbard. And you can go down the list there. They have an inventory of these people to entertain people. So you come to the conclusion um, that once people do this very one degree shift, it's over. You have a world that's going to develop to achieve truth, freedom, and health, but it's going to come bottoms up. You can't expect um, shit to produce a flower. You know what I'm saying? It's going to come bottoms up. No, but uh, cow, cow patties can make mushrooms which is pretty interesting. That's a whole different conversation. All right. So you're talking about yeah. outgrowing. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're talking about outgrowing our extended adolescence to enjoy Swaraj, self-rule, self-reign, uh, self-responsibility. And you get between that knowledge and wisdom, you have to have understanding and experience to get to wisdom. So you you're have giving to people a path forward to, through I, action. Right. Well, you have to have, we call it a warrior scholar program. People need to do the work and we've made it accessible to any look most working people are taught how to work all day like i was my parents were right and the elites get to go and hang out and smoke their cigars and talk about philosophy and they get to learn these ways to manipulate people and that's the science of systems about ten thousand people at the kennedy school of government you know all these institutions learn this fletcher school of law and diplomacy so if we want to actually change the world in any fundamental way they're walking around with a nuclear weapon of knowledge and you're walking around with bows and arrows. So without that knowledge, number one is the knowledge. Number two, you have to learn how to learn it, teach it to others because you learn it and you have to serve others. And so that's the program. So we've created that catalytic infrastructure now. We're not here to convince people, but what I can tell you is one person who gets this can obliterate a lot of the darkness of this left-right stuff or pro-anti stuff in any area. And um, the more and more that happens, we're going to be always be prescient in discovering these things. And you'll see the movement's going to grow this way. And you'll see, I predict this, the left and the right will get even closer together. You can see right now, Joe 
Biden did a very interesting article in the Wall Street Journal. He did an opinion piece and he said, oh, Republicans and Democrats both need to come together against big tech censorship. And what they're teeing up right now is that in a few months or a year, Elizabeth Warren, the the nut on the left and the warmonger on the right, Lindsey Graham, are actually drafting a bill which is going to legalize the backdoor portal. That backdoor portal is, remember, the First Amendment says Congress shall pass no laws, right, to bridge the freedom of speech. So what Cong- Congress is responsible for this because they're all bought and paid. What they did was they created CISA, and CISA allows a laundering of speech. So they violated the First Amendment by laundering speech. And in order to do that, now that our stuff is out there, we're exposing this, what Elizabeth Warren and Lindsey Graham are doing, they're drafting a bill which is going to legalize those portals retroactively, retroactively. And they did this in 2000, very similar case with the warrantless wiretapping. If you go back and look at 2000, government was using telco companies to wiretap on U.S. citizens. There was a major class action lawsuit brought up against this. And in the middle of that lawsuit, Congress passes a law for the telecommunications companies to retroactively immunize them, which, by the way, that law itself is illegal. Okay, so anyway, the bottom line is Congress is getting ready to do that. Therefore, Elon Musk can say, oh, yeah, I'm not beyond the law. You see, I have a law now. So he gets Silicon Valley gets to continue. They'll probably then probably go public again because now they have even tougher Section 230 immunity. Tesla stock will grow, go up. You know, it's it's a complete racket. Yeah, hundred percent. Rico worthy should be prosecuted. The whole thing is prosec- the whole thing is Rico worthy, and and Elon Musk is their front man. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely not just an unwitting accessory to their crime. He's the thing that makes it possible, and he and he makes profit off of it. So a ton. Yeah, it's that's how he became the richest. That's how he became the richest man in the world. He he's made became the richest from- man during the pandemic. I have a little graph I found. You can see it. His wealth was here. Uh, Bezos was here. And you can see during the pandemic, it went and exceeded him. Okay. So these guys, anyone trusting them, putting their faith in them is either wanting to be like some abused wife who wants to keep getting abused. You know, they, they're addicted to Stockholm syndrome. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So, um, there's a whole lot more to talk about. I feel like our time is running short. I, I brought I, I brought something for you. I wanted to put something on the screen here. I I model out a lot of the understand, understandings and things I learned over the years, and it occurred to me that MIT, in process of giving you a PhD, might not have given you the history on how PhDs became a thing in this country. Did you ever get into that? Well, history? I know the history of PhDs. They go longer than the United States. They go back right, the, to medieval to Prussia. Time. Right. Yeah. Well, the, the yeah. Prussian PhD system. That. Yeah. Yeah. This is what I was wanting to get to. I'd like to get your opinion on a documentary I made with John Taylor Gatto that gives the history and evolution of how they took our education system. Yeah. I haven't seen it. So I have to okay. look at it before I can give you a commentary. Yeah, I, well, I'm, I'm yeah. saying I'll, I'll send you a link yeah. and uh, it'd be it'd be worthwhile given what you've. Uh, I mean, because you grew up in India, you came here when you're 14, you had a really good work ethic and we're doing things that Americans who are kind of like slower at the pace and a little bit more comfortable and lazy. You had well, a well, rapid let's be upward well, well, trajectory. Well, actually, look, Americans are the hardest working people. 
You know, that's why my parents came here. What happened was in the 1970s, when the Department of Education consolidated, you know, when I worked in New Jersey in that small medical school where I invented the first email system, all the people around me, my mentor, Dr. Michelson, I was 14. He said, we're going to let you work. I was given a full-time job as a 14-year-old. He said, we're going to, you have to work as hard as us and as, you know, with the high quality. And all those guys, man, they busted their ass. So what happened really was in the late 90s, early 90s in that period is when all the effects of the Department of Education's consolidation efforts in the 1970s affected a lot of the youth and particularly their parents. So we have to recognize America was built on very, very hardworking people. And the, the goal was to make them not value work. So it was a deliberate effort that took place and the, and the celebrity culture was, was really the part, you know, the main part of doing that. I think once you see that there was an organized effort from the top down, just like you've noticed in these other areas and that there's a hundred years of history behind what we inherit today as some sort of school system, it's a really fascinating um, symbiosis with the British empire's plans for taking America back in and globalism and internationalism. Oh yeah. Things, big time. Things that we yeah. can talk about next time. Cause I, I want to go into the caste system and Plassey and the opium wars and East India Company activity uh, up to the Raj and how that transitioned into America as a property holder, a uh, property management company for the old empire that calls itself a commonwealth. Yeah. So I think the cool thing, though, Richard, is we have a big opportunity. Uh, you know, everyone should go to truthfreedomhealth.com. Every Thursdays tomorrow, we'll have a big orientation. But our goal is there is a solution. And the solution is you. There's not some savior going to come from above. Um, even if you're a Christian, please go read Christ's work in more detail. A lot of Christians don't even understand the works of Christ. Um, you know, Christ was about uh, fighting. You know, he 99% of his work was exposing the not so obvious establishment, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. It was easy to expose the Romans. So Christians should start doing their homework. Um, so on the right, you know, if anything, I want to critique the right from the right. And those on the left who claim that they know uh workers rights many of them actually haven't even read the works of marx or adam smith any of these guys i mean you read the actual works of marx marx had two definitions he called proletarians and lumpen proletarians lumpen proletarians were the workers who didn't work they sat on the sidelines were criminals were welfare people and that's who bernie sanders has defined as workers so we need to attack the left from the left and the right from the right well, I, th- I like the uh, invigoration and vitality that you bring to this conversation because it does need to be shaken up. It does need to be uh, juxtaposed or contradistinct, con- contradistincted to uh, the opposing sides. Without comparison and contrast, we can't as individuals come to salient conclusions or judgments. And so this is more about looking at things from a, a system approach, taking the individual parts, how they fit together, removing the contradictions and being able to take action. Yeah. And one of the things we want to say is, and all of this becomes actually black and white. So people, you know, I just announced yesterday we're running for U.S. Senate again in 2024. We're going to really mobilize and advance our movement. It's we're running as independents. So people should go check this out. And uh, it's, uh, you know, the foremost is to build an independent movement. And that's why we're doing this. So we're uh, people wanted me to run for Senate and president. We're going to start with Senate again. But we're starting now. So go to shivaforsenate.com if people are interested in that. Um, go to truthfreedomhealth.com if you want to actually independently build your own movement locally. You want to get these tools. And winbackfreedom.com, Richard, has all those 
the entire lawsuit, but so people could go really study it um, in detail. And vashiva.com has all the solutions we give on, you know, medicine or health, et cetera. Well, it's a comprehensive offering. I'm going to start by recommending the graduates of my university start to want to check out your systems management approach to all these various layers and taking back our power, uh, igniting interest and in, in potential in our community and being able to more cogently communicate with those around us about these very important things that they think they might know about because they watch Tucker Carlson do a rant, but they're not seeing uh, the gatekeepers, the limited hangouts and all the other things that uh, fans of this show are well aware of, and that's why they watch this show. Dr. Shiva, I want to thank you for taking a solid hour out of your time today, and I'd like to invite you back in the future. I'd like to also offer you uh, marketing or uh, other such assistance for your Senate campaign, because I think there's too few people like yourself who are speaking truth to power, and you guys need all the support you can get. Thanks for making time. Thanks, Richard. Be well. All right. Peace. All right. Welcome back from that pre-taped interview. I was just looking over here at the Twitter. Pfizer pleased to announce that their new vaccine is 95 or 90% effective against the new virus they created. <laughs> that's Dr. Pierre Corey. Pierre Corey, yeah, sure. Uh, that's, uh, that's funny. Yeah, I was just checking to see what's going on over here. Uh, Scott Horton, let's see. He said earlier today something that I was like, oh, what's, uh, let's see if we can get to, where's this tweet from earlier? Something about the state of Israel and how they didn't really deserve funding. I'm trying to see if his, tweet is still showing it was from earlier today and uh i thought it was an interesting take and i was wondering if there was a reason behind such a such a statement that wasn't accompanied by a link or anything like that i was just trying to see if i could find it real quick but i'll probably do that during the next clip yeah i think that's the deal otherwise you can follow scott horton over there on the twitter all right so uh maxwell She's been in the news over the past couple of years. She did something. She's in jail, but there's no, there's victims, but there's no clients or something like that. So somebody got her on film while she's behind bars and she had some words to say. And a few of those words that she said were not that she believed Epstein had killed himself. So it's an interesting take and uh, we'll, we'll learn more in a second. So let's go ahead and, uh, Roll that clip if we had an LD. I'm sorry. I talked to Tony about it in the other room, but I don't think I've prompted LD for it. Yeah, he has. Uh, here, I'm going to repost this. Um, James did a great job getting some timestamps for us. And let me see if I can grab Here they are. So I'm just going to repost some for you. They're in the media consideration, but I'll, I'll put it in production here. And then uh, we can display those timestamps where she's specifically talking um, so we can get we can provide commentary around these. So I haven't like- seen this clip, but uh, James Jordan in the Grand Theft World members community has thoughtfully watched this clip, provided time codes into the Grand Theft World media consideration room. And now it's going to percolate through to your side of the screen. And uh, then we can have a more intelligent conversation after having observed the new evidence. Let me uh, just post. Here's the actual clip as well. There you go. It's all posted now in production. So we can start pretty much just segment one. 30 seconds for about 12 minutes or so. We'll just go by the segments he he outlined there. The title of the video Thank you, James, for taking the time because this week I was obviously traveling up at the uh, uh, Autonomy Studios. Title of the video is Jeremy Kyle, Ghislaine Maxwell, Behind Bars, 23rd of January, 2023. And the thumbnail title is Andrew Picture Faked. That Prince Andrew picture is faked. Which is interesting because 
Ghislaine did run girls for Epstein. Epstein, Ghislaine, and Prince Andrew were all for, why would you need to fake it? Like it's totally plausible. She so anyway, interesting take on the possible fake. Well, it's one thing to say it's fake. I wonder if she has any evidence that would be able to put forth that would otherwise right. Why does maybe maybe we'll learn in this clip why she thinks it's fake. Maybe. Hello, good evening, and welcome to a special edition of Jeremy Carl Live, Ghislaine Behind Bars. Now, she really is the most notorious female prison inmate on the planet. And tonight, Ghislaine Maxwell is seen and heard for the very first time in jail. I feel completely divorced from the person that people reference and talk about. Maxwell makes startling confessions about her infamous relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. I honestly wish I'd never met him. And she claims the notorious photo of her with Prince Andrew and Epstein victim Virginia Dufre is a setup. With the fake. I don't believe that. I don't believe it's real for a second. In fact, I'm sure it's not. But she doesn't have a single word of apology for her victims. I say that uh, Epstein died and, and they should. Uh, take their and take their disappointment and upset out on the authorities that allowed that to happen. No doubt, every minute of tonight's program will be closely monitored in Windsor by Prince Andrew and his lawyers as they allegedly prepare a new legal case. But first, let's remind ourselves how Maxwell ended up as prisoner zero two eight seven nine five zero nine. She was the toast of high society in both London and New York. Glamorous, sophisticated, Oxford-educated, and with what close friends described as a wild and naughty streak, Ghislaine Maxwell was loved by women and adored by men. The daughter of newspaper tycoon Robert Maxwell, she had confidence, charm, and a lifestyle to match. At the height of her powers in the mid-90s, Maxwell knew everyone there was to know. Her contacts book bulged with some of the world's biggest names, presidents, royalty, and film stars. And if she invited any of them to one of her lavish penthouse parties, they couldn't wait to accept. But into this gilded life walked the man who would ultimately corrupt and destroy it billionaire financier Jeffrey Epstein. The pair became inseparable, with Ghislaine, who had grown up desperate to please her tyrannical father, just as keen to do anything for Epstein. And that included feeding his seemingly insatiable desire for sex with young girls. In 2005, the parents of a 14-year-old girl told police that Epstein had molested their daughter. Three years later, he received an 18-month prison sentence. After his release, the allegations against him began to spiral, and he was accused of running a vast network of girls for sex, including on his private island and ranch. He was arrested again in 2019 on charges of sex trafficking and was found dead in his prison cell a month later in an apparent suicide. As the authorities' focus turned to Maxwell, she went into hiding. A photograph of her outside a Los Angeles branch of In-N-Out Burger sparked a media frenzy. In July 2020, 
She was arrested at a secluded mansion in the US state of New Hampshire. Prosecutors accused her of helping Epstein sexually abuse four vulnerable women. In December 2021, a jury found her guilty of five of six counts, including the most serious charge, that of sex trafficking of a minor. The road to justice has been far too long, but today, justice has been done. She was sentenced to 20 years in jail for grooming and sex trafficking and served time at the Maximum Security Metropolitan Detention Center in Brooklyn, where she was photographed with a black eye. Late last year, she was moved to the softer Federal Correctional Institute Tallahassee in Florida, where she's currently working in the prison's law center and library and preparing her appeal. And it's from that much cushier jail that Ghislaine Maxwell agreed to be interviewed for the very first time in a series of video and taped audio phone calls from behind bars. During that call, Maxwell told our interviewers and her brother Kevin, who was also present, that she's suffering from depression, having lost everything. She claimed to be keeping her spirits up by working every day on her appeal. And she revealed intimate details of how this one-time socialite is dealing with daily prison life. So they wake you up at six. I go pause it for a second. You can. I realize this is some sort of British Commonwealth type of coverage. So uh, things they conveniently left out. There's pictures of Epstein with Ghislaine at the Queen's cabin. And you can see the Queen sitting on the same bench at her cabin. That's pretty close contact. That's pretty like that's pretty well connected. That's a that's an address book. Not a lot of people have the address to like, can we go hang out at the Queen's cabin? So that was one piece. And then the other part is how did Ghislaine get caught? They said they caught her in New Hampshire, but how did she get caught? She was in hiding and then she went out into a public place reading a CIA book and got her picture taken. And then that picture went everywhere. And then there was a woman hunt to try to find where she was. And uh, it just seems like if you don't want to be caught, why would you be so conspicuous in a public place and let your picture get taken like that? So anyway, those well, neglected things, aspects there. Yeah, for sure. Those don't fit into the narrative. <laughs> so let's go ahead and let them show us their, uh, their filmed but, interview with Ghislaine Maxwell behind. Was her. this just a hit? So Andrew's defense team can build some sort of case, you know, for himself. I and mean, that's what it's sort of insinuated early on. And I was like, yeah. oh, okay, I see Prince Andrew and his, uh, team of lawyers are probably attempting to build a defense. Maybe they contracted with this news agency in order to set up this conversation. So she might say something that can be then. Well, his mommy before. said to clean it up before the house fell on her. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm mixing up two things. That's wizard of Oz. <laughs> oh, no boy. relation. Anyway. <laughs> so, uh, the queen's son has cleaning up to do his brother's the King. So maybe they do have a little sting going on, you know, send in some reporters, talk to Ghislaine, get some evidence to exonerate. Andrew, right. but we'll say or build some sort of specious defense based on straw men and emotional appeals and deep fakes, supposedly that she's going to be say, funny if it was a fake like, photo. Oh, it's a fake MI6 photo. Faked it just to frame up Andrew and blackmail him or something. Right. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Let's roll the, uh, the coverage. Go to breakfast, which you can go to breakfast, which consists of, a cereal and a fruit, a piece of fruit, generally. And then 
you have to make your bed sort of military style. So there's nothing that's sticking out or whatever. It has to be a prescribed way, otherwise you can to travel. You can get what's called a shot. And then at 7.30, you go to work. And for me, that means I go, go to the law library uh, to help people. So they have detainers or they have warrants or they're trying to appeal their case. And uh, Let's see get a compassionate release or they ask about the First Step Act and how credits are applied to their time that sort of thing and I answer those types of questions I also help people file out their administrative remedies um, and that is until 10 o'clock when they then you have to come back uh, and they call lunch is around 10.30. The portion control is very odd. And then because I'm uh, on a no-meat diet, they're supposed to have either hummus or cottage cheese or um, tofu for you. But mostly, I'd say about 95% of it's tofu if it's anything, or, or beans. It's, and I'd say 95% of the it's beans, and then otherwise you have like a tofu substitute. And in the tofu has no season, there's no seasoning allowed, so there's no salt or pepper or anything. So it's, it's, it's beyond t tasteless. And then you go back to work at 12, and that lasts until 3.30 when you come back and you have a, a stand-up headcount at four. And if you are lucky, they call recreation at some point during the day. If you're at work, you miss it. And if you're not, you get to go out for an hour. Unless her appeal is successful, Ghislaine Maxwell will be nearly 80 years of age by the time she's free from prison. And it's pretty clear she only blames one man for her astonishing fall from grace, Jeffrey Epstein. Like Maxwell's father, Epstein was an enormously wealthy man from humble origins. Also like Robert Maxwell, he would eventually be disgraced and die of an apparent suicide in disputed circumstances. In the 1990s, Ghislaine and Jeffrey had been lovers by the mid-2000s, she was describing herself as merely working for the financier. In a 2003 profile, Epstein described Maxwell as his best friend, and much of his life appeared to be organised by her. Intimate photos of Maxwell and Epstein together that were released by prosecutors suggested they had remained close. Whatever the exact nature of their relationship, the prosecution was convinced they were a team in their pattern of abuse, with Maxwell seeking and grooming victims for Epstein. Victim Sarah Ransom, who says she was abused by Epstein, told the BBC Ghislaine controlled the girls. 
This was an organization, sex trafficking pyramid that was run by women. They would not, they, this sex trafficking pyramid wouldn't exist without Ghislaine. She was the enforcer. Sisters Maria and Annie Farmer, the first to make claims against Epstein and Maxwell, both repeatedly testified in court that Ghislaine was involved at Epstein's behest. Now, Maxwell's supporters say hers is the classic story of a female scapegoat, a woman forced to accept blame for the sins of a man. Epstein's apparent suicide in 2019 robbed his victims of justice, and Maxwell claims they have unfairly turned their fire on her. Meeting Epstein has been the biggest regret of her life, but she is convinced his death was not as it seemed. I believe that he was uh, murdered. Well, I was shocked. And I wondered how it had happened. Because um, as far as I was concerned, he was going to... I was sure he was going to appeal. And I was sure that he was covered under the non-prosecution agreement. But I wasn't in the indictment. So I wasn't mentioned. I, wa I wasn't even one of the co-conspirators. I obviously wish I'd never met him. You know, looking back now, I probably wish I had stayed at, in England. But leaving that aside, you know, I tried to leave and start another new job and move on from the end of 98, 99. So I wish that I had been more successful. Uh, moving on, because I became a banker, so I should have you know, moved on completely. At the time, I wouldn't have had a problem introducing people to my friends to him, because I didn't know that he was so awful. I mean, obviously now, looking back with hindsight, of course, but at the time, I mean, he had lots of friends. I mean, he was friendly with just about everybody you can imagine. There was no reason to imagine that he was someone of interest to people. Extraordinary. Coming up next, Ghislaine Maxwell on Prince Andrew, victim Virginia Dufresne, and that infamous photo. You're watching a one-hour special of Jeremy Carlyle. We're coming back in three. All right, good. Pause it. <clears throat> All right, so a couple of things that we talked about prior to uh, that clip: the Queen's cabin. They actually did show the picture of Epstein with Ghislaine at the Queen's cabin, but did they tell you what that picture was? So right. it's there for those with eyes to see and ears to hear, but they're not going to tell the audience that. They're not going to put that picture right next to the Queen sitting on the same bench and make that point. They're playing their audience like the, they don't know any better. And if they you also, watch that channel. You probably don't. They make mention the very beginning of this entire video that um, she had a tyrannical father. Well, the question is, who is Robert Maxwell and Spy. how did he build up as yeah, exactly? And so when you start to build out her family history, obviously, to which uh, um, in one nation on black and what yeah. web. Spell is has spelled out quite conspicuously, and that we're currently reviewing 
in the One Nation Under Blackmail uh, book club that Manny Bannon's hosting on for Grand Theft World subscribers, you know, you start to see uh, a web of complicity of um, uh, of high knowledge of the events of her working on behalf of him in the very early nineties. Uh, you know, the Sotheby's and going around to these artistic, you know, galas and these these high profile sort of parties and with all these different individuals, whether it's statesmen or very powerful private individuals. And she's going and looking for specific girls and making sure that they are prepared to be presented to these individuals. I mean, that's what this is the detail she goes that Woody Webb goes into and in, in, particularly in the second volume. And in fact, I think we're on the chapter 15 where we get into Ghislaine herself. So that's the upcoming chapter that we're going to be covering this upcoming Friday. But it's just all the stuff, the little stuff they're leaving out, like just how much um, sort of precognition went into the strategy of how to get the girls, get them in front of powerful people, set up blackmail. The fact that her father not only was in media, but was a spy. Like the, showing and that neglected connection. her when she was very young, and then because she's the youngest, she wanted to grow up to get. That's the way they sort of permission. That's the way they spin it. That's the way approval. They don't, these right. sort of things. Yeah, sure, sure. Becomes I mean, a mini me of him. And apparently, the the segments in between um, her speaking, Corinna James, is that they have all these psychologists sort of like going through the video, which I find interesting. It's like. You know, we can talk about her daddy issues all day long. We talk about Wexner's mommy issues and all these different things that, you know, Whitney certainly points out in her book, but it doesn't stop. They don't, the fact that they don't go into sort of like greater detail, Wex, obviously. Wexner could hire Pelosi's exorcist to get rid of his, his demon. The Dybbuk. Yeah. <laughs> Wexner's Dybbuk. Yeah. Just, you know, so, I'm just saying there's a lot there that they're. There's trying to psychologize this a little bit too much, in which case they're not really building out. Certainly, that's a major issue. Like you got to get into the motivations, the behaviors, the incentives that would have these sort of unscrupulous activities manifest. But at the same time, to not see the the overarching, the sort of panoramic detail of all of this, how the, all these pieces fit together to paint one very disturbing tapestry. Well, I still have questions on what we're seeing. Right. That's my point. The psychologizing. I, I've seen it. interviews with people in prison before. Mm -hmm. I have not seen interviews with people in prison before with an idyllic English countryside background behind them. That's true. You, you're calling in from what prison that lets you green screen or composite or whatever I'm seeing there. So first my brain is like, that's a little weird, but then it's like, Hmm, this lady's been in jail for what? A year at least. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. For right? sure. They do cut and color in prison. She's got no roots. She's 61 years old. No, no roots. That's her natural color. It's all just that color like that. Uh, federal prison. Well, sure maybe, maybe cut and color. <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe they're doing that sort of thing, but you know, good point, so it, is this something like Prince Andrew called? Yeah, he right. wants to have his people interview you right. as part of that. We're going to give you a nice background and give you a little trip to the beautician down the cell block or whatever. And they probably tell her like, they sell the, the toilet. They, yeah. you know, whatever. They mix up the color in the toilet, just like they mix up the, the you know, the juice. <laughs> they mix up the juice and the, the drink. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm just questioning, like, who paid for the production and brought her to the screen in this manner that you're about to hear these comments where she says, Prince Andrew, that, that, that picture is fake, right? Like, 
there might be a get out of jail card being played here in some way, shape or form or get less jail. It's a quid pro quo where she's, you know, talk about your conditions in a federal prison, how deplorable they are, how difficult it is for you, you know, talk about how you wish you never met Epstein and then talk about how this is a a fake photo so we can build our defense case for it. And let's hear about the queen and Bill Clinton (laughs) while we're at it. How about Queen and the Rothschilds? Actually, I shouldn't get on that road. So never mind. Well, it's a real humdinger of a story. So let's get through this one first. Let's go ahead and play these clips, uh, these next two clips back to back, the segment two and segment three, LD. And then we'll see if she's a Miss Clairol or what type of dye she uses by the next <laughs> by the time we come back. Just for prisoners. Welcome back. You're watching a JK Live special where we're playing you extraordinary and exclusive clips of a video interview with Ghislaine Maxwell from Behind Bars. Now, we've already heard her talk about Jeffrey Epstein. Now we can hear from Ghislaine about the other significant man in her life, Prince Andrew. The Queen's favourite son has been left a pariah and banned from official royal family duties after facing serious allegations from one of Epstein's victims. Now, firstly, we'll see how Maxwell helped drag a prince into the gutter. And then, unbelievable, we'll be hearing directly from her and how she thinks she can save a royal reputation. This is the infamous photo that helped bring down Prince Andrew. Smiling for the camera and with his arm around a teenage girl, The Duke of York poses inside Ghislaine Maxwell's West London flat while she watches on from behind. The girl Andrew is holding in the photo is Virginia Giuffray, nay Roberts. She claims she was just 17 when Epstein and Maxwell bought her by plane from the US to London and first introduced her to Andrew during a party at Tramp nightclub. In court documents, she says the prince sexually assaulted her in London and on two other occasions in Epstein's mansion in New York and on his private island in the US Virgin Islands. In one interview, Giuffre also claimed the Duke even accidentally vomited on her. The Prince has always strenuously denied her claims. Andrew has always insisted he was at this branch of Pizza Express in Woking when Virginia Giuffre says she was meeting him. Infamously, He also claimed in his disastrous BBC Newsnight interview that he doesn't sweat after Virginia accused him of being hot and sweaty on the Tramp nightclub dance floor. Last year, after months of legal wrangling, Prince Andrew agreed to settle the civil case with Miss Giuffray out of court, reportedly paying up to £12 million on the advice of his brother now, King Charles. This must be one of the most infamous photographs in recent memory, and it has done Prince Andrew and the royal family extraordinary reputational harm. Let's see what Ghislaine Maxwell has to say about it. It's a fake. I don't believe that. I don't believe it's real for a second. In fact, I'm sure it's not. There's never been an original. And further, there's no photograph. And I've only ever seen a photocopy of it. I don't believe it happened. And... um, it's certainly the way as described would have been impossible. I don't have any memory of going to Tramp. I'm certainly not in the outfit that I would have worn. Um, oh, her stories have changed so many times about what happens, when it happens, 
how it happens with different versions and each time she speaks there's a different version in fact if you look at her BBC interview on the panorama um, I believe she says that he either he actually that he puked on her face that's the only time she's ever said that in a separate interview recorded as audio only, Maxwell also launched a blistering attack on the integrity of Andrew's accuser, Virginia Gujufre. I've read um, a lot of her deposition, and in her deposition, her statements are very categorical, and her stories are very detailed and elaborate. If, if, if her memory is so poor, then how can you rely on anything that she says? Um, it's so, I don't know on which it is. Whether her memory is so bad that you can't really credit anything she says, or it's more disingenuous than that. I can't obviously tell you which it is, only she knows definitively the answer to that. You know, and like I said, I think once you retract on two men that you make claims against on the grounds that your memory is faulty, uh, like I said, I think that, you know, you have to question everything that she says. Now, Prince Andrew has been branded a fool for settling the case without fighting it in court. And now his legal team are allegedly preparing a counter-legal action against Virginia Dufresne. No doubt tonight's interview is being carefully monitored by Andrew in Windsor's Royal Lodge. Coming up in part three, Ghislaine Maxwell addresses Epstein's victims, vows to win her appeal and talks about how Andrew introduced her to Her Majesty, the late Queen. We're coming right back. Welcome back to part three of this very special edition of Jeremy Carr Live. We're showing you extracts of an extraordinary interview from behind bars with one of the world's most infamous female inmates, Ghislaine Maxwell. This lady used to have the world's elite on speed dial, but how her life has changed. But that doesn't seem to stop her from reminiscing about the good old days. These days, Maxwell's best friend is notorious double killer, Narsi Novak. The pair have become close since meeting behind bars in Florida, with Novak serving life for murdering her millionaire husband and her mother-in-law. Novak has even given Maxwell an affectionate nickname, Dottie. Spending most of her time alone in a small US prison cell is all a far cry from the days when Maxwell was at the very top of London and New York society, and Prince Andrew introduced her to the late Queen. All the time she and Hollywood pal Kevin Spacey sat laughing and joking on the Queen's throne at Windsor. Or when she was a guest of honor, at the wedding of President Bill Clinton's daughter, Chelsea. During the prison interviews, this time captured on audio only, Maxwell spoke about a moment meeting Her Late Majesty. I thought that the Queen was one of the most exceptional women I ever had the honor and privilege of briefly meeting. Um, and I think anybody of her stature, of the longevity of her reign, her elegance and her sheer capacity for um, dedication to her work and to her, um, to her job, really, was just astonishing. And it was one of the great privileges of my life to have the honor to meet her. She was 
she excoriated a wound and um, a um, and a sparkle in her eyes that was just mesmerizing, really. And uh, I shared uh, the story that we shared was about horses because I love horses and she loves horses, and so we talked about horses briefly. I remember and um, just shared a love of horses, and that was one of her great loves. Maxwell's friendship with the Clintons was also one of the most enduring and influential of her life. Attending Chelsea's wedding was the pinnacle of Ghislaine networking her way into the former president's charitable work. A photo from 2002 on a trip to Africa shows Clinton standing on the steps of Epstein's plane with his arm on the shoulder of a smiling Maxwell. Clinton also personally signed a copy of his memoir to Ghislaine with Love. Later, she would even use her connections to Clinton in an effort to get herself a lower sentence. Maxwell claimed that by helping launch the Clinton Global Initiative, demonstrated she has a desire to do good in the world. Friends say the former US president was smitten. And it's clear from her prison interview that for Maxwell, the feeling was mutual. Well, he's one of the most uh, interesting people I've ever met. He was extremely sharp and interesting and has a broad range of knowledge on the world. So much for her celebrity friends, as Maxwell has told her family, she's lost everything. Her money, her power, her influence, and now her freedom. But what about her victims? What about the many women she's accused of procuring for Epstein for him to abuse? Girls like Maria and Annie Farmer, groomed by Maxwell before being supplied to Epstein. During her sentencing, Maxwell said she wanted to acknowledge the pain of her victims, but stopped short of an apology. And once again in this interview, there was a telling lack of remorse when asked, what do you say to the many women who feel betrayed by you and want you to stay in jail? I say that uh, Epstein died and, and they should uh, take, their, and take their disappointment and upset out on the authorities that allowed that to happen. And that, as I said, I... I hope that they have some closure by the judicial process that took place and I wish them um, time to heal and to be able to have a productive and good life going forward and that's what I hope for them. And this is what she had to say when she was asked, if you win your appeal, do you think you'll be accepted again by the very people who were once your friends? Well, I can't know what my friends will, will do or won't do. I mean, my focus won't be on that. I will always turn to what I've now decided that will form the rest of my life, which is helping other people who are or have been incarcerated. Characteristically, Maxwell ended her interview with one final pity-me plea when asked by her brother Kevin 
who is the real Ghislaine. It provoked a typical response. Blame the media, blame Epstein, blame anyone but herself. So there, everyone was always asking, who is the real G? Who's the real Ghislaine? What else? I think the best people to answer that is probably the people who were closest to me, like you. <laughs> but uh, it's definitely not the person portrayed. I feel completely divorced from the person that people reference and talk about. In the, in all the various newspaper articles and TV shows and podcasts. And so the biggest misconception of you? That I'm the cruelest, meanest, horriblest person who's done committed crimes. So there it is, Ghislaine Maxwell, in her own words, in her first ever prison interview. And after the break, I'll be decoding what she said with her experts and asking, what does it mean for Epstein's victims? And could it help Prince Andrew? We're coming back in three on Jeremy Cal Live. So there's nothing to see there. I think it's totally normal, run-of-the-mill case, and people make too much out of that situation. What do you think, Tony? Mountain out of a molehill? Well, you know. Tip, tip of the iceberg? It's one or the other. Well, it's uh, all about helping Prince Andrew, it sounds like. So, you know, can Andrew build a case on this? It's uh, a mountain. Helping the lawyers in Buckingham Palace. If anything, she's trying to create a molehill out of a mountain. And be like, it was just a molehill. It wasn't a mountain that we were standing on top of in regards to blackmailing and sex trafficking and connections with politicians and connections with private individuals of the great power and wealth. And yeah, it's uh, I think it's a little bit of the opposite there. Why now? Why that outlet? Why does he mention several times Prince Andrew is watching in his royal lodge? Right, 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 right. I mean, who got permission to interview her? It's an American prison. No, 60 Minutes couldn't get in there and interview her. Right, I mean, I don't yeah. know. It just seems CBC a production. Yeah, seems, seems a little weird. Just you know, but a lot of people would just all that would just wash past them. They would just they would suspend their disbelief and they would just watch it and be like, oh yeah, she seemed nice or whatever. That's what, the, that's the what high is. propaganda is, right? But like, ordered that, personally by Buckingham Palace and basically like he's watching it. If you don't do a good enough job, you're you know not going to get your your perks. Yeah, your potential appeal or. Whatever they may have promised her as a quid pro quo, as I mentioned earlier. By yeah. the way, your roommate, someone who killed people with like a, a a pipe wrench, it looked like from the evidence there. Yeah. So, all right. So uh, that's interesting. But again, like, why now? Why why is that going on? Who paid for it? Who authorized it? What's the purpose? And if down the line, Prince Andrew gets reinstated to his titles and all this other stuff that mommy took away. This might have played a role in that. All right. Yeah. This seems like an elaborate sort of setup in regards to, I mean, it's just one theory, but it's sort of an elaborate setup to create the conditions by which she might be able to foster some sort of ability to gain some aspect to help her appeal. While at the same time, she just says she comes out with some sort of incendiary comment that, the picture is somehow faked and she can't remember anything. So she was ever called as a witness. If anything or, looks fake in that picture, it's her in the picture. 
not Andrew or Virginia. Yeah. I would agree they seem that. like really equal lighting. It seems like that's very authentic. Yeah. She, she looks a little out of place. Maybe she, she's not in the light, you know, maybe it's just a, but you see like the flash in the window. So you could tell somebody was taking a handheld picture with the flash, or at least that's what the picture tells me. Yep. Whoever it may be. MI six constructed that picture. Like I said, get the drop on Andrew. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's not authentic, but it would have had to have <clears throat> authentic individual parts. Yeah, correct. Well, he said. said she's never been to that restaurant or wouldn't have worn that outfit. That might be a legit thing. Well, she maybe said they had never... the picture of Andrew and the girl, and they were trying to get something on her or Jeffrey by putting them in a composite like that. I don't know what the origin or when that picture shows up in the world, but there's probably software that can get close to origins of that first time published on the internet type yeah, stuff. Deep fakes like that from organizations such as the mi6 or the cia Mossad, or whoever whatever intelligence organization certainly had the means to do a fair enough job i mean she mentioned that she was if she was going to tramp which is i think the name of the nightclub she wouldn't have been dressed that way and prince andrew claims that he was at a different pizza parlor where he had first met or met you know yeah rendezvoused with her in some capacity but the fact that she was with him in London, in New York, and right. Jeffrey's Island three times. a lot more credence. Like she's not just some random trying to make something of, of one situation. There was some regularity there. Yes. And yeah. So more to be learned. Yep. Now there was another story this past week that had to do with sex trafficking, human trafficking, this sort of thing. But it's a little bit different than what we just heard because that's legit stuff we just heard about. Glenn Maxwell, that whole network, One Nation Under Blackmail. There's a lot of evidence to that. The next story was uh, one of Elon Musk's close friends over there at the Twitter who has a lot of influence over Twitter's current uh, safety and banning people, right? Took it upon herself to ban uh, a girl named Brittany and uh, Jeremy at the quartering over publishing a picture that was publicly available. And there was like this dust up. So I was like, what's going on there? And it's about some woman named Eliza blue, who I'm not familiar with. She, you know, but it apparently has done the rounds and been on uh, uh hotep Jesus and Tim cast and, you know, a whole bunch of different platforms. Right. And she marketed herself as uh, someone who's, who was human trafficked. And that she does stuff for victims to, you know, prevent them, you know, uh, from being trafficked anymore and to help them recover. That's kind of the gist is, you know, is it came came to me last week. So now uh, I've seen a couple of Chrissy Marr videos where there's some good mashups to kind of show the contradistinction, the juxtaposition between what she was actually doing published by World Star Hip Hop, a legitimately authorized and produced video. That all of a sudden became, you know, at the same time that she was being trafficked. Anyway, I'm not the news person on it. I want to bring you the people that brought the news to us on this topic for this past week. So LD in the playlist, uh, go go further down in the list to find the earlier videos on this topic. And we'll just catch a little bit of it because because of the Ghislaine story, I think this is a, a relevant story because it has to do with vetting people's bona fides. And making sure they're actually doing those things. Like if she runs a shelter or something, let's make sure that exists, right? These sort of things. She's going around. She's got Twitter shaved into the side of her head. She's got blue hair, a little eccentric, right? And has a history of kind of attention grabbing type of activities. Now got very close to Elon Musk, very influential, and is now wielding that power, not for the betterment of victims, but actually making 
legitimate creators and investigators and researchers into victims. So uh, let's go into a couple of these videos and, uh, and check out what the situation is and how to prevent things like this from happening in the future. Uh, you're going to have to help me out here. Cause I'm yeah. looking at, um, I mean, the only video you have, um, there's the Chrissy Marr video. Um, and we can start with the Chrissy Marr video and then I'll find sure else. Uh, the other ones on this topic. Right. All right. So we'll start at the end and we'll work our way back to the beginning. You stood out and said, uh, you stood out and said, I'm a survivor of human trafficking before it was uh, a pop culture topic. So I appreciate <laughs> you laying that groundwork for me and all the folks that worked in the movement to lay that groundwork. So to be there with survivors like now, myself, reach out. I wanted to say something first at, that, that you said that I'm a survivor of human trafficking. I did say that, but not till later. What I first said was, I'm an ex-prostitute <laughs> and I had a pimp. And everyone's like, and it's your fault. <laughs> because and but we didn't happen. But Annie, we didn't have the language to put to it. We didn't yeah. have the language to put to it back then. I mean, this wasn't, uh, you know, this wasn't a conversation the way that it is now. I'm an ex-prostitute. Uh, we did not have the language to put to it then. And I feel like what you said was perfect at the time for what it was. And to be brutally honest, depending on uh, the folks that I'm talking to, I will navigate and say pimp, trafficker. We'll navigate and say pimp, trafficker. It just depends. After I turned 18, and after things happened after that, I can honestly say I do play a role in what's going on around me. And gotcha. also, um, survival sex is not considered human trafficking. What's survival still sex? Even, survival sex is that gray area between, uh, let's talk about something funner after this. This is not my most fun. Hold on, you know what I mean? Like, let's kick it up a notch. No, we can talk about survival sex. I don't care about that. Listen, this is like, this is like water off a duck's back. I'm just tired of it, man. It's been a long week. We had the election this week. Let's talk about anything else. No, I'm just saying. Um, so, uh, so survival sex would be if you need something like housing, drugs, uh, medicine, food. Uh. You're selling sex to survive, but you don't necessarily have a pimp or a trafficker. Survival sex is not considered human trafficking. And there were moments where I could have chosen to handle things differently and I didn't. So, although bad things happen to me, I am also capable of doing really horrible things. Yeah, I think we said it just right. All right, so so earlier uh, today, so that's an interesting intro, and then uh, I just posted in the, in the production chat. Let's go to the quartering and then just play the Chrissy Mar uh, Bryson Gray react video in sequence. So. Uh, this woman, Brittany, had posted a picture. Jeremy at the quartering had reiterated that picture on Twitter. They both got banned from Twitter. Then Jeremy had an investigation. They unlocked his account. They locked his account again. He's still locked out. And then uh, there's like trickle down of consequences. And other people start to pick up on the line of research and bring substantial pieces to the table, like what you just saw from Chrissy Marr. So we'll go to Jeremy at the quartering, and then we'll get uh, Chrissy Marr and Bryson Gray's coverage. Bryson Gray, you might remember, we played uh, his clip probably about a month ago when it came out. Uh, it's a good video. So let's go ahead and uh, check these two clips, get the gist of this story, and then we'll move on with the more substantial deep divey type things tonight. 
I want to start by thanking everybody who has uh, continued to support me on Twitter using hashtag free the quartering. We've actually been trending for the past few days. I think it's the first time my channel's ever trended. And in this particular case, thankfully, it's not for anything bad. And so uh, I see you. I see your support. I appreciate you. There have been many content creators that have jumped in the fray to, to voice their concern. Richard Barnes, that Star Wars girl, uh, Viva Frey, um, Jeremy from Geeks and Gamers, Drunk3PO, much, many, many, many more uh, have been supportive, and uh, I appreciate that. Uh, we received essentially some pretty troubling news uh, from the vice president of Twitter's Trust and Safety, essentially the boss, uh, about this band, uh, this ban, and it and and. It's very concerning in the wording that it's that it's been put together. So I want to talk about that. Uh, so this person tweeted, uh, <laughs> gentrified tweeted, why is Brittany Venti and the quartering still not reinstated? Eliza Blue has been proven to to be taking advantage of Twitter algorithms. Elon Musk, we had hopes Twitter would be better than previously. Then Jason Jones rings in um, and says, have you looked into this? Ella Irwin. Whoever locked these two accounts clearly got it wrong. <clears throat> it's absurd to force someone to remove a tweet that includes publicly available, legally obtained, consensually produced media. Very well written, Jason Jones. So Ella Irwin actually replied to this. And if you don't know who Ella Irwin is, she is the product and trust leader at Twitter. So she is the new Yol, essentially. Uh, oh, by the way, I'm going to leave a link in the description uh, and pin comment below. We launched our Valentine's Day. Fellas and ladies, no excuses. I've got your back this Valentine's Day. CoffeeBrandCoffee.com has a Valentine's Day gift box that comes with um, two bags of our chocolate-covered espresso. We'll code the quartering. Not only will you be supporting the channel because it is my coffee company, but you'll get Valentine's Day out of the way and... Uh, you look like a hero. I just ask that you, you know, you don't think of, think of me when you're reaping your rewards. Okay, maybe a little. No, no, no. So anyway, go check that out. Ella replies, not absurd at all. Now, this is the head of trust and safety or vice president or whatever. If someone who is in a video or photo reports it as non-consensual or unauthorized, and files the necessary reports regarding the content posted, i.e. YouTube, Google, Facebook, we have an obligation to remove it from our own platform. To which Jason Jones politely replies, thanks for your reply, Ella. I find it absurd because there isn't any spiciness in the video. If there were, it wouldn't be on YouTube. Is Eliza implying that she didn't consent to being a paid actress in a music video she starred in? Also, have you seen it? Then here's where things get really suspicious, and I'm gonna I'm gonna reveal to you, uh, you know, a pretty interesting connection between Ella Irwin and Eliza Blue, which kind of puts it all in perspective. Important to note that the rights owner of the video slash photo, if different than the reporter, can always argue against the removal, except in case of non-consensual photos. But people reposting the media are not generally the rights owners. What? 
So essentially, I can go around and anyone can go around and say that photos of them are not consensual and can be locking Twitter accounts. You can see, have you ever heard of fair use? Is there a YouTube video that anyone can see? Free Britney, free the quartering. Um, and you see Michael Tracy, apparently, responding. Are you So whoever, Martina Mar Marcota wrote, you're asking why it was taken down from Twitter because the policy is you cannot distribute material without consent. But I don't need consent. It's fair use and it's a public image. If you feel the need to share spicy images of women, which makes her feel a bad way, you're the good here. That's in reply to Michael Tracy saying, if this is professionally produced music video is an example, if a professionally produced music video is an example of trafficking, let us all know when you're filing criminal complaints against world star hip hop director Gabriel Hart and rapper Q-Tip. He replies there, are you saying that photos of Pamela Anderson from Baywatch get posted on Twitter and years later she suddenly decides the photos, quote, make her feel bad? She can now claim the photos were posted on Twitter without her consent and get people who posted the photos banned? And then she uses Ella as an as uh, Ella Irwin's point. Now, Ella doesn't follow a lot of people on Twitter. She follows 258 of them. That's not very many. Most of them are work-related. Twitter safety, community notes, um, other people at Twitter. Fast Company, The Verge, news outlets, right? Neil deGrasse Tyson, Twitter Engineering, okay? Reed Hastings, right? Jeremy Clarkson, Shibatoshi Nakamoto, and Eliza Blue. Liza, of course, also follows her. Now, some news media is picking this up, but it seems like head of trust and safety or VP of trust and safety is saying that I can't, that nobody can post images of somebody that if all I have to say is that I feel uncomfortable with you posting my photo, then Twitter has to take it down. I'd like to know what law that is. Of course, you know, Eliza, and boy, I've got a, I've got a whopper for you later, too, about her whole I was traffic stuff. Uh, I'll have to show you that. That's a separate video to break down. She wrote, I'll be in Orlando, San Francisco, and Austin, then D.C. Who's paying for all this? Of course, getting just, just savagely ratioed in the replies. Finally, some people have started to cover it. He was a giant freaking robot saying social media has begun banning people for screenshots of YouTube videos. This is from Jennifer Asensio. Two social media personalities have been suspended from Twitter because they posted scenes from a music video on YouTube. Bounding into comics tells the story of YouTubers Brittany Venti and The Quartering, both of whom are suspended from the popular social media platform after posting screenshots of a music video that fellow social media personality and anti-trafficking activist Eliza Blue. Well, I can tell you what's concerning to me is this individual, um, Ella Irwin, right, is saying that it's non-consensual or whatever, right? But is it? Sure doesn't sound like it. 2016 has already started, so here we are. <laughs> um, I'm really happy that the world saw our video got released. That was 
She seems like she's got a pretty urban accent she's putting on here. So again, this is not, what do you mean non-consensual? She's really happy that the video got released. She doesn't even own the rights to that video. She's filing of uh, like she's filing complaints. Is it because people found that out you star? work for a campsite? So anybody that wants to contact me personally, like a fan or and I hate the word fan. I hate the word fan. It's so ugly. But anybody that feels a need to contact me personally can text message me through a service called Chatstar. Chatstar is a campsite. Is that why? Is that why? Here's a pop topic. Twitter backs uh, Eliza Blue despite evidence of deception. You know, the video is still available publicly on, on YouTube, which is extremely concerning. Uh, and I, I don't really understand what I'm supposed to do here. People on people sa said last night, hey, don't delete the tweet. Hold your ground. And so I won't. I will not delete the tweet um, <clears throat> because I don't I didn't break a rule. People are telling me now from inside Twitter, though, that I'm going to lose this, that they in that internally Twitter has sided with Eliza and that they won't be removing my unfair suspension. By the way, Eliza only seems to care if big accounts share her image. The image exists tens of thousands of posts under the hashtag free the quartering. None of those people are getting banned. So she's selective in her her feelings of being outraged. You know, and I think it's very concerning that people aren't making a bigger deal about this. I know you, my viewers are, and Britney's viewers are, and that Star Wars girl's getting in there, but this needs more coverage. Like, I don't understand what, in what planet this person can ban entire accounts because it's inconvenient. It's, I believe it has something to do with the timing in which that music video was recorded and how it relates to her quote-unquote advocacy, which no one can actually tell me, by the way. Can somebody tell me a tangible thing this woman has done to help victims? I mean, I'm genuinely asking. I'm not saying she hasn't. I'm just saying, can somebody point me to something? Because every conservative talking head that has given her softball interviews over the years has just said, I really, I really think the work you're doing is really impressive. What work? Banning people from Twitter for posting your publicly available images? I don't understand. And I don't understand this. It's very frustrating that I can't be sharing this message on Twitter. Because I feel like, you know, look, Elon, a lot of people are like, Elon, people have e close to Elon have emailed me and said, oh, Elon knows about it. He's looking into it. Well, I mean, he's been in court all week, I think. I doubt I even factor into his thought process a tiny percent. It's absolutely absurd that I think they are, they know that this is a, not correct, but they refuse to fix the error because it makes them look bad after they prop this woman up. It's embarrassing. Not a good look for Twitter. I, you know, I think people should be letting. I think, you know, the only thing that you can really do is let Elon Musk know that you're canceling your Twitter blue because that's the only thing he, he seems to care about. You know, hashtag cancel BLEU. <laughs> Don't use that. But like, I mean, at this point, it's like, is he going to take notice when people start canceling their Twitter blues? Because why would anyone want to pay for this? A site that's still allowing essentially offended people to deplatform people they don't like. 
to abuse the system in place. It's absolutely a horrible look for Elon's new Twitter. I hope you're informed by this video. I want to thank everyone for their support. Uh, so I don't know how much you've heard about this Eliza Blue drama. The whole, the, the, all the nerds of the internet have been talking about it nonstop. But like, to to make a long story short, this is a woman who uh, positioned herself like a um, she was a human trafficking survivor and advocate. Um, and uh, you know, the last couple of years, like rose up the ranks did all the podcast by vanity. I thought she did my podcast three times. She's did my podcast four times. So I know I'm getting shit like, why did you better? What did you do? It's a good lesson to learn from that. But at the same time, you never think to vet someone who says they're a sex trafficking victim at the same time. When someone tells you they have cancer, you're not like prove it. You know, you yeah, yeah, never yeah, yeah. want to think someone could lie about something so horrible. So, uh, it seems like every day new new pieces are coming out about this. It really got jacked up when Brittany Venti and Quartering posted screenshots from a very public World Star Hip Hop music video that she was in, being like, hey, I just want to know your thoughts on this. Like, it, this might be hurting your sort of human trafficking work. Blocked. Like, not only blocked, but like both accounts suspended. They can't get back on unless they delete these tweets. And as a matter of principle, Quartering and Venti are not deleting so their tweets right now. And, so and now it's it's getting to the point where like now this just happened today. Other accounts, um, like Yellow Flash, uh, a few others are getting similar treatment just for mentioning her and just for uh, putting a link in, which is crazy and which tells you because she has close ties to Twitter, and it seems like she is having her goons do her bidding. Um, Yellow Flash guy got locked out of Twitter for sharing the link to the public music video. He appealed it, but based off the results for Venti and Quartering, I doubt tw Twitter will do the right thing. Same thing. All it is is a, uh, you know, tagging her name and a link to a public video. Boom. And so now it's like, it, this is conspiracy because it's like, you're, you, we know you have people inside Twitter. We know you're very connected with them. You were working with them. And uh, it, it's just Wait, crazy. Wait, my question is because it's weird because like I haven't I haven't been updated on everything, but I, I saw the World Star video and I find it interesting because um Eliza Blue, I thought she was cool, but of course I'm not one of them. I, I did think it was weird. Um when she's trying to say she's helping out one of Andrew Tate's victims or whatever. Mm. Uh I, I, I sort of thought that was a, was a little odd because to me it's like that believe all women stuff. And me, like not to be offensive, but I don't believe it. Nobody until I see some evidence of something. Um, yeah. so, I, so I do think this is interesting. I, I haven't read this. I have, I have not. I have, I have not seen this entire thing yet. So my buddy Farron, Farron Balanced, put together. She, I think she's doing a documentary, and so this is the teaser that she's put together so far, which is I think is a pretty good introduction. If you just ha don't know anything about what's going on with this girl, I'm going to play it because it's it's pretty good. Human trafficking survivor and an advocate who works directly with survivors. Everybody give it up for Eliza Blue. It was exactly what you think it would, would be. And what sort of organizations are available to help people? I'm one of those survivors that prefers uh, given the opportunity to be free. I don't understand. So there's someone creates a fake profile of you. And that's how they would traffic me, sell me without my full consent. So this is a kind of identity theft kind of situation. Too inconsistent and too all over the place. It's around the same time she said she was being sex trafficked. Doesn't really look like sex trafficking to me. You're twerking, you're humping the floor, you're Living showing up. your tits. It looks like the uh, the internet is completely 
turning 100% against her. What's been your strangest booking request so far? <laughs> um, $150,000 to have sex. $150,000? That's a lot of money. <laughs> she's never mentioned any of this. Therefore, she's either lying about the past or she's lying about now. Either way, one way or another, this is an expose. An individual who has a large social media following as well as the ear of Elon Musk. Elon Musk. Elon Musk. Elon Musk. It's Britney, bitch. Hello, everyone. I have been locked out of my account on Twitter. Brittany Venti, who is also a human trafficking advocate. Hey, Eliza Blue. The sensitive topic, you don't have to go into detail about being trafficked, but I'm hoping you could clarify a thread. This was the reasoning. Privately produced slash distributed intimate media. Um, I don't like to go into too much detail. You're seeing somebody supremely comfortable basically wearing a bustier, and then you got somebody that's like, I don't know what the heck what she was wearing. And it's like you're dealing with two different people. More sinister um, details have come out around not only my current Twitter ban, as well as uh, fellow content creator Brittany Ventian, who have posted a publicly available photo. This whole uh, allowing the system to be gained for people close to him, it seems very suspicious. Yeah, I'm really an open book. 50% of all Super Chats will go to Liza Blue tonight to help human trafficking victims and to raise awareness. Trafficking victim, that's going to help with me. And I'm a human trafficking survivor, but let me tell you what it can help by. Number one, I don't have internet. Anybody that feels a need to contact me personally can text message me through a service called Chatstar. Wait, Chatstar is a cam site? Hold up, wait, what? I won't ask, I won't ask those people to change their opinion for our sake. I would just ask them to consider one thing. What if you're wrong? Is it possible? But what if I'm right though? When it comes to me, <laughs> when I'm done, I'm done. And when I want to keep going, I'll keep going. You learn the hard way. So, actually, it got me like 500 new followers. So, <laughs> I'm cool off that. Whoo! Look spicy. Um, what is Chatstar? Chatstar is a cam, like a camming, uh, like chat service. What? Yeah. Let me look I mean, this up. is so confusing. It's confusing because I, I think all of the videos that were put into this, uh, the video that we just watched is like all these things and appearances were going on supposedly at around the same time she was like all being trafficked. So from an outsider's perspective, it looks like you're involved with um, like a My Chemical Romance. You're a fangirl. You date the lead singer. You're uh, then then a lead singer of your own band. Uh, you're also on the show called Blind Date. You're also um, auditioning for America's Got Talent. You're also... I think somebody saw a snippet from um, an appearance on somebody else's show. Not not Dr. Phil, but um, uh, the guy with the mustache, Steve Harvey. So she's making all these TV appearances. Like she looks like someone who's just trying to find a 
way into fame from the outsider's perspective. And the fact that this is all happening at around the same time, the years that she claims to have been trying, and it's raising concern because people go, oh, in all these different interviews, there's different ages. The story is a little bit different each time. And people get concerned because like, if she says, oh, for example, I have this halfway house that's opened up. What's it called? A humanity house. But there's no there's no registration for it. There's no like record of an LLC or a corporation there. So it's like, what if what like what if someone's like, oh, she's doing the right thing. Let me send her a thousand dollars because I'm sure it'll go towards her human trafficking work. But like, do you know what I mean? So people get concerned because it's like if money is involved, that's an issue. Um if she's, you know, lying about what it means to be trafficked, like in that Michael Malice interview, she was alluding to the fact that like other people would just made fake profiles of her and that was trafficking. So, so it's like the face you're making is like the face we're all making. And, and, and she hasn't responded to any of it yet. She blocked me and like we were friendly. I had her on my show a bunch. I asked one question like, hey, like, why'd you block Venti? Like she didn't do anything wrong. Blocked. Um so Wait, so my question is, when did she claim, um, like at what time in her life did she, I've never watched any of her interviews to talk about her experience. When did she claim that she was getting sex trafficked? And this, did she, has she ever exp explained what that actually meant in like, in action? I think she, I haven't gone through and like watched every single one of her appearances. Like, I think in some instances she'll say like she was trafficked when she went to LA and that was before she was of legal age, so like younger than 18. She said it happened once as a minor and then again as an adult. And then that World Star Hip Hop video was, I guess, supposedly right after the time she said she was trafficked. So it's... Wow. I know that there are folks going through and compiling and, uh, you know, writing down all the details of everything and being like, what is the story? That is so that is so interesting. It is, it is interesting, and it's like, and I and I by no means I'm like let's cancel her. She should just because there's questions, she should stop doing. If she's doing good work, like keep doing the good work. Just just answer people's concerns is all. Yeah, I think I think she should. I I would like to see her address it. Like I don't. I mean, it's interesting stuff, and no, I ain't gonna lie. I'm probably gonna look at these videos from these people you were talking about to see, like. <laughs> Because I want to know now because like I follow her. So it's like Yeah, it's it's like sad. I was like very disappointed. And uh she'll conveniently like not fill in certain details and she <clears throat> kind of conveniently won't name her trafficker. At one point she said it was a famous athlete, at one point she said it was a famous photographer. So like which is it? Is is it like were you just escorting and now you regret it? Were you just camming and now you regret it? Were you passed around as a groupie and now you regret it? It's like what a lot of these things are blending into each other. Wow. The music this video is supposedly an escorting ad. Oh, wow. And, and it, what's tricky is like, so she's reported this music video as being, you know, like private, non-consensual media. But there's also videos of her going... I'm so happy this music video came out. It's the next chapter of my creative life or whatever. Like her Seriously? being proud of it. Yes. So it's hard to believe that she was 
coerced into making a music video because she brags of and was proud of it. It's kind of soon after. So I, it's tricky. I have no words. This is, I, I didn't know all this was going on. Like I saw the world star thing. I thought it was like a one-off thing. It's like, yeah. kind of the world star video. Um, and at that point I was like, ah, oh, this, this is, I guess it's not really nothing. She probably used to be a harlot, you know, but um, right. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, so well, a lot of former a lot of former hoes go on to do great things and you don't that's the thing is if you and she's had so many the other thing too is like she's had so many different names and i really? think yes of all the creative and entertainers you've worked with have you ever met anybody with more than one stage name her real name's eliza morthland but and then she was also known as an eliza seep during that music video she was known as eliza knows and now she's Eliza Blue. So there's, it seems like for each new name, there's a, oh, now I'm doing this. And this is my name for this new identity. And and that's what's frustrating. It's like, oh man, like you could all, this could all just have been one person. <laughs> like you, you can weave your past into who you are, you are if you're just upfront about it. And that's why people have the lack of trust. They're like all these different names. The timelines aren't checking out. You're vague about what trafficking is or isn't. You won't name the person. So um, she's never went into full detail about the claims. I I think there are podcasts where she has again. Like I haven't listened to everything yet. I'm trying to think. Like she got yeah. on like all these big podcasts and nobody like vetted the story because like any what are you woman, supposed to vet? How what are you supposed to check? I don't know because you don't want to say provide some evidence because then she's gonna be like. This person didn't believe yeah. me. Talk about your trauma. Like, let's. Wow. Uh... And right. So this is the new thing today that the World Star Hip Hop video was taken down from YouTube and also World Star. So is this going to be a backwards way of claiming that this was private content and like retroactively permaban Ventian quartering from Twitter, which is nuts. Vendy's up to 88k. Quartering's got probably what close to 300k. That is this is this is this is this is nuts. Quartering's got 243.8k. Go ahead, pull it. And he's and like still in. All right, so you guys get the gist. There's <clears throat> somebody who none of us really know or care about, and that's fine. She's out there doing that thing, but now. Uh, getting creators banned and then setting the precedent that someone can make a claim and then all of a sudden world star hip-hop has to take down their video and all this other stuff that goes on uh and then there's also the, like the concern or the observation that uh <clears throat> elon musk has some interesting ladies in his orbit over the years i mean didn't he have uh amber heard circling uh him like a satellite and uh oh yeah Gr grimes Yep. And yeah. Yeah. He's had some very interesting relationships with women. I find, I found this article. It's kind of, I don't know, worth considering why she finds Musk so appealing, apparently. So you can see the Tesla shaved into the side of her head there. This comes from an article called Tesla Roddy. Uh, Tesla can help solve human trafficking. A, a survivor explains how. This was released January 9th, 2021, about a year ago. In it, she says the following. While many websites have filters that try to remove some of the content once it's, once it's uploaded, it isn't a 100% fix because most content slips through the cracks. Since so many sites, the massive amounts of traffic have accessible imagery, 
It will be a difficult fix. However, Blue believes that some real progress can be made and the right team is working on the issue. It starts with software and AI development that would have the ability to filter out harmful content. Once child sexual abuse and sex trafficking material are reduced online, it may lead to the beginning of the end of human trafficking as resources can be refocused to the fight on the ground. So the, uh, I guess the importance of AI, I mean, obviously we all want human trafficking and child sex trafficking to end completely. Um, but at the same time, her insistence that AI is going to be the great savior that's going to do it and not going to be used in nefarious ways or actually have probably been developed by DARPA to begin with. Yeah. Um, and the fact that now she has the ability to ban individuals on Twitter, you know, shows her the degree to which she sort of compromises in an attempt to end something horrible and egregious will do whatever it takes to facilitate that. Even if that compromises the ability for people to communicate and have nothing to do with those unscrupulous activities. So strange individual. I've not seen the story this week, obviously. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what much to make of it, to be honest, in regards to it's more of the, it shows more of the tr- at the end of the day, Whoever owns these various platforms, they're not beholden to the First Amendment. They get to make up their own rules. And so although Musk has been more amenable, more um, lenient to conservative voices and some alternative voices, if you upset him or upset people that he put in power, your content is going to be removed. And from that capacity, we have to consider that until the issue that Crowder brought up, and something that's been going on for a long time is addressed in regards to where does the First Amendment apply and how does it relate to private organizations, uh, especially when this is the new town square, moving from the public town square to the private, these private platforms. We're going to continue to see this type of behavior regardless of who owns these platforms and what might what political leaning they have. Yeah, the, the key being regardless of who owns those platforms, there's yes. going to be shenanigans like that going on until... The platform, I would think, in a reasonable future would be a decentralized, federated model, kind of what was discussed a little bit earlier in a clip tonight. That could be pretty interesting. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I don't see any need to pursue that particular Eliza Blue story any further. But in the context of sex trafficking and the accusations and the banning and the censoring, I'm just showing that uh, censorship under Elon isn't that much different than censorship under Jack. And if this person isn't being completely honest and she keeps equivocating on what sex trafficking actually is, this does so much more harm to those who are actually being sex trafficked or those who have been trafficked for sex. Um, Like it's just so absurd, so morally um, sort of incomprehensible to use that sort of platform, use that sort of uh, claim as your means by which you then gain substantial power. We see this all the time with individuals looking to find some way to gain victimhood so they get you know, prestige, power, access to media, whatever it might be to build their own brand. And this person seems to identify, as Chrissy pointed out, with all these different identities based on what works best for her in the moment. And yeah, so she's very dubious, and that's to say the least. And uh I'll sort of leave it there. <laughs> what you mean by equivocation is that it's equivocation, the speaking of two voices at once, speaking with two voices, kind of like double th- double think or double speak from Orwell. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, and from a philosophical idea, it's just uh, she hasn't clearly defined her terms. She keeps equivocating, speaking with many voices to what what is the definition of sex trafficking. 
you know, then she has all is these it sort a of pimp? Is it a, you know, you're getting paid and you have a manager sex. or is it a cam girl cam or girl, is it survival right. sex or is it you got kidnapped and forced into slavery and you don't get any money for that transaction? Which right. of those would you consider human trafficking? Yeah. Trafficking, in my opinion, has to have as part of its essential definition, some form of slavery involved. Like slave slavery has to be that you're not getting any sort of compensation. You have no ability of freedom or free will or free choice, your volition in the process of the transactions that you're forced to undergo. So slavery has to be at least a part of that uh, sort of commensurate essential definition, which is the heart of Aristotelian logic, the heart of logic itself. And number one thing we see in our culture, and besides all the fallacies I point out all the time, did a course on, it's really, uh, in, at the end of the course, I did a, a, a whole section on definition because these are two elements I see used the most in media where people are just redefined. We saw with vaccine, we saw with pandemic, you know, we saw with lockdown, we saw with a whole bunch of different terms uh, being thrown around and used. And this is no different now. Now they're, this individual is redefining sex traffic for seemingly her own gain, potentially. Um, I don't know her entire story, but certainly a lot of the circumstantial evidence surrounding her is paints a very dubious picture as to her character and her intentions. So a lot remains to be seen if if it's even worth it. And the fact that she has this type of power is disturbing, but it kind of goes back to these are private platforms. They get to like make up their own rules. That's kind of what's happening. It's just making up the rules. Just whenever the something bad Eliza happens. Blue, Eliza Blue, or Elon Musk. You know, maybe it's, maybe Eliza Blue, Elon. Maybe there's something there. Uh, I, I was maybe. Uh, okay, oh, so he's into some very strange girls. We'll just leave it at that. that. Yes, 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 yes. All right. So I did find that tweet from Scotty Horton. And it followed a tweet from uh, him uh, posting about James Bamford's new book. So maybe it does have something to do with the tweet that came before it. I just saw this in my Twitter feed and it reads or it reads supporting Israel is not in America's natural interest. I was like, how dare he speak clearly the facts that are so obvious in a time like this. That's pretty, it's pretty dangerous. And as you see right now, it has 666 likes. Well, no, that's pretty ominous. All right, so the point is, that's a claim made today, right? And it might have something to do with this James Banford book. I don't know. I haven't read it, but that's a claim made today. So I want to bring some history and artifacts to bear because Tony and I were talking about these books last night, and that tweet just showed up today. It's a little synchronicitous. I just, I just actually ended up buying this because I even found the Baron one as well. That's right, because I told Tony I'm about to talk point. about these books. They are still available. There's only a couple copies. And once I do this, you guys are going to buy them out. So <laughs> here is uh, book one. Now, this isn't the book we are looking for, but this is the book I had upstairs because the book we are looking for was down here in the studio. So I'm going to show that to you next. This is a book called The Whims of Fortune, The Memoirs of Guy de Rothschild. And this is from the Austin Public Library, but they didn't need it anymore. So they discarded it. And uh, Friends Book Sale. You know, somebody somebody bought that up and uh, sold it to me on the open market. So books like this are still out there. Here's a nice little genealogy. If you need to understand the French Rothschilds and generations one, two, three, and four, uh, there you have it in a picture. And I could even do it full screen for you guys. Wait, hold on. Here we go. Something like that. Get my cursor off that screen. All right. It's very tidy. Helps you, you know, because there's a lot of names to learn, a lot of grammar. These are the individual parts, how they fit together and how they work together. Or we'll just close. Oh, wait, more pages. Sorry about that. 
<laughs> more generations. Okay. Okay. Just a few more names. And the whims of fortune begins. Much ado about money. We don't have to read the first 164 pages, but I thought we'd just jump in over here. He's Kessler. talking about his, yeah, he's talking about Arthur Kessler. Wow. And, we talking uh, about him last week. Yeah. Right. Some, some interesting uh, friends like Freddie Ayer, Freddie AJ, AJ Ayer from Ayer. Oxford. Right? And that's how he's one of the key com- components or proponents, rather, of logical positivism, which is a very dubious philosophy, to say the least, of the analytic tradition of the 20th century. And then he met George Orwell, famous for the sinister view of the world portrayed in his book, 1984. Tall, gaunt, hollow-cheeked, taciturn, and shy, he wasn't very sociable. Moreover, he viewed the future through glasses as black as the ink in which he dipped his pen. Interesting, but that's not why we're here in this book. There was a couple passages back here. Oh yeah, about the this part of the book. Uh, let's see, this is a famous That's about part. the ball. The surrealist. Yeah, this is if you guys ball. have ever seen this, uh, the surrealist ball from 1972. It was Gita Rothschild and his wife Marie Helene, uh, who had planned the whole soiree, as they say over there. Right? That's party. That means party. Mm-hmm. It was. Yeah, I think I was better off dead soiree or maybe it was one of those other movies all right so uh page 276 he goes into great detail on how that party was set up and all the shenanigans that went on at that party that's also not why we're in this book we're going back here this concept of noblesse oblige Mm, that's what we're reading last night yeah is also expressed in the next book we're going to see. So it's a, a constant theme through memoirs within the Rothschild family. According to an old French motto, noblesse oblige, one must live up to one's name. The Rothschild's condition of life has imposed on them a second motto, richesse oblige, one must live up to one's fortune. I hope they have succeeded in living up to both their name and their wealth. All right. Well, that's that's interesting, but that's still not why we're here in this book. Oh, here's here's some pages here. Let's see. Oh, he's talking about Palestine. Okay, let's go over. Let's go over here. Uh, let's see. I need to move the book just a little I'm bit. Sorry, yeah. Sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Let me adjust production needs here. This isn't a $50 million operation like the Crowder, the Crowder people. Uh, let's see. This is talking about anti-Zionist. No, that's not it. Uh, Jews in Russia. Rothschild was the commune. No, no, that's not it. Oh, here it is. On the whole, let's just get this just a little bit higher so you can see the whole part of the page. On the whole, my family had always adopted a reserved attitude towards Zionism. My great uncle Edmund had acted on his own in generously supporting Jewish Palestine for reasons more humanitarian and religious than political. But the devastation caused by the war and the extermination of 6 million Jews radically changed all our former attitudes. So Hitler convinced them to colonize Palestine starting in 1890. That's, that's what he's, I myself became an ardent Zionist without, however, envisaging a change in direction of my personal life and that of my family. The word Zionist can thus lead to confusion because it can refer to a supporter of the state of Israel, as well as a person prepared to immigrate there. In 1945, I made a trip to the middle East with an official mission to report my findings. On that occasion, I met David Ben-Gurion 
who a couple years later becomes the first prime minister of Israel for the first time in Jerusalem. He asked me if I was a Zionist. He was a man who was who appreciated precision. I hesitated to reply. He added, do you want to bring up your son here? So he adds to it, but Ben-Gurion at this point knows the history of the Rothschild family going back almost 100 years in this development. So uh, he's just asking if this particular Rothschild is in it to win it. Again, it goes down, mentions Arthur Kessler. That's a whole different conversation. Mm -hmm. The Zionist dream at the time identified itself with Israel, a national home for the Jewish people, a just and democratic society, a pioneer spirit, a passionate quest for a new set of values. The negative aspects of the experience would appear only later. On the day of Israel's Declaration of Independence in May 1948, Alex and I expressed our enthusiasm marching arm in arm up the Champs-Élysées, uh, along with Madame Mendez France, who um, whom we happened to meet in the crowd. So he's talking about the develop uh, development of his uncle Edmund in uh, Palestine in that whole project. So that's the end. Uh, I mean, I could take you through more, but that's the thread that I'm going to continue over here in this next book called Baron Philippe, a very candid autobiography of Baron Philippe de Rothschild. And this is also a former library book that was discarded. I guess they don't, I mean, it's known to the library, but it shouldn't be known to you. Now it starts out with the family history going back to uh, uh, Hesse and the uh, William of Hesse. He got his money because his dad funded, uh, got money from the British empire to send Hessian soldiers over here to fight in the American revolution. Uh, Meyer Amschel makes some money. Now this is Baron Philippe telling his, his family's history and story. So it's all very interesting. And each memoir tells it slightly differently, but uh, I mean, that one's this, particularly candid. this book, that title is actually accurate. So, yeah. Say. I mean, uh, if I just go to the wide shot here, I mean, this book has, it's yeah. got a lot of, it's got a lot of juice in it, you know? So you gotta, you gotta squeeze it. You gotta, you know, highlight it. You gotta take some notes. But these pages are not why we're here. I want to see over here. Uh, Baron Rothschild, Uncle James. Uh, let's see, Uncle James and then Napoleons. Okay, so this is the, the section about Cousin Edmund. Okay, so this is matching up. Um, so we're going to get to Edmund de Rothschild, who was just referred to by Guy de Rothschild in the colonization of Palestine. We're going to go to page 46 here of Baron Philippe. And uh, we're going to start here in the middle. The brothers never forgot that they were Jews. We made our fortune as Jews. Jews we remain, said Solomon. And they never lost an opportunity to further the Jewish cause. Even said, elder brother Amschel was instrumental in abolishing the laws forbidding intermarriage in Prussia. Nathaniel's brother, Lionel, was the first Jew to take his seat in the British Parliament without renouncing his faith. It took him 11 years. Now, let me go a little bit closer in on this so you can see it. it took him 11 years. Uh, three times he was elected to, by the city of London, and three times he had refused admittance because he would not take the oath as a Christian. I will swear as a Jew or not at all, he said. In 1863, thanks to the tireless efforts of the Whig, Lord John Russell, and the Tory, Benjamin Disraeli. Well, they helped Disraeli become prime minister and uh, with the, with their help they get the suez now so this is they had some some allies that helped make this happen and it was a triumph for british jewry now over here this is the suez canal that i just referred to uh but i want to get to this part 
Lionel was the perfect spec specimen of a second generation wealth, better educated, better spoken, better behaved than his father. He had become smooth, uh, but he had become the smooth operator par excellence in the 1890s. Lionel's French cousin, Edmund was buying tracts of land in Palestine to harbor refugees from Poland. He had no Zionist ideals at the time. Like all the Rothschilds, he believed that you had to pay for what you got. And that was that Zionism. He said, is an American Jew giving money to an English Jew to bring a Polish Jew over to Palestine? <laughs> oh, my God. That is a quote from Baron oh Philippe de Rothschild on page 47 of a book you can go get for $10 right now. And that's that's pretty interesting, but it gets better. His friends suggested Abyssinia, Argentina, or even Lakeside Chicago as a Jewish national home. But Edmund went on buying bits of Palestine then ran them like a dictator. In his declining years, he moved closer to Zionism. In 1914, on his last visit, he was uh, he was weak now. Uh, let's see. In his last visit, he was deeply moved by the progress of the settlements. I am old and weak now, he told the colonists, but I will send you my son James to you, and he will address you in Hebrew. Nathan's Bank, New Court, St. Smithens Lane, that's uh, where they decide the gold price every day, back up until 2008. Uh, London still flourishes. It is the only central bank that determines the price of gold each day, a heritage from Nathan, and everything is still so noiseless and efficient that the only sound one hears is the occasional creak of the floorboards. <clears throat> Carl's branch in Naples was transferred to Frankfurt in 1861 and lasted until 1901. Vienna was taken over by Hitler and the head of the bank, Louis von Rothschild, was arrested. Louis arranged his own ransom terms with Himmler and left for France. The Paris bank is still there, though in this year of 1981, nationalized. Oh, France took over, huh? Or do you get take over France? It's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting how they... Uh, it's they like they took it. over England after the defeat of Napoleon. No, I thought there That's were... That's the whole beginning story of the book. Oh, here's the noblesse oblige, noblesse oblige reference in this book. So it's page 299. So both of them talk about it at the end of their book, right? Uh, Crystal Palace. Let's see. There might be one other place I wanted to take you in this book, but I think that's the gist for right now on Palestine, at least. And uh, yeah, interesting family history. The reason it came up is because we were talking about it last night at dinner. And I said, you know, it's really fascinating when you get into reading the Rothschild memoirs, biographies, autobiographies, these sort of source materials, because their story is so fascinating. It's like, it's like the Corleones. It's like the Godfather. There's, yeah, they, yeah. there's undercover crime. There's hijackings. There's spy networks inside of France working against Napoleon right under his nose. There's all, there's encryption. There's, there's just all this stuff that you've seen in pop culture in Hollywood movies of like, you know, gangsters and, you know, big, powerful people making moves out there. But to hear them tell it like as part of their family history, uh, it it would make a really good series on Netflix. Just it shows how some of the most powerful financiers in the entire world came to power by using these sort of, you know, um, clandestine, unscrupulous, morally dubious activities. Uh, you know, there's a story by which they're funneling gold to England and they pay off dignitaries. They pay off um, uh, the heads of chief of police. 
in France, you know, sending the gold through France, Napoleon controlled France to get it to England. They had so, so much power and so much networking with the, you know, the, the famous story of the five brothers branching out to all these European nations. And they were able to facilitate the movement of large sums of wealth, William of Hesse being one in which to secure, because he kept it all in his own castle when Napoleon was going through. And just hearing that story, you know, going back to the late 18th and the early 19th century, just shows you just how much the mafia becomes these big private corporations or becomes the government itself. And they're just two sides of the same coin. And that's, you know, their origins are rooted in essentially espionage, clandestine activity, and, you know, the bribing individuals. It's not unlike a lot of, you know, Whitney, what Whitney Webb uncovered and so many other great investigative journalists have uncovered in regards to there are major connections between black markets, mafia, heads of state, major private corporations, you know, and that's sort of, you can see it historically how that was a reality. They tell it themselves and they tell it and it's particularly, I mean, Guy is also quite candid, but he's not quite as, um, he's a little bit, he's not quite as sophisticated in the way he presents it as Baron does. Baron's very candid and a little bit more sophisticated in the way he goes on describing it. Guy seems a little bit farther removed in regards to being able to express just uh, how deep the connection really goes to what they were able to accomplish. Well, Baron Philippe's wife uh, was working with Balenciaga back in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And Guy's <laughs> wife is the one who held the broken up the, baby parts on the table masquerade, yep. Paul. So the flames of hell outside the... You know, yeah, I mean, we can bring that up in a second. I wanted to walls. make this point about, yes, they were they were colonizing Palestine in the 1890s. That is like a very safe number to discuss. Like they're like, oh yeah, it was just going on at the end of the 1800s, not in the 1880s or the 1870s, or even back to 1829 was the first newspaper report. And I've looked into and seen the original of the newspaper that reported it. Now, whether or not the newspaper article is accurate, like they, they if, if they made something up and it came true in the future, isn't that still substantial? So there's a report in 1829. There's another report. The next one is uh, there's 1835 report as well. And then there's also uh, so these these newspapers run in the United States. They report Rothschild interest in colonizing Palestine, working with the Turkish Sultan, these sort of things. So you might say, okay, that's a couple three news reports from the early 1800s, but that's not enough to be beyond reasonable doubt. Well, then you got the 1841 Colonial Times publishes restoration of the Jews to Palestine. The British Empire is picking up this idea like, hey, we're going to help and go do this. And it's not sealed until the Balfour Declaration uh, 70 years later, but it's a it's a sign of synergy between two groups, one with a political uh, objective of Zionism and one with a political objective of maybe taking over the whole world. British Empire, now known as a Commonwealth, and just has and like you can 40, see how 40 that's votes all it, in the UN. That's before 1850. Like there's four mentions, so it seems like there had to have been some interest in some capacity, unless all of the news stories somehow were just completely unfounded. They had no reference to it at all. They had no sort of connection to any of the individuals associated with Rothschild at the time. Just, all right, so here's the newspaper for anyone who was skeptical like 20 seconds ago. Here's, here's the receipt for it. Timothy Hughes, uh, rare and early newspapers. Now, this is no longer available because our friend Dan Dix bought it. So I'm pretty sure he has uh, this hard copy and it reads as follows. 
November 28th, 1829. Niles Weekly Register, Baltimore, November 28th, 1829. One of the articles within is headed Jerusalem with the text beginning, there is a report that the Rothschilds have purchased Jerusalem. We see nothing improbable in that. The pecuniary stress of the Sultan, and it goes on making a point that the Sultan is in great difficulty. Baron Rothschild was proceeding to Constantinople, and a second rebuilding of the temple is not among the most strange things expected in these strange times by some of the Jews. So this is a newspaper article, and whether or not, again, whether or not that's an accurate report at the time or it yeah, was rumor I or see. innuendo, the rumor or yeah. innuendo must have had something to it because years saying. later, right. 120 years later, it becomes the state of Israel. And a lot of colonization happened in between those two parts. So that's just, you know, there about Rothschilds buying land in the late 19th century to set up some vineyards there and it sort of, you know, moved on from there to. Well, that's interesting because they have the, the Palestinian the- Palestine Exploration Fund. And they also uh, have, what's the other, the Aliyahs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let me type in. Now you can find a, a book called uh, Zionism and Technocracy, the Engineering of Jew- Jewish Settlement in Palestine. That's a very interesting book. Uh, there's a couple other books on this. There's uh, Hebrew University of Jerusalem had published one. Uh, let's see. I think that one was published by Hebrew University. And then, uh, oh, the Survey of Western Palestine. And then the first Aliyah right here uh 1800s so this is the 1870s this isn't the 1890s right jewish philanthropists such as the montefiores and the rothschilds responded to the persecution of jews in in europe by sponsoring agricultural settlement uh for russian jews in palestine the jews who migrated during this period known as the first aliyah aliyah is the hebrew word meaning ascent referring to the act of spirituality ascending to the holy land in the basic tenet of zionism these types of things I don't think are recognized or talked about by people who think the state of Israel was created because of Hitler in World War II. And if you just look at the and justifies all the types of things as far as apartheid and policy that we see today. If you just look at the wiki, they don't even mention that. They don't really start until really after it became a state. They call it uh, pre-modern aliyahs, which I can click on that and see where that goes. Oh, well, they start with the whole, okay, yeah, I'll cry. Zionist Aliyah, so it starts with 1882 on. And now, there's the Dreyfus affair, and uh, Guy and I think Baron Rothschild talk about the Dreyfus affair mm-hmm. and uh, some of these other ideas that were uh, around the persecution of the Eastern Europeans. Sir Moses Montefiore, Moses Hess also points to them in 1861 in his book, Roman Jerusalem, the, Na- the last nationalist question. And he points uh, to Montefiore and Rothschild as funders. They also talked about how they took over Freemasonic lodges with their own brand of Freemasonry. And later you get uh, organizations like the British Israel World Federation shortly before the Balfour Declaration, all just hallmarks of uh, synergistic parallel agendas uh, being run. So interesting, the history of Palestine, it is. So when you yeah, got that's, uh, that's very fun. Yeah, I'm just yeah. So if you got Scott Horton making this comment over here, let me get back to the Twitter. When was the first one you said that you referenced? 1829 was the first article referencing no, 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 that. for Aaliyah. Oh. Sorry, I'm for Aaliyah. Oh, 1870s. Yeah, this yeah, it's interesting. The first the, on the wiki article, the pre whatever Aaliyah is pre modern Aaliyah is 
It starts with 1882. Interesting. Between 1882 and 1903, approximately 35,000 Jews immigrated to the Ottoman Palestine, joining the pre-existing Jewish population, which in 1880 numbered 20,000. That's 000 the Sultan, right? 000. Ottoman yep. Palestine, the Sultan. Yeah, Sultan. So that's interesting, that's too. The Jews immigrated, arrived in groups, and some would recruit most of these groups from areas of Romania and Russia in the 1880s. The migration of Jews from Russia correlates with the end of the Russian pogroms, with about 3% of Jews emigrating from Europe to Palestine. The groups who arrived in Palestine around this time were called Hibetician, which is a Hebrew word meaning fondness for Zion. They were also called uh, enthusiasts for Zion by the members of the groups themselves. While these groups expressed interest and fondness for Palestine, they were not strong enough in number to encompass an entire mass movement, as would appear later on in other ways of migration. The majority belonging to Ovive Zion and Bilu movements came from the Russian Empire, with a smaller number arriving from Yemen. Many established agricultural communities among the towns of these individuals established are uh, Peta Tikov or Tikva, already in 1878, Rishon Lezion, Rosh Pina, and Zikron Yakov. Uh, in 1882, the Yemenite Jews settled an Arab village of Silwan, located southeast of the walls of the old city of Jerusalem and on the slopes of the Mount of Olives. Kurdish Jews settled in Jerusalem starting around 1895. So they don't even mention 1870. They mentioned the first one being around 1882 to 1903, with being basically the immigration of, or emigration rather, of Jews from Russia to Palestine. And probably right, so do the pogroms. Yeah. I found another reference. Let me put it on the screen. Now I do have all these screenshotted from like back in the day, but uh this is still on the internet because I just looked it up. It looks like this. Uh Google Books and the references Columbia Star and Christian Index Volumes One and Two. And then there was a quote that was searched, and the quote is it is stated that Baron Rothschild, the celebrated London Jewish financier or banker, is about to purchase all of Palestine, the Holy Land, including Jerusalem, as a kingdom for the Jews over whom he is to be king. Now, this is back. What is uh, the date on this? I think this is the 1829 reference, and I'll find the exact date here in a second. Let me just refresh that page. Um, and the big question is, you see a lot of these reports pre-1850, and they're just... They're just reports, they're just statements, they're just claims, they're not arguments, they're just, I wish there was some information as to regards as to where they might have heard this, but clearly that there have been a number of outlets that picked this up at the time, you know, and then later on we know hindsight is twenty twenty in regards to what actually happened, there seems to be some veracity behind this, or wouldn't surprise me. So but, this is, this is, uh, in this, I'm going to show you the cover page. So I just wanted to show you like, here's the Columbian, Columbian star. And this is a scan of like, this is the annual scan of like the newspapers, right? So this is a newspaper archive from the early 1800s. So let's go back to see what the cover page looks like in this book, Harvard divinity school. Okay. That's a source for this book that we're looking at the Columbian star and Christian index volume one from 1829. So now we have two different newspaper reports from 1829. There's this one from 1829, Niles Weekly Register, which is not the same article that is over here in this book, the Columbian Star. What was the, so it's 1829, you know, then uh, what was the date on that? Well, now that we see the, the cover page, let me reload the is page, also go to page 352 in that book. And then we can go back and see the cover for that week or month of the paper. 
I mean, there's a date right here on this page, which is like two pages before it. I'm going to assume it's probably yeah, November, November 28th, 28th. Yeah. Okay. 1829. So this is the, Same this time. is on page 347 of that book. You can see the Columbian star Philadelphia Saturday morning, November 28th, 1829. And we scroll down one page, two page, three page, four page. What is there another heading here? No, it's still the same, same book. It looks like five pages, six pages down page 352 of the Columbia star. And then we'll go to the next article and we'll know, you know, from uh, what's in between it, what data was, but there's the quote. So now we go down the page. Here's the next one. And this is December 12th, 1829. So like probably a week later, number 24, volume one, weeks, number 24, about two weeks. So we're, yeah. we just looked at volume one, number 23, and I'll go back up to the top. We'll get the exact date one more time just to be pedantic about it because November 28th, 1829. Mm -hmm. So either this person had a crystal ball. How would somebody at the Philadelphia Columbia star newspaper have an idea on the objective political otherwise of the Rothschild, uh, Baron Rothschild. And That's later a big question, right? Rothschild they're just on their yeah. money. Right. They have Rothschild on their bills in Israel. They have the main street, uh, you know, and in, uh, uh, in the capital city named after Rothschild. Uh, James de Rothschild paid for the Knesset, which is their capital building where this, the heads of state all make uh, laws and stuff like that. So it's substantial. And I think that, you know, it didn't pop out of nowhere. And there might have been a lot more in the planning than people first are thinking. I don't know. It's sort but, of buried even in, within that article. I mean, it's six pages down right after it talks about recent deaths. So it's sort of like, even within the newspaper, it seems to have been something that was buried at the time. Yeah. So maybe, I don't know. It's I, don't just know what a claim. I don't know what Horton's pointing to with this tweet, but you know, it's just interesting. The history that just, you know, we were talking about last night at dinner and then that tweet today and, uh, you know, there's a lot more to that. That I think that is, as a, you know, just as an example, if Stephen Crowder signs with the Daily Wire, could he have done the the book deep dive that we just did? And we should get a sound effect like submarine going dive, dive, dive. We need some deep dive sound effects for these types of things. But I don't think Crowder in his fifty million dollar contract with the uh, Daily Wire—that's their name, right? DW yeah, uh, could cover a book like this or a book like this. I don't think you could have just had that conversation. I was just reading quotes from two memoirs. But I think advertisers might have fled if you were over there at the Daily Wire, right? I don't know. Well, and also maybe they would embrace it. Maybe they embrace the facts of the situation and their own ideological persuasions. Ben claiming to be an Orthodox Jew, and uh, the fact that I mean Stephen Crowder, he he wouldn't cover something like this because he sort of believes in the Christian mythos as it's been sort of redefined. Well, Christian for Zionism, Christian Zionism, right, comes right. along in the late 1800s. Yeah. So as they're so as they're colonizing Palestine, they're also colonizing America ideologically right? to get the Christians here to identify with that same mission. And you have a lot of new religions pop up in the late 1800s. Yes. Uh, uh, Mary Baker Eddy, uh, Christian Science, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, mm -hmm. uh, Mormonism, and a lot of them have Freemasonic and secret society connections to the origins of those new flavors of controls. I mean, religions <laughs> of Christian, of Christian religions. So it's interesting. The and development it sort of 
and it seems to have been intentional and, and continue to work out. Like, does the state of Israel still exist today? Oh yeah. Are they pretty powerful? Oh yeah. You know, have they had maybe uh, one nation under blackmail with USS Liberty and all sorts of things that have gone on? Yeah, it's very well documented. There's more mentioned about the Mossad and Whitney Webb's book than there is about the CIA or MI6. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, obviously, many most of the individuals, not many, many if not most, uh, were big supporters of Zionism. Uh, Leslie Wexner, Max Fisher, obviously. Um, well, that's uh, the Chicago syndicate, Max Fisher. That's where Hillary Clinton's dad Correct. It's like, I don't know if he's a capo, but you know, he's, he's special privilege. And, uh, yeah. So I mean, what is dad might've been a gangster is what I'm saying. <laughs> or you can yeah. think he was a dressmaker, whatever makes you feel better and sleep better tonight. A lot of confluence with Epstein being the main handler for Wexner for a while and, uh, in support of the Jewish state and support of, um, Jewish identity at Harvard and the various schools they funded there, uh, colleges, I should say. Um, yeah, there's so much, and we, we covered all this in specific detail in the book club. So those are interested next one's Friday, this upcoming Friday and become a GTW subscriber. We're going actually ironically over Ghislaine Maxwell. That's the next chapter, chapter 15, volume two. So come join along. And, uh, yeah, she mentioned it. I've mentioned this many times. We went into long sort of, uh, exposés and diatribes and conversations, particularly about why there's so much confluence with zionism mossad what happened with wexner what happened with epstein what happened with you know the individuals connected to wexner and so forth and so on and obviously many more beyond that so getting into soon robert maxwell so it's just yeah there's a there's a lot there there's a lot there well robert maxwell who did who did he spy for was in mi6 and the state of israel yeah which, which those, aren't necessarily disconnected. I that's mean, right. Pretty much. That's right. They're like uh, New York and LA. They're connected by this yeah. whole whole flyover thing. That's right. Most that's people right. just skip over that whole connection. Max Fisher helped to orchestrate uh, funding for armament in the 1980s under Reagan's administration to get Reagan to. And uh, well, Iran-Contra, uh, mm-hmm. Epstein was involved in that too. 100%. And yeah. he had met the royal family. He met the queen back in the 70s. Yes. So there's, yep. you know, there's most people like Whitney says, uh, they don't talk about Epstein's history, especially the sex stuff prior to like 2002, 2004. There's a and, longer and history to all these things that people aren't talking about. And I think it's because there's a third rail there. Right. That people and, have been getting persecuted with. And she backed into it. Like she, she started with on unlimited hangouts platform that uh, showcases her essays and her deep dives, you know, she backed into it insofar as she went into the 90s and she mm-hmm. looked at his connections in the 90s. Like, well, he's connected with all these major Microsoft CEOs and Bill Gates and Clinton and the Clinton Foundation after, um, you know, in the early 2000s. Like, what's going on there? And then she backs up into the 80s and you get into Iran Contra and you get into Robert Maxwell, you get into Leslie Wexner, you get into all these individuals. Like, okay, let's go back to the set. And then all of a sudden she needs two volumes because yeah. she realizes she doesn't know about volume one. Um, because you know she's focused on right, you know the most immediate data that's available to her right. in regards to, to current prequel. events. You gotta yeah. have the prequel, right? So otherwise, people wouldn't understand it. the long train of abuses and the ominous continuity of the whole story. Yeah, an ominous continuity is understatement. Very well said. All right, so we're gonna uh, hightail it here, maybe into some intermission material. But before we do that, I have a uh, we have Das Forum 
We have a look inside the World Economic Forum, and uh, we were going to get to it last week, but we are way over time, so we didn't have time to put that in there. But it is an essential piece that I don't think we've had enough look behind the scenes of not just the Club of Rome and these other things, but the World Economic Forum. It's all the corporations that are acting as the Gestapo and SS out there enforcing everything, right? So like Hitler in a bunker, bunker, not a big deal, but Hitler with a whole bunch of people to enact his fucking crazy will, that is a big deal. Same thing. Klaus in a room, no big deal. Klaus with thousands of people that are most powerful people in the world, and they're going to do whatever he says. That is a big deal. So we're going to take a look into that. But before we go to intermission, Tony, what do you think we uh, should have, would have, could have highlighted in the episode tonight? Any clips that were on your radar that you're like, hey, that's newsworthy and we didn't get to talk about it? Uh not to my knowledge, because I was traveling this week, had a lot of work early this week. Obviously, we don't have a traditional show card for this week, but uh, nothing that comes to my attention. I think we covered the main the main thing for uh, that James pointed out to me earlier in the week. And when I was told him I was traveling was make sure, you know, he gave us the timestamps. And thank you, James, for providing that timestamps for uh, the Ghislaine Maxwell interview. And I think we did a good job of sort of, you know, uh, providing meaningful commentary around that. Otherwise, uh, nothing in particular I can think of. Um, not specifically uh, i know there's a lot going on with ukraine and russia uh there's more there's a lot of escalation but you know we'll have to wait and see next next week we'll see if there's anything a little bit more substantial well the people um, shipping those weapons to that to that escalation they're going to be represented here in the intermission yes there you go <laughs> they're all yeah. sitting around these tables and in these meetings and uh you know they got to send more tanks yeah, tanks right. right well it's all about the the mic you know military industrial complex and the media industrial complex it must grow bigger all right so uh i'm trying to remember who sent us this uh folder i thought it was sisyphus jones Hmm. and uh yeah very we had looked at this so this isn't from this year's davos this is from like 2018 or 2019 davos because trump's in it so it's good. We can look back. We don't have to see Biden stumbling around. We can see Orange Man bad. People can get their ire up and get all upset or whatever. Uh, he's at the World Economic Forum. I don't know that he understands what it is or uh, or agrees with it, but he was there. And uh, let's get some shots from behind the scenes. Now, this is extension footage. There's a lot of it. So, uh, LD, if you find something that's uh, like boring or something, we could just scrub ahead during the uh the allotment of footage we've we've got here in the archive you want to start from the top yeah i start from the top so people have contacts and if it gets slow or something i'll just say hey scrub ahead to the next part because there's a lot of different uh things that are shown and uh is this intermission or pre-intermission no this is going to be intermission okay okay i just want to make sure i wasn't sure if we were showing us yeah then i'll find the other things we should have would have covered during the intermission i'll do like two things at once i'll take a look as well all right, let's go ahead and roll it. This is Das Forum, the World Economic Forum, and uh, Davos, a.k.a. Davos. And these are the people who are not elected but want to rule your world. Let's see what they're up to. annual meeting of the World Economic Forum. The 
oil-producing countries of the Arab world decided to use their oil as a political weapon. Nehmen wir Gorbatschow ernst, nehmen wir Gorbatschow bei West Berliners flocked there and scaled the wall that scarred their city. In fact, if you buy a new PC, the internet is a few clicks away. And I brought the major industrial leaders of the world together in this forum. I thank you. International tourism was not, however, born on 9-11. Breaking news here. Stocks all around the world are tanking because of the crisis on Wall Street. And we are demonstrating against the self-proclaimed elite that tells us that they're going to solve the problem, but the problems are getting bigger. If we didn't feel the need to talk, the need for dialogue, we would live in a global dictatorship where everyone had the same opinion. Meaning that, not to just talk, but to let others talk too, is an absolute necessity for the social cohesion of our world. What is important is not only talking, but also listening. I believe this is the starting point, this feeling that we need dialogue to understand each other. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Thank you. 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 Thank you.
No, but well, you've got an even bigger United States president, so... Yeah, I hear you will meet him. Yes, yes. It can't be past this. Everyone's feet on the carpet. Yeah. Hello, everybody. Hi, everybody. How are you? just call you. Why don't we try as a follow-up to engage uh, Netanyahu also into such session? Exactly. That's why I wanted to connect with you. And if that's the case, I'd like to pursue that with Mirek. I just invited him also for the dinner with the Chinese. And I, I feel Netanyahu would like to be with, uh, let's say, a Nobel Prize winner and so on. And that would solve the issue to a certain extent. I think so. Okay. Thank you. Huh? Martina, die, um, die Einladung für das Dinner mit äh, Frau Merkel, ja. das sind auf sehr persönlichem Briefpapier sie. Und nicht okay. aber dran, das, äh, das sieht nach ähm, Wald- und Wiese-Meeting Wald- und Wiese-Meeting aus. Okay, ähm, ich glaube, es ist aber keine E-Mail und das ist so der Standard, wo... wo ja, trotzdem, das sieht also sehr schlecht aus. Okay. Ich würde, ich würde eher sagen, dass man es als ein Attachment macht, zu einer genau. E-Mail, vor okay. a private dinner with äh, the Chancellor of Germany and so on and so on. Super. Okay, danke. Super, merci. Ja. Merci. The purpose of our meeting today is to get a sense of where we are for Davos. So my patience with this community is, is very small, but I'm ready if they get it, and they're ready to have uh, all hands on deck and really have the conversation, you know, whatever we need to do. There's no other place like it, thank there God. There is no other place like it, thank God. So many of them are there at one time. We have that conversation every year, right? The, why the hell are we going to Davos? Because it's just a room full of the bad guys. Yeah. 
we spend a lot of time and money sometimes trying to communicate with the bad guys, you know. We send ships, we uh, climb their buildings. Actually, we can't do it without this collection of people. This collection of people are amongst the, the, the most significant leaders on the planet. They are the last generation of leaders on the planet that can change the course and, and avert this catastrophe. Therefore, we have to do it with them. In that, that sense, we've got no permanent enemies, no permanent allies, that, that, that desperate, untidy yeah. bid to, to, to make friends with them. Where do we sit? How awkward do we feel? <laughs> I get nervous about, you know, giving them so much power. They haven't done a very good job but I'm ready to go in and have all kinds of truth to power conversations and make people feel very uncomfortable. Regular? Regular? Yeah. Jack Ma, wo sitzt der beim Nachtessen? Fabian, where did we put Jack Ma? Ah, ja, kommt er schon Mittwoch. Kommt er schon Mittwoch? Ja. Okay, merci. Sagen Sie. Every year Davos happens, 3,000 of the most important people in the world coming together in a very small, confined space for a very small, confined period of time and being uh, constructed into a program that delivers across a huge and ambitious range of different topics. Some of that can be revealed now to this audience. I think what is important with the media also is probably the question about the participation of President Trump and Macron. How many government members do we have cabinet level? So, uh, 333, but then from 100 different countries. 333. My father was a close friend of Ludwig Erhard. And of course, I was influenced by his concept of the social market economy. Meaning that a company not only has commercial, but also social responsibilities to everyone who has a share in it. The employees, the clients, the state. That's what you call stakeholder concept. And then suddenly, I had this idea. Why not create a platform where all stakeholders meet each other? Business leaders, unionists, politicians, and so on. And that was the idea of Davos. Back then, there was a book written by a Canadian, The Global Village. I said to myself, wouldn't that be ideal to create a global village of global decision-makers? My intention was never to make this my life task. But then so many people approached me during the meeting and said, You've got to repeat this. This is such a great value for Europe. 
keep doing it. And in the meantime, I was hooked with my whole heart. And ever since, it has never let me go. But then I had to mobilize the people to participate. I had no clue about organizing a conference. I then placed an ad in the newspaper and received a number of replies. One of them was from a woman. I thought she was a little young, but she claimed she spoke four languages fluently. Her name was Hilda Stoll. I met her on April 1st, 1970. It wasn't an April Fool's hoax. I then hired her, and on the occasion of the first annual meeting in Davos, we got engaged. And we got married a year later, in July of 1971. Hello, this is The Briefing. I'm David Eads. Our top story. Selling America to the world, President Trump is set to give his keynote speech at the World Economic Forum in Davos. Big news, folks, big news. What's your message? Typical New York Times, big stories. Mr. Trump. My message is peace and prosperity. That's what we have. We have a tremendous crowd, and a crowd like they've never had before. Wow. actually told me this is a crowd like they have never had before in Davos, including all of you people like they've never had before, so that's good. I assume they're here because of clouds. We hope so. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you, everybody. So are you going to be investing in the U.S.? Uh, yes, we are. I'm the CEO of Bayer. We are working heavily on acquiring Monsanto. We are going to invest about 16 billion into uh, the Monsanto headquarters, the former Monsanto. If you were the priest of a church, you would want to make the sinners come visit you on a Sunday. You wouldn't want to lock them out. Or would you bar the sinners out? Probably the contrary. You would say, I'd rather have them coming than those I see every Sunday. My name is Mark Tucker from HSBC, and we're the largest foreign bank in the U.S. We have a balance sheet of $2.6 trillion. It's a great honor to have you. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm CEO of Novartis. We're one of the largest uh, healthcare companies in the world. Uh, today, we have about 22,000 employees in the U.S. across 21 sites. Uh, we invest about $14 billion every year into the United States. Mr. President, thank you very much for having me tonight. I serve the people of ABB. We have business in more than 100 countries of the world and bought some iconic brands in the U.S. like Baldor and Fort Smith, Arkansas, a motor company. It needs a little bit of investment in terms of technology and we have to buy technology. I got a good price. I know you got it. You always get a good price. I know who I deal with. He always gets a good price. Number one global beer brand is Budweiser. Right. And our biggest market is the U.S. where we employ 18,000 people in more than 50 sites. Thank you. Great market for us. That's fantastic. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Hey, Mr. President, I'd like to thank you, first of all, for having me, but also for sparring on all this growth. These are all my customers. I know. (laughs) It's just a real tribute to the momentum that you've created in the global economy. So I thank you very much. SAP is the leading enterprise software company. I'm very proud to 
share with you that when you think about the Army and the Navy and the missions they run to protect the world, they run on SAC. You've done a, a really spectacular job. I guess pretty much everybody at this table is your customer, so exactly. that's not so bad. Exactly. So I want to congratulate Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you. In 1973, I went to Brazil, where I made the acquaintance of well-known theologist, Dom Elder Camara, a so-called liberation theologian of the Catholic Church, very left-wing. And I was very impressed by our conversation. Very spontaneously, I invited Dom Elder Camara to Davos. I thought he has a message, the message from the favelas. It became a big topic with the participants, and I had to face a range of boycott threats. The question for me was, shall I stick to my invitation? Dom Elder Kamara came to Davos. He gave a speech which, of course, didn't please everyone. When a multinational corporation is transplanted to a country that produces raw materials, and which also caused a lot of companies to opt out. Is not the tendency merely a quest of paradises for investment? The moment was very significant, at least for me and my wife. It was a crucial test in the history of the forum. Should we cancel the whole venture? Or should we stick to our values? United Kingdom. As we leave the European Union, the UK will continue to be a global advocate of free trade, seeking to bring new partners to the table. And of course, after we have left the EU, developing new bilateral deals with countries across the world. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this press conference that's dedicated to answering the question, how can we move to more sustainable consumption? 
A couple of years ago, we launched a report that we will very soon have more plastic than fish in the ocean. Starting from that, we've built together an effort, a multi-stakeholder effort to tackle that problem. I'm very happy that we're joined by David Taylor, CEO of P&G. To his left, uh, we're pleased to be joined by Ramon Laguarta, the chairman-elect of PepsiCo, Jennifer Morgan of Greenpeace. Jennifer, please. Our current economic system, which is based on this endless consumption, the disposability and the ongoing extraction of fossil fuels, is broken, and it just can't continue this way. So Greenpeace supports the intention behind these efforts, but there's a real risk that projects like this become a bit of a distracting side show to generate positive PR while major companies continue business as usual. So prove me wrong on that one. I don't feel like we're all on the same page there yet. So I'm actually very excited about this, and I do believe members of the industry see the compelling need to work together to find solutions across many different, many different ways. Is PNG committing to set a reduction target of plastics across your entire supply chain? I hear Pepsi is interested or looking at that. What we're trying to do is design the bottles so that it has the minimum amount of plastic. However, the equation is not so simple. So, you know. Um, no, it's very complex. So when you start thinking no about glass, and returnable glass, then you say, okay, well, then I'm going to drive a lot of miles back into the factory. So we're, we're looking at all this combination of packaging that will really reduce the amount of packaging we use per, let's say, per kilo. I don't have time much more for public-private partnerships alone. We've got 12 years left on climate to avoid 1.5. So please work also to get the right policies in place. Thanks. Mr. President, after you have been so warmly received yesterday here in Davos, it is now my great pleasure to welcome the President of the United States, Donald J. Trump. I'm aware that your strong leadership is open to misconceptions. Therefore, it is so essential for us in the room to listen directly to you. Please welcome the 45th President of the United States, Donald J. Trump, to the stage. Thank you, Klaus, very much. It's a privilege to be here at this forum where Leaders in business, science, art, diplomacy, and world affairs have gathered for many, many years to discuss how we can advance prosperity, security, and peace. I'm here to affirm America's friendship and partnership in building a better world. Like all nations represented at this great forum, now is the perfect time to bring your business, your jobs, and your investments to the United States. So, welcome. Thank you very much. As usual, great preparations. I think the forum 
as a platform, as an alternative place to bring the capable, resourceful people together and uh, search for, you know, better ways of governing, better ways of uh, creativity is really uh, proving itself very useful. So that's why we are excited to be here. And I will, you know, in my capacity, make sure that Turkey actually yeah, is yeah, part of this yeah. process as okay. well. And in terms of the projects that you're interested in? For me, of course, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and blockchain. These are the areas that okay. we will uh, focus on. Yeah. So uh, I would be more than happy to try to make these links stronger, yeah. uh, more effective. Yeah. And as you know, we have been waiting for this strategic partner yeah. uh, availability. So if you could you know, <laughs> uh, help us on that process, yeah. that would be yeah. great, because I want to bring more of my people. Yes, My name is Dominic Wari. I'm the head of public-private partnership here at the World Economic Forum, and we are the international organization for bringing the public and private and civil society together. What you will hear from this panel is a remarkable moment which is so pressing and so important for life on Earth, and you'll witness the coming together of the governmental community and the private sector to deliver solutions to save life in the ocean. Chief Sustainability Officer Coca-Cola, Chief Sustainability Officer of Unilever, Perez from Coca-Cola is here, and Jeff Seabright from Unilever. Yeah. Prime Minister Trudeau will set the stage. Ocean's protection is an issue that touches us all, and we very much like to highlight and get uh, the global community to show more leadership on is ocean's protection, particularly around plastics and pollution. Thank you for coming to move us forward. Hope that you consider yourself engaged, and it is ours. Good news about this session is that every person in the room is an ocean person. The next UN Ocean Conference is 2020. What can we deliver by then? What's the most important priority to deliver for that conference? All right, go. A lot of foundations and family offices are really passionate to do this, but they don't have a, a means to allocate. The last four years, we've seen a, a real revolution in thinking about the economics of climate change. So we actually can do it. It's actually good for business. It's good for the economy. We now need to do exactly that same thing for the ocean. We're in this period, WAF calls it fourth industrial revolution, where we have sensors, genetic engineering, AI, and drones. And what's interesting about all these technologies is they don't improve linearly, they improve exponentially. So something that looks like it's gonna be impossible in 10 years actually gets done in four. So progress happens way faster than you think. If you look at the big problems we have with the oceans, all of these have technological solutions. You can track plastics, you can scoop up plastics, you can track fish, you can track people who are hunting in places they shouldn't be hunting. You can use blockchain to track the tuna as it goes to market to make sure that people are buying the right tuna and keep fish supplies in line. But at the same time, the people outside of this room the people who are doing the illegal fishing, the people who are rogue operators, have access to the same technologies. So you have the good guys have drones that are getting way better, and the bad guys have drones that are getting way better. So there's a really interesting arms race. And it seems, in general, that technology in the oceans has not really, the good guys haven't really won the last 20 years.
right, speak. Yep. People are, they're not just tired, they're angry. What was your first thought when you heard President Trump had accepted to come here? Of course, I was very pleased to hear that he will join us in Davos. My hope is that it sends a message that the US wants to integrate as a positive actor into the global economy. I read the risk report, as I have most years. It's terrifying this year, but this is the situation that we're now in. And that's why we are happy that everybody comes together and becomes aware of the risk. You have to integrate much more the demands of those who have been left behind. We have to make sure that there is a clear improvement of the lives of those who have been left out in the globalization process. This is very divided, not so divided. Where are we in the divided world? Where are we in the fractured world? Very divided, less divided. I would say uh, this is too simplified. You came up with the phrase fractured world. How fractured are we? I, I think we are here, and what we want to do is here. You see? That's what we want to do. So that's... Here we are, and here we want to go. Good to see you, sir. Good to Thank see you, you Richard. Stephen Carroll joins us from the World Economic Forum in Davos. You really had the sense this year, on the one hand, Donald Trump, on the other hand, Macron and Justin Trudeau. There really was a debate at Davos this year. There was a lot of self-promotion going on, as I was saying, from a lot of world leaders. They know that companies have money to invest and they want to make sure that money comes to them. The, the tone of this year's Davos meeting is quite different from previous years, and that's partly because the global economy is doing well. They, do, they don't have any major pressing issues to worry about, although several people I spoke to said this week they really should worry. We should be more worried about climate change. We should be more worried about how technology is going to change the world. So I'm Carl Henrik Svamberg and I'm the chairman of BP. Uh, and I'm here and we're celebrating 50 years of the World Economic Forum. I think we're all so incredibly impressed what uh, Klaus and Hilde has achieved. It's a remarkable uh, uh, gift to the world. Uh, and this is a world that also faces uh, serious challenges. Because a lot of people feel that too little is coming to them and too much is coming to the few. The inequality of this world is not a good one. And a little bit further to the left, you have then the yeah. headquarters of Swiss Re and Zurich Insurance. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Paul Bulk, I'm chairman from Nestle. I'm working for Hoffmann La Roche, the pharmaceutical company. 
and I'm chairman of the board of Jones Lang LaSalle, a global real estate services company. I'm uh, the U.S. ambassador to Switzerland and Liechtenstein. So I represent the president of the United States and the American people here in, in Switzerland. The time that we spent with President Trump here at Davos, we had some fantastic opportunities to really negotiate and converse in a way no other place really can. This elite group that goes to Davos in a year, continuing the system and doing nice projects around the edges, they're a fundamental part of the problem. They're not creating a dream, they're, they've created a nightmare. It's not credible. I don't know how they can sleep at night. This doesn't fit. It's like this bubble that exists there of individuals who are used to having power. It's a mega group think. And the thing that I find so dangerous about it is it the rhetoric and the narrative around it is that it's about making the world a better place. But I think it's like 99% status quo. And maybe there's 1% around the edge and, you know, that's trying to improve things. But I, I don't see real evidence that they're willing to do the hard work. It takes hard work, diligence, precision, commitment, day in and day out to solve climate change. It's not a fly-in, fly-out type of thing. I don't see that there. Eine andere Welt. Das ist der einzige Nachteil von unserem Schalle, dass es vielleicht nicht hoch genug liegt und wir oft dann auch im Nebel drin sind. Und wir sitzen im dichten Nebel. Welche Unternehmen dürfen denn überhaupt strategischer Partner werden? Nestlé ist ein strategischer Partner, obwohl die wegen ihrer umstrittenen Wasserpolitik in der Kritik stehen. Dürfte denn zum Beispiel auch Monsanto, der Saatguthersteller, strategischer Partner werden? Ist es. Ist es schon? Nicht strategisch, aber Partner. Ist Partner. Also erstmal, warum machen Sie das? Weil Sie haben ja, also Sie haben ja, Monsanto hat ja die Philosophie wirklich auf Kosten von allem so viel Geld zu machen wie möglich, egal was passiert. Also wie, wie passt das jetzt zusammen? Also sollen die überzeugt werden im Dialog? Oder können die überhaupt überzeugt werden nach dem, was sie auf der Welt anstellen? Die haben ja zum Beispiel diese Hybridsamen, die man nur einmal verwenden kann, den indischen Bauern verkauft. Ja, ich kann das verstehen. Ja, ich also kann das verstehen. Nur, dass ich das verstehe. Und ich habe auch sehr viele Gespräche gehabt. I have conducted many conversations with the CEO of Monsanto. Von Monsanto. Ich glaube, es ist nicht It is not all as bad as it looks. There is also, I'm not in favor of their products and they are seen as controversial. 
And some people would say they also have a positive impact by increasing the productivity of the agrarian sector. This is a great deal for farmers because farmers are starving for innovations. Our purpose is really to bring better solutions faster to growers so that they can increase yield and with that contribute to feeding a rapidly growing population. The Europeans are way more skeptical and quite frankly suspicious about what companies like Monsanto, Mr. Grant, do. Uh, genetically modified seeds have been called a health menace by the French. The Germans call it frankenfood. How are you going to get around that, Mr. Grant? And we think that this transaction really lifts the game for sustainable agriculture for decades to come. So this, this is a win for growers as well as a win for share owners. I want to avoid the word educating, but we want to confront people with their responsibility, and we want to make them contribute to a better world. The problem we face is when people see the CEO of Monsanto in Davos, they mistake us as an organization that identifies with these people. And they don't see the layer below, the intention of the whole effort. How many of you have heard of a game called Go? It's a board game. The number of moves on that board is 2.08 times 10 to the power 172. I took my first AI course in 1987, and this was seen as the ultimate goal. In March 2016, three young men who had formed a company called DeepMind beat the 18-time world champion Korean guy Lee Sedol. They had data from 100,000 games played online, and they built this engine that looked at all these games and taught itself how to play Go. So there was no human programming involved. So this was the first time when machine intelligence surpassed human intelligence. I think the world has always had these crisis situations. Sometimes they were converted to, to even wars. So right now we live in a, in a crisis mode because I believe many people are concerned about the future. Uh, we are living a, a time of very radical change, uh, driven by technology, and with that change comes a level of uncertainty. It's a wake-up call moment in my mind. We, uh, we have a tendency to see things too late. We have hope that others will solve it. And I think what the forum is doing is trying to create transparency so we see issues earlier. I have the pleasure to have a dialogue with the head of DeepMind. Why did you start DeepMind? Um, my principal inspiration was the opportunity to process vast amounts of highly unstructured um, information and turn that into knowledge. At the UN, where I was working, we really struggled to reach any consensus on the causes of deforestation, let alone what sorts of interventions were likely to make a material difference. I think artificial intelligence represents one of the best opportunities I think we have for making progress at the rate that we need to. 
Just this week, we've been managing the heating and cooling. In a three-day experiment, artificial intelligence managed to reduce the amount of energy required to cool the building by 50%. You create a situation where the robot develops its own algorithm, which we cannot understand anymore. We are already slaves of those algorithms. Is that correct? These systems will increasingly act independently and autonomously. As capital shifts from dollars now to intellectual capital, which can be automated and instilled in an algorithm, so we have algorithmic capital, who owned that capital? I think this is the most pressing question of the day. I actually feel very embarrassed because I'm actually more confused than before. Um, uh, we should also understand the basics of this thing. And I, I don't dare to ask here who really understands this, because uh, I must say the first half hour I was totally lost. Um, um, because you take as a premise that we understand, you live in another planet, or we are dinosaurs maybe. If any of you would like to commit yourself to a day of learning about this technology, email me directly, and you would instantly have a much higher degree of understanding than any of your peers. Who may consider to attend such a course in London or New York? Raise your finger. So, yeah. We have here the chairs of important companies. How can we speak about morality of artificial intelligence? There should be values that we're all uh, at liberty to uh, embody. Um, and I think the principal one has to be um, empathy. You know, how, how do we understand what it's actually like to earn $7 an hour for an entire 40-year career working in the service sector? Unless some of that frustration makes its way into the boardroom and has a real seat at the table, we are going to continue on a somewhat blinded path. That sort of thing breeds resentment and distrust of elites. A reasonable salary for the head of a company should not exceed 20 times as much as the average wage. Today, it's 200, 300 times as much. What is important is that we add a social component to globalization. I get asked a lot, are you in favor of or against globalization? Of course, I'm regarded as an exponent of globalization. In my opinion, that's the wrong question. Globalization has become a mere fact today, just like the sunrise and sunset. Klaus is determined, he's resilient, he's a rock. I don't know many things that can actually shake him up. Sometimes it is incredibly frustrating, and it must be for Klaus as well, to try to push those good initiatives. You know, on corruption, on water, on plastic and oceans, and you know, you name it, he's been pushing those. But when I say that Klaus Schwab is a rock, despite the time it takes, despite those pulling forces in many directions, I think he's going to continue to, you know, stay the course and, and stir those causes in the right directions for as long as it takes until there is results.
Now I can go to autonomous mode and use my hands while I'm talking. No, so you're with me, you're stuck with me. <laughs> saying it's too dangerous to drive. There are people who say artificial intelligence will be the end of the world. But if we can deliberately, purposefully steer it towards the positive, then we can improve the lives of uh, a lot of people. We can get rid of this congestion, for example. Would you work with any company in order to bring solutions to the table, even though a company has failed in the past? Why do you ask? because people are trusting the system and some of these companies' integrity. The question you raise is, Marcus, is a tough one. You know, people, if, if they lose hope, they, it's not a good place to be for anyone. Right, Paul and Hildy. the only way we can show... All right, so uh, there's more to that, and I encourage you to seek it out in its entirety. At the end there, they're kind of pointing toward the need for 15-minute cities. There's too much congestion on the road, too much traffic, too many people pursuing their individual agendas. They're going to curtail that. Prior to that, you heard them speaking about the ethics of artificial intelligence and their plans for implementing artificial intelligence to make algorithms a type of currency, a type of economy, uh, an economy of human beings using human beings. It looks like human use of human beings, just yes. like Norbert Wiener had written about back in the day. Right. And I think it's also important to see that, you know, 50 years of them working towards something, they're very goal oriented, organized, well-funded people that I think should be taken more seriously. And they're not the end all be all like that's the outer circle working group implementing uh, a, a slice of the pie. But they're serious players, especially in light of that was just before COVID. All those things they're talking about, they don't have any big challenges. Everything's going well for them. And then they shut down the whole world economy. That specific group of companies participated in that. Like from the drop of the hat, they were all on the same page on what to do and how to act and who to persecute and who to censor and what information to hide and what things they should say, uh, like eats the bugs. <laughs> Yeah, when the 15, 15 minute city concept, I mean, what they're trying to do is sell people on the convenience and the freedom they would have when in fact it's really just a, a, a sort of, uh, it's a smokescreen for compliance and, and a form of slavery. And it's now right. 15 minute city is better than an eight by eight, which is usually what they dole out to people like that. But they got a lot of people that they got to handle so they don't have uh, cells like for everybody. So they'll just make your uh, neighborhood into a cell. There you go. Yeah. And you can Maybe all have a different flavor. Proud. Everyone has like their their place that makes like sandwiches. It's going to be like the same place in every town. 15-minute towns, they're all just going to be outfitted with the same big box companies. Like the all, yeah, right. World Economic Forum companies only will be in those 15-minute cities. When I lived in Richmond, there was a lot of these types of developments already in place. We call yeah. them concrete suburbs, but <laughs> yeah. No, no. These are actually pre-planned communities where they essentially- Is there a chick It was the whole like gentrification thing where they're- mm. Centering around like a Whole Foods, and then they have all these high rises with a couple bars and a couple places you could walk to all these places. Now, they weren't well adopted, and many of them were abandoned or the projects weren't finished, but a couple of them did go up. And I guess the goal is to attract sort of like young professionals or something of that ilk, but it was already sort of the infrastructure is already in place in a lot of different areas around the country. 
they're, they're just now selling you on it. They're just now selling the population on it and starting the marketing campaign for adopting this sort of, you know, pre-prescribed community situation. So I was trying the to idea find they a, sell it on convenience. Sorry, good. I was trying to find a, a couple. I was trying to find a clip over here from Jamie Johnson's The One Percent. And uh sure it had that gentrification scene. Uh, <laughs> where like the the guy had moved in and built like he has like a multi-million dollar apartment and then when he drives out of the the garage with the lamborghini the camera cuts up to a bullet hole in his window and he's like yeah i don't really know why people in this neighborhood don't like me living here this sort of thing right but they're going in and uh changing the neighborhood because they have money (laughs) i don't see the clip readily available but if you do type in on youtube i'll show you what to type in type in jamie johnson the 1%. And you can see the whole movie. Whole movie's right there, it looks like somewhere. And there's the movie right there. And he also did a movie called Born Rich. There's the whole movie right here. You kind of watch that. That's uh this guy is a baron. His name's Cody. And if you catch his part in a movie, his uh little interlude, he takes you over to the Encyclopedia Britannica 11th edition on his shelf from 1911 and he says this is before it was edited for the masses. And it's a it's a great line. Plus, he's a, an Italian baron. Did you know they still had Italian barons running around? And uh, his name's Cody Franchetti, I believe. Uh, I have Franchetti Italian shoes that I bought in Italy one time. So it's probably his family that makes them shoes. All right. So 1% Jamie Johnson, Born Rich was his first film. 1% was his second film. That closes the loop on that. And now you know what you could watch after Grand Theft Well tonight. Or whenever you're watching it during the week. I'm not assuming everyone's up till four in the morning. All right. I so other... I might have, anyways, you know, I just, yeah, you, did you find, I uh, might've found some worthwhile clip 32 minutes, 47 seconds into the 1%. Yeah. I mean, I it, the clip was, really tell. it has actually, <clears throat> we should actually pay, play parts of this for intermission next week. Yeah. Okay, how it's, how it starts that, out. Yeah. And that part with the Lamborghini, it's hilarious. The beginning's yeah, like yeah. undercover video. He's got a hidden microphone. He's taping them, like talking about common people and playing croquet with their lives and stuff. It's hilarious. But uh, yeah, we'll save that. We'll save that then. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll That's save good. that. We got to have good stuff for next week. But make a note, LD, uh, the 1% for next week. Or maybe I'll find some bangers from Born Rich. But 1% was like, you know, it's hard hitting. All right. As Warren Buffett's a you know uh, semi granddaughter who he disowned because of that movie, so there's a lot of interesting wow. things that fell out from that movie. Very All right, clips movie. clips we need to cover before we head into thanking everybody who supported this show. Um, you know me when it comes to, when it gets this late, I just bank on either Greg Reese or like John Bowne or anything like that. So if we wanted to play anything that's condensed and sort of captures a lot of information. Uh, I'll just put it on the screen. Um, not that we have to play these, but just make people aware. Hit the button. Yeah, uh, let's there we go. let's get aware on what's CIA that. funded company to resurrect extinct an- animals under the guise of I can't see the rest of that. An imminent cyber attack for a new world order. There's a Greg Reese two from this week, and then John Bowne is I think two. The new world order panics and NWO pushes global catastrophe closer to the edge of midnight. So very uplifting, uh, as per usual from those two brilliant uh. All right, let's go back to Reese. Let's go back to Reese. And while we're doing this also, do we have something from JP to play us out later? I'll look that up while we get going. Let's do Reese's uh, cyber tech. uh, Benny Wills 
Joy Kim. Oh, right, 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 right. Oh, yeah, anyway, yeah. That's yeah. yes, right. That is cyber correct. Attack? Okay. Yeah, we talked team. about that earlier. All right, so we'll do the cyber attack now. We'll come back, we'll thank people, and then we'll play it out with the Joy Camp video. Sounds like a good plan. Actually, Joy Camp's in 1984 by Orwell were uh, persecution, political persecution camps. The, right, na- Joy Camp. the name Joy That's Camp was supposed to be too. ironic because yeah. it was right. double think, double speak. <laughs> Yeah, over people's heads. Joy Camp. That's why Joy Camp's logo has that barbed wire at the end. In case you guys mm. didn't get that, we'll get to it. Subtle symbolism, everyone. All right. So we're working our way into the crescendo of this episode. Uh, here comes some Greg Reese from Infowars.com, Bandot video, Greg Reese of the Reese Report. And I'll be sure to tag him on Twitter because he's on the tweets. <laughs> In 2020, Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum warned of an impending cyber attack that will take down all of society. We all know, but still pay insufficient attention to the frightening scenario of a comprehensive cyber attack, which would bring to a complete halt to the power supply transportation, hospital services, our society as a whole. In 2022, Joe Biden stated that sending tanks to Ukraine is called World War III. The idea, the idea that we're going to send in offensive equipment and have planes and tanks and trains uh, going in with American pilots and American crews, just understand, don't kid yourself, no matter what you all say. That's called World War III. Earlier this month, managing director of the World Economic Forum, Jeremy Jurgens, says that a catastrophic cyber event will likely occur in the next two years. The most striking finding that we found is that 93% of cyber leaders and 86% of cyber business leaders believe that the geopolitical instability makes a catastrophic cyber event likely in the next two years. This far exceeds anything that we've seen in previous surveys. This week, a German foreign minister casually stated that they are at war with Russia. And therefore, I've said already in the last days, yes, we have to do more to defend Ukraine. Yes, we have to do more also on tanks. But the most important and the crucial part is that we do it together and that we do not do the blame game in Europe because we are fighting a war against Russia and not against each other. Thank you. President Joe Biden responds by sending 31 M1 Abrams tanks to Ukraine. And today, today I'm announcing that the United States will be sending 31 Abrams tanks to Ukraine. And now all of the media is warning of nuclear war or a Russian cyber attack. That'll be the first time they actually discuss it in Congress. When we are hit with a massive cyber attack from Russia in response. If you are not suspicious by now, then you are not paying attention. Our government is not at war with Russia. They're at war with the American people. And in order to build back better, 
They need their cyber attack. Now they have a cover story and the media is sticking their finger into the PTSD wounds of all Americans so that we do nothing but sit at home in fear and wait for the end. Reporting for InfoWars, this is Greg Reese. Keep in mind, that was the most cheerful of all the selections we had in front of us. <laughs> I mean, the doomsday clock going to like 15 seconds left or whatever is not a, it's not a happy, happy time. No, not for sure. Uh, and something uh, we've pointed out on the show as well, to, it'd be the perfect cover story. I mean, they've been harking on the whole Russia, Russia, Russia thing for how many years now? For seven years, going back to 2016. And Even Trump back in DOS Forum, they're asking Trump about Mueller and the Russia gate. You're like, yep. you know, those are the yep. questions. So, I mean, they they set up the perfect boogeyman they need. And I've said this many times. There's a multidimensional way in which you can view this geopolitical struggle. Like, yes, there's the whole Russian and Ukrainian side you can look at. You look at the Maidan coup, the Minx Accords, you look at the pogroms in the Donbass region, you can look at the Azov battalion. Yeah, I get that. But there's also the World Economic Forum has a very specific agenda. And it seems like all of the things they want to implement will only be hastened by this war. So whether it's manufactured or something that just happened to manifest out of just a, a, a nation state sort of geopolitical struggle, however you want to, whatever, from whatever dimension you want to view it from, from the higher dimension, from like the one looking down over the other ones, that would be the world economic forum and what the major globalists still have planned for the world, which is the ability, they want to shut down the infrastructure. They want to bring in a great reset and they'll use whatever means they can to create the best smoke screen. COVID-19 was good, but then it kind of fell apart and now they're now we have this Russia-Ukraine conflict that continues to ramp up with uh, with what Luke Radowski said earlier tonight in regards to the bombing of an uh, Iranian infrastructure that was supposedly supplying armament to Russia, all this sort of stuff, uh, sending more and more tanks. These are anti uh, sort of anti tank sort of vehicles, from my understanding. When I research some of what we're sending over, there's a lot of escalation going on, a lot of confusion. Obviously, uh, China and the South China Seas, also Taiwan. This, these, I get as isolated sort of geopolitical instances. You can research them in their own right at that level. But at a higher level, all of these conflicts, all of them, whichever way you want to look at China and Taiwan and what's going on over there, or if you want to look at Russia and Ukraine, um, or you want to look at the border crises in Europe and America and elsewhere, it all hastens the very specific agenda that the Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum is presenting, which is a great reset, which is the end of modern freedom, infrastructure, the way in which we engage with our world. And they seem to want another big event to happen, as though COVID was nothing more than a test run. So, That's a fascinating hypothesis, and it makes me wonder, <clears throat> how does that fit in with other geopolitical agendas that were existing well before the world economic forum and to your point all these things are progressing toward the goal of that agenda but exactly. we're supposed to assume that all these things are not coordinated you know what i'm saying 100 percent. how much more they gaslight us and they're like none of these things are connected which makes me think more and more even though it's against my my indoctrination maybe more of these things are connected than than what we're what we're being told by those not so independent media sources. Yeah, hundred percent. I go with that uh, theory much more so than even the one. If you take the theory that these are just crazy geo isolated geopolitical events, but even still, even 
even if they were coincidences, they all help aid in the World Economic Forum's very specific agenda. Well, who did Klaus greet? Macron? Where did he used to work? How, what's his resume to be president of France? He was a Rothschild banker. What was the bank he worked at? Do you remember? French Rothschild Bank. It was nationalized. It was French. Because they took nationalized over the country one? or the country took over them. One of those two. <laughs> Just like uh, Jacob Rothschild or Sir Evelyn de Rothschild, I think they both live in nationalized houses in Britain where the government pays for their estate and people take tours of it, but they they get to use it. And they don't have to pay well, taxes. They don't have to so pay taxes and the government the pays for them to live scheme. there. That's on. Yeah, there you go. Now, this private That's partnership, right pu- public private partnership, stakeholder capitalism, all those big fancy words that Klaus uses at the beginning of the documentary. Uh, that's a bunch of word salad for a word that we just know as fascism. Fascism. That, that's all he's saying. Yeah. State and private. Want to integrate the state with the corp- corporations. Exactly. Yeah, that, yeah, there you go. That's Yeah. And that would he's be a, the end. He's of- a big fan of Mussolini, except he's got a, a bust of Lenin behind him on the shelf. <laughs> and then he says uh, the CEO should only make 20 times uh, the lowest rate. Like, where's he? He's just making numbers up because he's a fan of Lenin. But apparently he calls himself an economist. So. That's, he's an e-communist. Uh, yeah, there you go. An e-communist. Yeah. He's not an economist. He's an e-communist. That's fantastic. Yeah. Actually, can we get an e-communist yeah, shirt, LD, to go with the Eats of Bugs? We'll have a series. Klaus shirts. <laughs> Is there like klausshirts.com yet? We could just we just take over that whole vertical industry, that budding industry of anti-Klaus shirts. Oh, they're going to get more and more frequent more conspicuous this agenda becomes but we'll have to wait and see well if you um, eat the bugs you get the frequent flyers shirt get it it's an insect joke kids all right too early in the morning for insect jokes uh, who do we have to thank for this episode beyond our fantastic members and uh we're going to be bringing you guys more member benefits i'll even say at the end of the show there's been talk there's been drama there's been talk about this show breaking up and it might break up into two pieces once on sunday once on wednesday or thursday we're gonna have to see might do a little two little shows per week instead of one long all-nighter type thing so we'll we'll break that out uh but we also have some new members benefits coming and uh gonna up the up the ante over there because we like the activity we like the support and we like being independent of uh daily wire seven times a day seven times an hour ad reads and i'll just uh say this for the community um GTW Town Hall is this week. There are some new members that came into Grand Theft World. Can't thank you enough for the support, but got a little confused on it's a it's a bi-weekly schedule. Last week we had off. This week we're on. Uh, so Tuesday night, seven o'clock Eastern times from seven to ten. Uh, come join the town hall. Get uh, opportunity to share in discussion with not only myself but a ton of very erudite, very intelligent well-spoken individuals that come from a lot of different backgrounds from a lot of different experiences. So it's been a lot of fun and uh, come join uh, seven o'clock Tuesday night, Eastern time. Right on LD. Do you want to rack it up and see who we have to thank tonight? Always be safe. Yeah. It's a, uh, there we go. Yeah. Um, if you haven't been over to grandtheftworld.com, go over, check it out, join the community. Support get us the freedom and, vault and, first. See that pop up right there? Get that freedom vault. I'll get you started. And uh, yeah, if you are interested in having us go bi-weekly, uh, twice a week, I should say, uh, maybe show us, show us a sign and go ahead and sign up to support the community. 
and that that would be a good indicator uh, as to whether that would be something you'd like. But uh, yeah, right in here, join the community top right corner of the website and check it out. Um, I did want to play, well, maybe after this, there's a interesting soundbite from another podcast that would be, oh, right on. Yeah. be cool to play before we uh, head out of here. But uh, huge thanks to the Grand Theft World community members that keep us going. And a big thanks to tonight's Rockfin tippers. We had F Fitz, $5. High nerds, physically intact men pretending to be female. Ice skaters are women. I think that was in reference to Luke's video at the beginning. Nick the Sound Guy, $5. Save me a bunk at the Gulag, fellas. Sure will. Thank you, Nick. Jim Garrison, $10. Here's 10 spot for some truth telling. And Jim Garrison, again, $5. Theme song for this moment, I'm a monkey, Rolling Stones. Uh, I can't remember what that was referring to. Monkey Man. Yeah. Monkey Man. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, you'll want to handle this one, Rich and Tony. But uh, Sabogus tips us $5. He says, I question the value of, quote, undercover, uh, excuse me, undercover, Video of a flamboyant bimbo drama queen with no technical expertise who says he's lying, casually, casually claiming that Pfizer scientists have godlike mastery over invisible monsters. 30 plus minutes of Grand Theft World coverage to a story covered by mainstream media over six months ago, ex-Pfizer respiratory disease division chief Dr. Eden revealed he no longer believes viruses exist. No Grand Theft World coverage. I haven't seen the link, but I appreciate your comment. Yeah, I've addressed this so many times. It's become uh, almost tiresome and absurd at this point. Um, I don't. If you care. publish a paper or a video, we can cover it. Yeah, if you have some sort of evidence you can point to beyond the standard people who promote train theory and that sort of thing, I don't care what people call it, um, whether it's a, a toxin or a virus. If we're going to sort of get confused on definitions here, they clearly have the technology and power to implement very crazy things. Um, and they've been investing in doing so. We read all the projects. We read all the different sort of potential funding sources from DARPA and what they're interested in. Uh, whether the complete science of virology, obviously a very incomplete science, is correct or not, they're working with nanotechnology style weapons. If you want to call it a bioweapon or want to call it a, I don't know, self-assembling toxin of some type, I don't really kind of care at that point. So we're going to go where the evidence leads. And right now, that's that's sort of the way, that's what we do. You know, we're going to go where the evidence has uh, the most capacity. And the evidence for, has led to viewing. culprits. And the evidence has led to the budgets for those culprits. And the evidence has led to a myriad of angles that point to those culprits. Right. I haven't seen a hypothesis from the other side that comes up with any sensical, reasonable, logical inferences to be drawn from the past three years or Correct. the people who were responsible for it being held accountable. I missed right. that in that dissertation. Yeah. At this point, uh, it's better to understand exactly what they're interested in funding and the technologies they want to develop and not get so hung up on 
how specific the theories necessarily are in regards to the things they're claiming they've developed or not, because they're seemingly working with these technologies, whether or not it's exactly a virus or exactly a toxin or whatever. I have very specific reasons why I think germ theory is more substantial, and I've addressed that a number of times on the town hall, and I've provided links to counter evidence from very, very good sources that I encourage people, if they're incredulous, to come join the community. And you can ask me those questions or, or just PM me and I'll provide those links for you. And you can peruse sort of the same sort of, you know, dialectical process I went through it when I first got in and heard about these different competing theories in regards to uh, the ontology of viruses and biological organisms of very tiny scale. So, um, but as far as Dr. Eden, I appreciate the information uh, he shared with us. He's a knowledgeable doctor, um, former, I believe, worked for Pfizer, and he worked, um, forget the specific division I think he worked in. And, uh, you know, so I, you know, I haven't looked at the evidence recently in regards to uh, Dr. Eden in regards to what he is now claiming isn't a virus. Um, it's not probably anything different from what other individuals that are pretty popular in the alternative sphere have commented on. And, and the COVID um, that was out there was just there to get people to internalize mRNA without informed consent. Yeah, that's sort of which the is point. what we talk about. So that aerosolized vaccine, not too sure project how the diffused. non sequitur of terrain theory got into that, but yeah, right. And that's that's the thing. It's like they're look they're they the whole thing was to come up with a aerosolized bat vaccine, which means some sort of aerosolized either bioweapon or nanotechnology style weapon. We played uh, various war college clips individuals presenting the, the future frontiers of warfare in regards to being nanotechnology itself. I kind of don't care if we call it a virus or a toxin or how you want to define what these things are at very tiny scales, these microorganisms, these biological agents, whatever. Um, I think we should be more concerned and act as if that they have you know, technologies that unfortunately are quite sophisticated. But it's convenient, but Tony, because if you believe in that, then you don't have to understand gain of function or right. chimeras or what a coronavirus might solve in the whole process of their wanting to take a worldwide pandemic and use it as an excuse for a global shutdown for three years and to implement their greater reset or yeah, their great reset. And that's what it which we need to. to have a greater reset. Exactly. Point. So, yeah, uh, I think enough has been spoken on on that topic. Yeah, they got their it, money's worth. Yeah. Right on. What else you got, LD? THX 1138-322, tip $5. Thank you, computer. Uh, Anna Mares, $10, and I think she's referring to Eliza Blue here. She stole all the online hype for the free Julian Assange rally I went to in D.C. on October 8th. Makes a lot of sense now. Mm. Yeah. Anyone mm. who takes the the spotlight away from trying to free Assange and put it on themselves is suspect. Yep. TCAN, $5. Thanks, GTW. Thank you, TCAN. Laurie Quigley, $10. Oops, cat bumped me. Thank you all. Uh, ARAM, $20. Bringing Thank in. you. Yeah, and that ties it up. Um, and Thank you, everyone. Yeah, Thank I appreciate everybody who contributed. I apologize <laughs> that the longest response is the, to the comment that was about the other thing that we didn't talk about tonight. Yeah. And I guess, you know, uh, people have expectations of what we're supposed to talk about on our show. And 
Tony and I aren't mind readers. So uh, we do what we do and LD helps us do it and we have a good time and hopefully you have a good time on the ride too. And uh, yeah, I, I thank you guys for your support. And sometimes, you know, as we go through these, these times of growing through the, the pandemic and afterwards and like trying to figure out what they're going to do next, cyber polygon, these sort of things, you know, there's that line from Ferris Bueller where he said, you know, life goes by pretty fast. And if you don't stop sometimes and look around, you could pass you by. Well, I kind of wonder what it would be like, you know, if you were in a coma for 10 years and you wake up after the pandemic and what would the world be like? All these changes that have been incremental for us, like we just kind of didn't notice them, would be very shocking, disconcerting to someone who like wakes up out of a out of a coma. So I didn't have any nifty graphics for that story, but the guys at Joy Camp, they made a whole video on that story. I think it's pretty interesting. I think you guys should take a few minutes for uh, its consideration because it's both poignant and hilarious. It's part of the Joy Camp experience. So thank you guys all for tuning in and not dropping out. Here's a little bit of Joy Camp to play us out, and then we'll play oh. that uh, the clip from No Agenda right after that. Yeah, I think it should be noted. Uh, I mean, are, are you going to be are you going to be here next week, Rich? Because- yeah, I'm going to be here in the next. I'll be here next week. Okay. And then, uh, well, I I will not be I will not be on Grand Theft World next week. I will not be helping out because I'm I'm leaving on a jet plane and I don't know when I'll be back again. I'm just kidding. I'll I'll be driving and hopefully be back here in a week. But uh, taking care of some some personal stuff and uh, Justin should be uh, sitting in and, and taking over and uh, making things work right. So. Well, drive safe. I'll be, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, drive safe. Have a good time. Hopefully, you get a chance to relax, and uh, we'll actually uh, <laughs> await your return. And we'll, we'll be able to hold down the ship. If relaxation means four chickens and a Maine Coon <laughs> cat in a U-Haul towing a towing a car, then yes, I think that's the actual <laughs> definition. That's the literal <laughs> definition of relaxation. In a yes. book that's never been written. Thank you. Yes. And then if if the stream went well tonight, shout out to Cody for, uh, for helping us with his, uh, his streaming system services. Thank you very much, Cody. Cody. And one last quick mention, um, I'm considering hosting a quadrivium course or uh, introduction to the quadrivium course for Grand Theft World subscribers, similar to how I did it for the, uh, uh, logic course I did. It would be free for anyone who signed up or is a part of the community, but I'm still feeling that out. So I'll get some more commentary and feedback uh, at the town hall for what. Yeah, he's going to sell it to the public, out. but if you're a member, you can get in on it for free. Right. All right. Another yep. bonus. So, all right. And uh, honorable mention goes to Benny Wills. He's uh, one of the stars of the Joy Camp comedy troupe. He also has a course called Parhesia, and uh, he's going to be featured in this this next video. So thanks for tuning in, not dropping out. Here's a little Joy Camp to play you out. Hope we don't see each other in a Joy Camp. This is just for comedy. Have a good night, everyone. Thanks, Ross guy. Five dollars. Tony, you think Tony? Tony, are you there? Dude, Tony, Tony, are you wake Tony. up? Wake up, Tony! Wake up! <gasps> he, he's, he's, he's awake. awake. Hey, Tony, hey, you're back, dude! Yeah, dude, yeah. you you've been in a coma for ten years. For ten, ten, ten years. years. Yeah, yeah. you're awake now. It's amazing. Is your world coma. didn't end. 
What was the reference? Oh, the Mayan calendar thing. Oh, the, yeah. yeah. No, that's in the world didn't end. But We're democracy, fine. democracy though, that's being threatened. That might end. Yeah, you got to vote. I should check my Facebook Messenger. Well, we don't really call it Facebook. It's Meta now. Yeah. I should check my Meta Messengers. Well, no, you don't. We don't call it Meta. We still call it Facebook, Facebook but it's yeah. but it is it's meta. meta. So, but we don't really like Facebook either because. Zuckerberg is not doing a very good job of stopping the spread of misinformation. Yeah, look, 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 don't worry about that. The question is, how are you feeling, man? I'm okay. I'm a little groggy. I mean, to be honest, I feel a little gypped for oh, the last 10 years. Um, okay, so said the G word. it's been a while. I can yeah. forgive you. We can't say words like that anymore. It's, a, it's a, They're microaggressions. The G word. Microaggressions? Yeah, it's a small aggression. It's like a very small one. But it's very, very offensive. offensive. That's retarded. Oh! Okay, definitely cannot say... He said the R word. Yeah, yeah, you can't. I, I almost said it, and I don't want to. You can't say the R word. Mm -mm. It's a bad word. Basically, the woke people, like us, will come after you yes. and make sure that you are woke? not... Yes, woke. Like awake? Like truthers? You... Oh, like conspiratards? No, no, no. This is very much different than that. I thought we couldn't say retard. No, we well, can, it's conspiracy. Okay, we can make fun yeah. of conspiracy theorists, but no one else. Yeah. We encourage you to make fun of them. They're yes. Wait a second. Where are we? We're in your apartment. In California. Yes. Yeah. What about New York? What is he, what's what's about New York? Is it underwater? I don't understand. Al Gore and Inconvenient Truth? Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. New York is fine. It's fine. All good. No worries. Does that mean Al Gore spreads misinformation? No, Al Gore's a hero. Yeah, no, he's revered. No, it's people like Alex Jones, well, they're the ones who are spreading misinformation. Yeah, but don't worry about him, because he got his, buddy. Yeah, he got fined for a billion dollars for misinformation. So, well, What about George Bush? What are you talking about? What do you mean? WMDs, the Iraq War? Oh, no. Oh, no, we love George, George Bush. Bush no, he's cool. Great. Yeah, yeah no, he's a painter now. Super relatable. A great painter, Yeah, he's actually. a really good painter. Yeah. He's charming. Mm -hmm. Who's the president? Joe, Joe Biden. Biden. Second term? First. Uh, unfortunately... Donald Trump was president for four years after Barack Obama. A celebrity? Donald Trump, the apprentice. You're fired. <laughs> That's cool. He's the worst person who's ever lived. Ever. We hate him. We hate him. We hate him. Mm-hmm. Speaking of people we hate, what about the Kardashians? Are they still a thing? Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say that we hate them, but they are, they are definitely still a thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All of them? Yeah. Kylie is a billionaire. Is Bruce Jenner still alive? Uh, no, Bruce, well, Bruce no. is dead. Bruce, Bruce is, is dead, dead now. Yeah. yeah. Caitlyn, though. Caitlyn is alive. Yeah. Huh? What? Bruce is Caitlyn. She was woman of the year, actually. Before she was even a woman for a whole year. Mm-hmm. What about Kim and Kanye? Ooh. Ooh. Well, they did get married. They had some kids. He's no longer in that picture. He's an anti-Semite. Yeah. In fact, we hate him. 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 I hate him. I hate him, too. We all hate him. I like him. No, no, no. We hate him. 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 I hate him. We hate him. I hate him. Yeah. So what else is going on? There are 72 genders now. 72? I thought there were only two. Tony, I, I know you've been asleep for a while, but you really need to cut back on the bigotry. Catch up, Tony. It's Please. It's yeah, you're going to embarrass yeah. yourself and us. Yeah. Gender is fluid. You can change anytime you want. Yeah. My pronouns, for example, are he and him. My pronouns are they, them. They who? Let me explain. He's a he, him. I'm a they, them. You have a split personality. No. They, um, them, as in singular. Who's they? I am. Or whomever identifies as they. Or them. I'm not following. If you're not a he or she, you're probably a they or them. 
or there. Where? Not where, there, as in they, them, there, he, she, him, or her. Or sometimes even zim, zem, zer. It's fluid. Okay. Is there anything else that you need to tell me that happened in the last 10 years? Oh, I think that about covers it. Oh, well, I guess there was the COVID-19 pandemic. Oh, right. The coronavirus. Oh, yes. right. Yeah, that did. That was pretty intense yeah, for a while. Yeah, huge there. outbreak. For a couple of years, yeah. really. A lot of people yeah. got sick. Yeah. Died. Yeah, yeah, it was a virus. People had to wear masks. masks they had yeah. social distance. Six feet. Six yeah, feet apart. If you were closer than six feet, you could Yeah, you contagious. could kill somebody's grandmother. My grandmother died. And I could yeah, well, luckily they came up with a vaccine, like a few different vaccines yeah, you could yeah, choose yeah. from. You had to have one in order to keep your job. But they and, like, didn't really travel. work right away, so you had to get more. You got to get boosters. Yeah. Like, I've had, I've had right. five boosters myself. And I'm on my sixth, actually. You've had six? So, yeah, I've got to catch up. A new one. How was it? Oh. Oh. He's sleeping or is it back in a coma? Are you back in a coma tonight? Huh. Hmm. Yeah, you know what? I don't really feel comfortable with him having his mouth wide open like that. He's breathing right on my face. I think we should get him jabbed. And boosted. I guess I'm just a chubby Puerto Rican who's been asleep for 10 years. Yes, yes, Yeah. exactly. You are a victim. Yes, and actually playing a victim is widely accepted. The woke folk will love you. Yeah. We are privileged males and we're very ashamed and guilty about that. Yes. Well, I guess I'm just a big fat retard. Oh, oh well, yeah, yes. close, but you the don't R say the R word. The That's, R you were almost there. Yeah. Not to mention I'm 82 years young. Whatever you think I did, I already got away with it. I mean, uh, I can explain everything. I won't, but I can. And that's what counts. Anyway, I'm not really retired, so I'll see you around. Stay safe, suckers. Pragmatism, utilitarianism of Bentham. I mean, it's just all these isms that get people it's the so birth confused. Pods in fact, it's just the the denying pods. reality. Yeah, there you go. And your life in between on a screen. That's what they're doing. It's anti-human. It's disrespectful, and they're not creatives. That's why they have to be destroyed. Exactly. I'm more yeah. violent years behind us, but not really. Davos clowns ransom the world while looking silly. Watermelon head carry off his rocker. Al Gore boiling the ocean comment was still a shocker. Mr. Raymond, these are my confessions. Podcasts, instrumentals, no agenda obsession. Leanna Wen, now treated as a Republican for spreading mis, dis, and malinformation. Hamlet's cardiac arrest in front of the nation. Woke up, those sleeping in front of the TV station. Streaming, or however you get your news. See the other sides of issues to really understand the rules. Don't freak out like Jeff Jarvis on Mastodon, the new bronze statue. Yo, what was that artist on? Insulting and flawed from all angles. Demoralizing the Public is just part of the scandal. I mean, I get it. It's supposed to show and embrace. These dummies couldn't even show MLK face. Keep your favorite talking head. I agree with Adam said. Whether slow or quick, our government wants us dead. Medical assistance and diet is what they try it in Canada. Out of ideas, extending your life and what are they hiding? Kill yourself as a health scare. I ain't lying. 10K dead last year. Grounding all planes for a day. No way. They pass it off as a glitch. You don't say. Mission statement and no. Agenda.net calling us half truths, but we'll hit you in the mouth. Bet they are just messing with us. I agree, they're messing with us. Conspiracy is a story of history, it's a story of plunderers taking care of people who produce. They claim to take care of them through government, which doesn't give you anything, it doesn't take away first. So it's not creating something out of nothing, it's very real what they're doing. They're taking your rights or taking some people's rights and adding more to someone else's rights. If you haven't heard about our Grand Theft World community membership, here are a few of the things you've been missing. 
a mobile app where you can access replays of the Grand Theft World podcast and show notes. Access to the Grand Theft World community on Discord, where we crowdsource news and resources, and you can contribute to the show. The opportunity to participate in the Grand Theft World bi-weekly town hall. Exclusive content from Richard Grove, including behind-the-scenes footage and future access to unpublished material. 93 episodes of the Peace Revolution podcast, and the Grand Theft World newsletter delivered straight to your inbox each week. If you want to stay ahead of the great game, visit us at grandtheftworld.com, click or tap the button in the top right-hand corner, and join a vibrant community of researchers blazing a new path to truth. We'll see you there. Big props to Maria Broadcaster, that's where I'd hear and get hooked on the name of Richard Grove. What he's saying is hypnotic. Synchronicity came out like chronic, all in full stride. Compadres around all sides, seeking sources to provide solution. The heavy handed knowledge is Willie saying the peace revolution. Never knowing I was missing the blessing. The heaviest session recorded and revealed the ultimate history lesson in this quest. And I'm a Midwestern who's rocking it dope. Subscribe to media produced by Tragedy and Hope. And if you didn't know the gift, and here's what you've been missing and listening is where conviction is revealed in descriptions in a brain model. Don't come all hollow, but full throttle. And dive in the deep end so history doesn't repeat and make it complete. Catch Grand Theft World every week with Richard and Tony chop it up with the homies and I ain't talking about that public school baloney and it's like you should know me quoting God when the flow that I'm growing and LD's bearded is showing the time capsule stack of stats is open so spread it around the show is ready to pounce audience that abounds seeking out what's profound I know it is challenging fallacies in the balance when a forensic story in it boring men while exhorting in examination contemplation meditation revelation celebration destinations planned targets arrived autonomous crew of souls that survive broke free from the nine to five and we doing it live hey with hope in our flow where consciousness grows as opposed to you don't have to think about it dude cause it's a comedy show that be bombing truth woe trying to make uncommon truths be more commonly known that it's a grand theft world that i'm living in ain't no reptilian skin just some normal humans who love to sin from their banking powers they aim to win deceive and betray all men they could make it everyone slaves to them it's a grand theft world
all that I'm hearing that The sky's like a pyramid For those tuning in, they be feeling that Revealing that Things ain't what they seem, so I'm fighting back And digging jack Obtaining knowledge, wisdom, and artifacts Artifacts, artifacts, yeah Neglected aspect, that's what they lack Yo, trivium course, it'll deal with that Huh, be a rebel, bring the logic back Cause it's a grand theft world that they rolling out Got the gold model out, tracing Rockefeller dollars Straight to clouds, SEC connections are hard to doubt But most go the common route Walking with their head in the shroud Yo, it's a grand theft world that I'm peering at Disguised like a pyramid But those tuning in, they be feeling that Revealing that, things ain't what they seem So I'm fighting back and digging jack Obtaining knowledge, wisdom, and artifacts Game. This isn't Grand Theft Auto, folks. This isn't a video game. This is Grand Theft World. Alright, LD. It's a Grand Theft World that I'm peering at in the sky like a pyramid. For those tuning in, they'd be feeling it. Revealing that things ain't what they seem to invite back and digging jack, tuning out wisdom and artifacts. If you need a single location to get cutting-edge information and keep up with the rapidly changing world around us, tune into Grand Theft World, where a forensic historian and a logic professor break down the week's news in depth and in context. There's a ton more there, so go check it out. And don't forget to get your Freedom Vault on the homepage.